Tuesday, November the 23rd, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Got a little early week action for you as uh, the holiday schedule will give us uh, two early episodes this week as we have uh, broken up the NFL games into two shows. We're going to break down the Thursday games with Eric on this episode. We also have a lot of horse racing that I'm going to jump into. There are some Tuesday stakes races at Zia Park. Flavian Pratt and Irad Ortiz Jr. are actually out there, and there are some pretty interesting races, so we'll go through those. Then for Wednesday, we've got opening day at Tampa Bay Downs. We'll jump into that. Uh, Some best bets for Churchill, so two tracks for Wednesday. Then on to Thursday for Thanksgiving, we'll get you Fairgrounds. They have a couple stakes races over there. We'll talk about the opening day card for Fairgrounds. We'll talk about Thursday for Del Mar. We've got Tuesday, Zia, Wednesday, Churchill and Tampa, Thursday, Fairgrounds in Del Mar, five different tracks over three days, two for Wednesday, two for Thursday, one for Tuesday, so a lot of racing for you here, and then we'll get into the NFL three games on Thanksgiving, six teams all coming off of a loss, three games starting at 1230 Eastern time, and we've got teams that are you know struggling a little bit, but four of the six teams are battling for their playoff lives, so a lot on the line. Thursday in the NFL, and then we get into our deep dive of Eternals. Tim Kelly joins me. We go scene by scene into one of the more polarizing Marvel MCU movies, Eternals, as many liked it, many did not. What did you think? Tim joins me, and we get into all of it, things we liked, things we didn't, things we would have liked to see a little bit differently, uh, characters we we did like, what's moving forward. We have a major, major, uh, you know, nerd out segment, deep dive, uh, and we'll, spoiler alert, go through everything that happened in that movie. We'll put that on the end. So, lots happening. NFL Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday racing, and then we'll get into Eternals on this episode. That's what G said podcast that is brought to you by better than dot Vegas. Give them a follow on Twitter at BTV bets. Go and turn your notifications on there for BTV bets because every single day they give away money in a public prop. Well, they, they give away wagers. If the wagers hit, you keep the money. They'll send it right to you at BTV bets. Everything over at BTV is free. So the website, betterthan.vegas, there are videos from all sorts of handicappers and gamblers around the world providing you with information, um, the games that they're playing, the wagers that they're playing, some of the reasoning for their plays. You can also create a free account, post your videos with some of your selections. You can also be a part of that monthly showdown. As soon as you register and start posting your plays, they will be tracked. And if you have the best month, you win $1,000 for nothing just for signing up, just for creating an account, and just for playing along in that monthly showdown. You don't even have to like re- register or anything like that. You just have to create the account. You don't have to like, get into any contests or anything. Start posting your plays. They will tally them all for you. You'll see where you stack up on the leaderboard. There are blogs coming up now from all sorts of different handicappers. Uh, sometimes you'll see their beautiful faces in the videos. Now you'll see some written if you're someone who likes to... Uh, takes the information a little bit better in uh, through reading of articles and blogs, check out betterthan.vegas. And we have the live stream schedule, always free. All the live streams on Twitter at BTVBets. You'll get previews for the Monday night football game, for the Thursday night football game. Every Sunday before the Sunday slate, you'll get a fantasy football show. 
that starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Then at 11 a.m. Eastern time, you get around, uh, you get fourth and inches where we just go around the horn of all the games coming up on Sunday with three or four different handicappers, gamblers that help you preview for all the games, let you know which spots they like. Eric, who joins me here, he's always on uh, that Sunday show also. So much great information at betterthan.vegas, and all of it is free. Let's jump into the handicapping portion of this episode. Before we ever get into the handicapping, we have to tell you the place we go before, and it's always drf.com. That's where we start the handicapping. That's where we get the past performances, and that's where we take a look. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and Any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com. You know you're singing that thing all day long after Your horse racing fantasy come true Joey 
did a great job on that one. Shout out to my buddy Joey Cleveland, who does uh, such a great job. Some of the the tunes that we get here, from the the theme song to a lot of the uh, the intro songs that he does. Some of them funny, some a little more serious. All sorts of different stuff. Great job from Joey. And as we get into the horse racing horse racing portion of this episode. A couple of other things to mention. First off, DRF.com. You heard all of the uh, the plugs for Formulator, and that's where I go to use my past performances. So everything you need there at DRF.com. And then we head to StableDuel.com. We check out uh, you know what the contest schedule is like. We go to our app that we've downloaded for free, and we check out what contests are happening each and every day. Like on Tuesday, there are games at Parks and Penn National. And the one that we're going to be really focusing on this week is Del Mar on Saturday, November the 27th, a $20,000 tournament. It's 150 bucks to enter, $20,000 in prize in cash prizes. You don't have to just win either. They have payouts to a lot of the top positions. So we'll check out all the details and I will have major coverage leading up to this. We'll either have big segment of on the podcast or a live stream video uh, live stream early in the day before last week did one with uh one of those live streams with Bremont Barry Spears a couple other uh folks there Matt Billy Koch also so I'm not sure if they're gonna have one if they don't I might have one but we'll do something big for this stable dual tournament because it's got a huge prize pool, $20,000. It's the Del Mar Derby Stable Duel Contest, November the 27th on Saturday. That's a good card, too, the Grade 1 Hollywood Derby. You got the Jimmy Durante and the Sea Biscuit there, a couple other graded stakes on the card. So big racing this holiday weekend coming up. We will have tons of racing coverage for you right here on That's What G Said Podcast. And if you follow me on social media, it's me, Gino B. You'll always be able to find uh, whatever... Uh, coverage that we have, whatever kind of content, if it's live streams, if it's additional videos, if it's just sometimes some extra post on on Twitter about a horse that might be a little too high uh, of odds or a horse that might be a good bet last minute, give us a follow there as we head on into Tuesday racing at Zia Park. As I said, there are some good stakes races at Zia on Tuesday. So we're looking at November the 23rd, get those past performances out. We're going to tr- uh, flip to race number four at Zia Park for the Zia Park Juvenile, we have stakes races uh, from here on out the rest of the Zia card. And in this fourth race, they'll go six furlongs. You have two-year-olds in here. The five bye-bye Bobby is a first-time starter that was purchased for 870000 The dam has produced seven siblings to race four of them. Winners, one of them won the debut, but the dam was 0 for 5 racing. And I'm sure this is a nice animal, but I'm going to go elsewhere here. Creative bid will likely take some money coming off that real impressive win last time out here to the outside. Aquatania arrival is going to get Lasix for the first time, also going to be gelding. He's not really that quick. Maybe that'll help get him a little sharper out of the gate. I'm going to the one. Feel the fear. He had a brutal start last time out. So he stumbled, and then he tried to rush up the inside, but he got some company inside of him. And he just looked really sort of washed out, kind of wet. He moved to the lead, but then he was immediately tackled. He tried to fight on, but he was headed at the top of the lane. And that was his... You know, this is going to be his first time putting two starts together. He's going to cut back from seven furlongs to six, and he looks like the one to catch. There's not a, a lot of other speed in here. To the, to his outside, you've got Yukio, who has shown a little bit of speed. 
I think Feel the Fear might be quicker, and that's what it'll probably come down to early on. Can he clear the horse to his outside? Does he not get that bad trip from the rail? Because that was a similar trip that he had last time out, but he's drawn inside in all three of his starts, so he's used to being inside by now, and I love the fact that he's finally going to come back, you know, in, in... little less than a month he feel it feels like he'll be a little fitter and that just was a bad start and it wasn't even that he it was a bad start and rushed up it was a bad start rushed up and the horse to his inside also sort of did the same thing kind of rushed up so then they're just battling with each other after both of them you know moving up inside feel the fear four to one on the morning line if we can get anything over five to two that'd be worthy of a win wager in race number four at zia Moving along to the fifth race, we've got the Zia Park Sprint coming up. And the three, much better, is the horse who I'm a little interested in. Mr. Moneybags is going to take a lot of money. But much better, seems like he drew the outside of the other major, major speed. Now, there might be one or two more to the outside, but I think if you're talking about the the you know the top contenders in here, it's probably much better in Mr. Moneybags. They're both pretty quick. Mr. Moneybags, I don't think the rail is the best spot for him. And you've got Irad jumping aboard the three much better. He's multiple graded stakes placed. He's really fast. He hooked a sloppy racetrack last time out. I think you can put a line right through it. Two starts back, he's behind a horse named Long Weekend. It's a really nice horse who's very, very fast. He's a stakes winner who's a six-time winner. Six for 13. Much better. Looks like a really good spot for much better in here. Used to be in the Bafford bar. And this horse has really teased of talent. And he's been in some good spots. And there were some times it looked like he was going to be a really, really nice one. He's still got some ability. And maybe he can press or just clear over on Mr. Moneybags and make him have to get behind and come around. The number three, much better. In race number five at Zia on Tuesday, we move to the sixth race, Casual. She's the one to beat in here. But she draws the rail. I don't know if that's the best spot for her. I'm looking to a horse who uh, one of our buddies, Andrew Champagne, gave out on this horse way back at uh, Sam Houston on a day where I think he singled her and, and ended up doing pretty well. Canoodling is coming off a, a bit of a layoff. She hasn't raced since September. And she tried the boys two starts back. And she's just really honest. What's wrong with any of her races since coming into the Fincher barn? And even before that, she was just facing tough company in Southern California. Madoni, she was in stakes company behind Astute, and I mean, she's won three of her last four. The race that she didn't win was against the boys. Not only was it against the boys, it was against the boys going longer. Canoodling, drawn well towards the outside. Should get a little pace to chase. She's not her numbers and, and like speed figures are not quite on the level with someone like Casual, and if casual gets the the you know real beneficial trip from the inside, but I'm not. I think I you know with with her running style, I think it's the opposite. I think she may have to be inside, kind of waiting, 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 angle around. Let's go with canoodling the number seven in here, five to one on the morning line. Anything around seven to two or so, we'll make a win wager there at Zia as we move to the seventh race, the Zia Park Princess. Didn't have the strongest of opinions in this one. I thought Queen Gladys towards the outside. You know, if you're looking at the the Horses who have won pretty impressively that have shown speed, which are a lot of them in here. Two, optionality is going to be close up. The three, bye-bye Jill is probably going to want to be close up. The four, uh, midnight 
on the Nile will probably sit a little more. The five to Londa, the six Tyler's Dream, and then even the seven. You know, any you can see any combinations of them showing speed. So you know, the four is a little bit interesting just from a hey, I, I really do probably truly want to sit here, and I've shown that I can pass horses late. The one is also another one that's interesting too. Who heads out here with the blinkers on, getting Lasix for the first time. That debut was not bad. Had a little bit of trouble and actually ran pretty well late. And then last time out, again had some some trouble, legit trouble in both. So the rail draw and and how fast she is is really the concern because there is going to be a lot of speed side on to her outside. She could very easily get the shuffle and and a bad trip. But if she's a big price, keep an eye on her. Maybe one to throw in under the exotics when a lot of the others sort of look the same. No idea how good she is, but she has had trouble, and they bring her out here, you know, with a couple others. So the eighth race is the Zia Park Derby. It looks like the four is not going to be in this race, none above the law, because none above the law just ran on November the 23rd. So in the Zia Park Derby, the three super stock is one to five. The only way I think you can probably get you can probably beat him is if the two Pirate Junction were to maybe get out front. Pirate Junction looks the quickest in here. He gets out front, super stock, you know, gets caught behind. Convention is a horse who I, you know, is going to be a huge price, but you're not even going to really be able to play exotics too much, honestly, in this in this particular race. If you're playing rolling exotics, you're probably singling super stock. If you're trying to beat super stock, I would look to the two Pirate Junction. In the ninth, it's the Zia Park Championship. There go a mile and an eighth in here. I looked a uh, towards the eight so Wilma's Irish Rover has one going a mile and a half so the stretch out from the the much shorter races recently doesn't bother me and he's in pretty nice form he likes Zia Park I don't have any concern with him getting this trip you can see at the bottom of the page good races good victories going a mile and 70 and he's one longer let's give a look to the eight Wilma's Irish Rover in here a couple others uh, you'll probably be using with the uh, the very logicals the four zestful and the nine tenfold, who's an under. I'm okay with trying to beat tenfold on the win end, and maybe throwing in the four and the eight in some of the uh, the rolling exotics there. That can help spice things up. As we move to the tenth, the Zia Park Oaks. They'll go a mile and a sixteenth in here. Lady Mystify is going to be tough. You know, she beat Pauline Pearl on the square last time out. Lady Mystify showed that she can sit off the pace a little bit at Remington Park, and you know. If she gets beat in here, it's because she ends up getting caught up in some sort of a battle. Maybe we see the one pretty in pink. Maybe we see the two Grand Mana, the three slammed, and even the, the six Gemstone Gal. And if that's the case, then it sets up for Pauline's Pearl. But I, I got the feeling Lady Mystifies just the best of these, and she'll be tough in here at a short price. And what's a fun stakes-filled card on Tuesday over at Zia Park? Let's head from Tuesday over to Wednesday. <music> to Wednesday. Let's get over to Churchill Downs. We're looking at November the 24th and we're going to look at Churchill Downs 1st, 3rd, 7th, and 8th for Wednesday. November the 24th. First race is a group of 20,000 non-two claimers. They're going to go a mile on the main track here. I thought the 5 jump into the fire who was a very impressive winner and the claim got voided but since the claim got voided on October the 1st you see a couple published works that looked very fine for Jump Into the Fire, 
and there isn't a lot of other speed in here. This is a horse who showed legitimate sprint speed last time out. Down towards the inside, maybe Graciana will try to shove from from down there. I, I don't think the twos is quick. Doesn't look like the three. Bertrada doesn't look the four, just fine by me. Doesn't look like the six Saints Nation. Maybe the seven to the outside, who's shown some speed a couple times too, going longer, and is drawn there towards the outside. And so, you know, it comes down to the five, jump into the fire, and the seven beyond a million. I think jump into the fire could be an early exotic single for me right off the bat. Three to one in the morning line. If we got anything around five to two, we'd probably play to win, but look to uh, maybe just single this one in early exotics and move along to race number three. So this one is a 20 starter allowance going a mile on the main track. I'm looking at the six in here, uh, my bets, who is just in really nice recent form. I mean, let's be honest, nice overall. What has she done wrong in her career? She's run 12 times, and 10 of them have been in the exacta. One of them that wasn't was in her first start of 2021, so she was coming off a four-month layoff. And she just always shows up. She's going to kind of take back. She's going to make one late run. She was at this level at Churchill Downs on October the 3rd. It was in a sloppy racetrack, and she had a very slow start. She was last. She was about 10 lengths off early in the slop. She angled widest of all. Down the center of the track It was a really nice runner-up effort She got up for second late She was behind a horse named Flat Awesome Jenny Who has won six races in a row My bets is 9-2 to on the morning line If we can get anything around 7-2 to We'll make a win wager on the number 6 My bets As we flip now to race number 7 At Churchill Down We've got an optional 62 non-2 Going a mile and an 8th here on the main track I thought the 7 Funny bet to the outside was interesting so, you have some excuses here for this filly. Some races that you can look back on and, and make an excuse for and, and toss. And so, a lot of times when you have horses that have a couple of those races recently, they're just a better price than they should be. Because people see, oh, they were well beaten this race. Or, oh, they were crushed this race. They don't kind of look into why and what happened. Well, last time out, this filly tried the turf. She just didn't like it. Put a, put a light right, line right through it. Two starts back. In a similar spot, going a mile and an eighth, finished third, showed speed, was a fine third. And it's not as if she's a need the lead. She's shown us multiple times that she can come from off the pace, she can pass horses. Look at her her string of wins in a row, where she showed just multi, like being able to win in many different ways in different with different dimensions. And funny bet on August the eighth. Had not raced between May and August. You can excuse both of those races. Shipped a horse named Crystal Ball in May, who is a stakes winner, multiple graded stakes placed. Another horse named Alta's Award is a nice one, multiple stakes placed. Those are good races that Funny Bet comes out of. She likes it here at Churchill. A couple of her best races right here. Let's give a big look to the number seven Funny Bet, six to one on the morning line. Anything around four to one will make a win wager there as we move to the eighth. First level allowance, mile and a quarter. I'm looking to the five first line as a late exotic single. He is three to one on the morning line, and he's going to go third start off the bench now. He didn't race from June to September, so just a, a, a short break. In his most recent race on October the 29th, okay start. He settled in about the fifth position or so in the two path. He was about four or five lengths off, and then he got caught in some traffic. He got shuffled back. He ended up losing two lengths of ground. He moved through. He finally got some room late, and he closed really well. He was kind of still in tight in between horses, kind of battling and and pushing off, and he ends up finishing third. 
The top two from that last race were second and first early and throughout most of that race. Just shows there was no passing. He was the only one that passed late. He finished third. The horse with him was also making up ground that finished behind him. But there just wasn't a lot of ground being made up from the back. First line. The number five will play as a late exotic single, three to one on the morning line. That is Thursday, or that is Wednesday, excuse me, over at Churchill Downs, Churchill Wednesday, November the 24th. Let's go from Churchill Wednesday to Tampa opening day for Wednesday. Opening day over at Tampa on Wednesday, November the 24th. Shout out to Jason Beam, going to be calling the races over there. Shout out to Ren Carruthers, who does a fantastic job on the track feed there. You see her on the live feed providing handicap information. You've heard her on this show many times giving us help when it's big days at Tampa, help on big Breeders' Cup days, or just big racing days all around the country. And we jump into the Tampa racing. We're going to go races one, five, six, and 7. A horse or two to uh, look at in each of them. In the opener, 8,000 non-three-claimers, six furlongs the distance. I thought the six unwanted input. Three-year-old filly who most recently tried 10,000 claimers at Gulfstream Park on the synthetic. She had a good start inside. She was a third at, at the rail, just about a length or so behind. She was in a bit tight. She was traveling well, but she had nowhere to go. She got shuffled back a length. She kept inside. She tried hard, but she was just a little bit flat late. When she wanted to go, there was no room for her. Now you get a drop, and you're only going to be making your second start on the dirt here. It feels like there's a little bit of upside at this point. You know, you don't really look into pedigree a whole bunch, except unless it's doing something for the first time. So, you know, she is a half sibling to a horse named Sunset Arch, who is a, a dirt winner and overanalyzed, won the grade one Arkansas Derby, multiple graded stakes winner, unwanted input. The number six, who is five to one here on the morning line. If we can get anything around five to two, we'd make a win wager on the six unwanted input. I'm going to give you my input here, G said, as we move along to race number five. These are $16,000 claimers. They're going to go a mile and a 16th on the turf course here. Three-year-olds and up. I'm going to the five perfectly majestic who comes in from Presque Isle Downs and you only see a couple recent turf races on the page. You have to dig back a little farther and you'll notice overall, this is the horse who's run 39 times on the turf and has been in the money in 40, or excuse me, 30 of those starts. 11 runner-up finishes, 11 thirds, and 8 victories. So this is a horse who, you know, in 30 out of 39 races has been in the money. Horse has proven at this trip. He's actually multiple graded stakes placed on the turf. He has lots of back class on the green. The last time we saw him on the turf was two starts back August the 31st at Colonial. He lost to a wire-to-wire winner on the turf course. That horse named Huge Bigley exited that Colonial win to go over to Churchill Downs. And most recently... Uh, Ran, I think, a race in between, and then last time out had a 94 buyer finishing second in an optional 62 non-two at Churchill. You see a horse named English Tavern, who was third in that race, came back to win a first-level allowance next out at Laurel. Perfectly majestic is 8-1 to on the morning line. If we can get anything over 7-2, to I'm going to make a win wager on the number 5, perfectly majestic. We move to race number 6 at Tampa. We've got a group of maiden special weights in here. Phillies and Mares, 3-year-olds and up. Seven furlongs the distance. I'm looking at the six. Hitch is back. So she debuts at Gulfstream in February. She's in the Juan Avila barn for her first three starts. She races February, March, and April at Gulfstream Park. She shows pretty good speed in a couple of them. Two sprints, then stretches out to a mile. She's actually gets a good amount of action 
in her third career start. She's under four to one that day, and she doesn't really show a whole. I mean, she shows some speed, but not a whole lot of stick in any of them. That's a tough time to be racing at Gulf Street Park in the early months, right? Those are some good, strong races. So High Tech is back. Did I say Hitch is back the first time? I might have. The number six, High Tech is back. Returns to the races on October the 16th. So no racing from October uh, from April 11th to October the uh, October the 16th. Comes back for newborn and gets a sloppy racetrack at Laurel. So you could just put a line right through that race. Now you're going to go second off the bench. You're going to go second time for this barn Face tough horses throughout. Get a new spot here. Give a look to the six. High tech is back. We'd want around four to one at least to get involved uh, on the win end. Throw into some of your exotics. As we move to Tampa's seventh race, mile and 16th, optional 32, non-winners of two. I'm going to the eight, Serene. So overall, the debut, put a line right through. Going along at Saratoga in September of 2020. And we don't see her from September of 2020 to July of 2021 when she shows back up. It's for a new barn in Set Arlington. And she's on the synthetic and she crushes. She wins by 8+. plus. Returns in August. Comes back beating a neck against first level allowance company going a mile on the turf. They think so much of her out of that race that they take a shot over at Kentucky in a big money stakes race on a tough turf course. She ends up in that race on September the 5th behind Adventuring, who's a multiple stakes winner and is graded stakes placed. The fourth place finisher won at Gulfstream in a stakes next time out. The third place finisher, Olivia of the Desert, is a multiple stakes winner herself. That was a good group. And then Serene, last time out, goes over to Hawthorne and the race is taken off the turf and she wins easily. Gimme Serene in here. 6-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 7-2 to two or so will make a win wager on Serene. So those are our plays for Tampa for Wednesday. We're going to head on over and talk some Thursday racing in just a moment. We'll talk Thursday Fairgrounds and Thursday Del Mar. Before we do, let's talk about full-service realtor Cindy Carava. The website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's where you can find all of the information there, all of her listings. Uh, You can find uh, information and reviews about her over on Yelp and Zillow. Now, as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right kind of vendors. If you're looking for home improvement, gardeners, landscapers, painters, lots of people that she has used and worked with in her own homes. And maybe you need help getting approved for a loan. She will connect you with the right type of lenders who can make that process very, very easy for you. Because let's be honest, moving, relocating, all of uh, this process in general is not easy. You need help. You need someone who is kind, who is genuine, who's going to make your life uh, a a lot less stressful, and that is Cindy Carava. Check out the website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, full-service realtor. Let's get on over to Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving for your Thursday racing as we get you to Fairgrounds. We're going to talk Fairgrounds and Del Mar for Thursday, November the 25th, and we're going to talk races 2 4 Seven and eight, couple stakes races on the card over at Fairgrounds. We move to the second race for our first play. I'm looking at the number eight in here. So these are Louisiana bred, first level allowance, optional 10 claimers that are going to be going a mile on the turf course. The eight Bayou Jam. So let's look into his turf form a little bit. Overall, he has seven career grass races. He broke his maiden on the turf going a mile against open maiden 25 claimers at Laurel. He has another race 
on the turf where he hit the board. That was against Louisiana Red. He finished second beating the length. His other five races are all against open company, and in those five races, he didn't hit the board. So, hmm, he just seems like a horse who's better against Louisiana Reds, and maybe he finds open company a little bit too tough. He has some couple of good races on the grass, too. Look at the last couple times we've seen him on the turf. First level allowance at Evangeline, where he was 23-1. to 1. A couple starts before that in August, on August the 6th. Another first level allowance, open first level allowance at Evangeline, where he's a little bit higher up on the board. He, six and a half to one. His form isn't all that bad. Two starts back, he ran second. Last time out, he ran into a really tough group. That's come back very productive. Again, you can see in the races that he's just a little bit bigger prices, they're just too tough. Other than that, he's pretty honest. He's been in the money in more than half of his starts. And we can look to the races where he hasn't and just say, yep, he was just probably in a little bit too tough there. Let's move to race number four. So he's 12 to 1 on the morning line. I I had him stacked like a 5 to 1 shot, so anything over 5 to 1 will play to win. Let's move to the fourth. First level allowance. Going a mile and a 16th on the turf course here. We got Phillies and Mares, three year olds and up. The non winners of one. I see a pretty good amount. Okay, so I see two speeds the three good Mongolia, the seven Amici. Looks like those two are the ones that are going to want to go out front and try to dictate the race and get forwardly placed. So I'm hoping the number five, Mo Normal, will track right behind them in third or fourth. You get the slight cutback from a mile and an eighth in both of the last two starts. So let's go back to October the 2nd. She has a good start. She's three deep going into the turn. She's at least three wide, though, all the way around. She moves up to contend at the top of the lane. She's in a three-way battle for second. She actually runs really well finishing third. Comes back on October the 15th at Laurel Park. Good start inside third. Angles to the outside, two, three deep. Just a couple lengths off and moved to the lead. At the top of the lane opened up about a half length. And the I think the distance was just a tad much late. But she did battle inside for second. And Mo Normal could get a very nice trip in here. If she lets the two other speeds go in front and just tracks in right behind them, that's the number five, Mo Normal, who's five to one on the morning line. Anything over three to one, we will play Mo Normal as we move to the seventh race. We've got the seventh and eighth. They're both the stakes races on Thursday, Thanksgiving over at Fairgrounds. So the seventh is the sprint. It's the Thanksgiving classic. They're going to go six furlongs, 150,000 up for grabs. Necker Island's a nice one here. The number one, you've got Strike Power. And Just Might, who are in very nice form. Uh, just Might's in very nice form. Strike Power kind of comes off a clunker, but that was against the grade uh, grade one company in the Vanderbilt. And he's really quick. So I think because those two are drawn right next to each other, to the inside of them is a horse who's not quite as classy, but he's quick. Emerald Forest. I don't think Greeley and Ben wants to be all too far out of it either. It's not like he's slow. I think it'll set up pretty well for the number two Pyron. Let's look into him a little bit. So... He's going to go third off the long layoff. His third start for this new barn. Hooked sloppy racetracks in the last two. Gets a nice setup from off the pace. So we don't have to be too hard on him for those last two races. They were in the slop. And Pyron is proven going six. Has some good races to look back to. The one that to me jumps off the page is the one, uh, the third behind Independence Hall at Del Mar. Pyron could be set for a very big effort. Coming off a couple races that maybe aren't quite as good because they were on sloppy racetracks. 6-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 4-1 to will make a win wager. As we move along to the 8th race, it's the Joseph R. Peluso Memorial. $75,000 turf stakes. 
They'll go a mile in the 16th. Phillies and Mirrors, three-year-olds and up. I like the three more than unusual, who's just in really nice form right now. This is a lightly raced filly. She's four years old. She didn't run from April to October. And when she came back in October, she was really impressive. And that was a race that, you know, she has every right to improve off of. Second off, she's proven over this turf course. She's proven going this trip. She's got some upside. The number three, more than unusual, is 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 9-2 to two will make a win wager there. That is Fairgrounds for Thursday, November the 25th, Thanksgiving Day, as we move to Del Mar for Thursday. Thanksgiving, get those past performances out for Del Mar for the 25th. Del Mar Thursday, we're going to go races 3, 4, 6, and 8. Let's turn to the third race, $50,000 claimers. We're looking November the 25th, and we're going to go 7 furlongs here in race number 3. I thought the 2 Cumberland Avenue maybe an early exotic single. So this guy's 3-1 to one on the morning line. He has legitimate excuses for some of his poor performances. Toss the two turf races, toss the race in the slop back in April. Now what are you left with? You're left with a couple of good races going seven furlongs in August and in October. And you're left with the race going seven at Churchill. And that was the one that sent him to the bench for a few months and in a race where he just didn't really fire. And now, you know, you're making excuses for a horse who now, with a couple of his better races going seven furlongs, you know the trip won't do him in. A couple others in here, we may have some questions about their ability to get the seven furlong trip. That shouldn't be the case for Cumberland Avenue to track right behind them. Proven at seven furlongs, the number two, Cumberland Avenue, three to one on the morning line. Let's treat him like an early exotic single. We move to race number four, mile and a 16th on the turf course. Optional $100,000 claimers, non-winners of two. I thought the five, Kuwara, kind of had a sneaky trip last time out. So she dropped back early inside. She was about four lengths off, but she was saving ground and she was... You know, fourth, she was not ever really in that bad of a spot until, you know, she goes three wide. She's kind of in between at the top of the lane and she gets squeezed out of a spot when she's moving. And so she got forced inside. I don't think she was going to win that race. She probably would have been closer. It wasn't the greatest ride. It was her first start in a couple months. So now they get a, a jock switch. I mean, Rispoli is a very good turf rider, but. Not everybody has a perfect ride every time. So you, you pick up a, a different jock here with Bravo jumping aboard. The number five, Kuora, who is five to one in the morning line. Anything around seven to two will make a win wager there. As we flip to race number six, we've got the grade three red carpet handicap here. They're going to go a mile and three eighths on the turf course. We've got some uh, fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up. So a couple of these drop out of uh, grade one races. You've got Niji Blanche. And Luck, who drop out of the Rodeo Drive. You've got Nicest, who drops out of the QE2 Cup. There is no speed on paper in this short field. None whatsoever. And I think just by process of elimination, the three Niji Blanche will get the lead. She wasn't too far out of it. She was chasing a lone speed winner going to Vegas last time out. She was second. She was in the two paths. She's about a length off pressing, and she just could not go on with the top couple. One of those was Luck, so the filly to her inside is really talented, and she's the one that they'll all have to hold off. But Niji Blanche might be able to get a couple-length advantage on her early in a, a race where she could be on the front end dictating tempo. We'll see what happens with, I mean, I guess Single Soul would be the one you're most worried about also showing speed, but she's been way out of it in in behind slow paces, and the time that we see, we saw her on the lead, they were crawling early. 
So I will lean towards the three Niji Blanche in here to get the front to get to the front end and to be forwardly placed in a short field that doesn't have a lot of speed. Maybe we can uh, beat a favorite here with a horse who could be I think he may be even your third choice in this race. Seven to two on the morning line, around three to one. We'll make a win wager on Niji Blanche, and we move to race number eight for our final play. This one is a first level allowance. We've got optional forty claimers in here. The six awfully naughty is is a bit interesting. <clears throat> so they're going to be going one mile and three eighths. And awfully naughty has uh, his lone victory came at a mile and an eighth. I've always followed him because he is a horse who has a really good late turn of foot, but he, he just kind of needs the right kind of pace shape or maybe a little more distance, which he got two starts back on October the third, and he ended up winning going a mile and an eighth just getting up. Look at his recent form. Two of his races. He's been behind Dicey Mochara, who's a nice upper allowance type horse, who just beat him on November the 6th, beat him also back in July. August the 21st, there were six next out winners in that race. One of them, Subconscious, has won three in a row, including the, the Twilight Derby, the horse who won that race, grade two. Awfully Naughty came back and won in October, then November the 6th, we mentioned, behind Dicey Mochara. Settled towards the rear, about eighth of nine, almost 15 lengths off early, was back to last, and then tipped to the outside with a big wide move. It was not a bad fourth, and you get more ground today, and you get plenty of pace on paper. You get Mongolian wind, you get burning turf, you probably get first premio and big buzz because of their post positions needing to get a little more forwardly placed to keep themselves out of being way, way wide. Awfully naughty, who is six to one on the morning line, anything around four to one, we'll make a win wager there. Over at Del Mar on Thursday, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. I'm very thankful for all of you for tuning in and listening each and every week, each and every episode. Thank you so much for following along. That is the horse racing portion of this episode as we will now shift in to NFL. We still have a lot, a lot on this episode. We've got NFL with Eric. We're going to get into... Thanksgiving, three games for Thanksgiving. But before we do, we have to tell you more about DRF Sports. So DRF.com slash sports. You heard the commercial earlier for DRF.com in the past performances. I'm sure all of you who are horse racing fans, you've used the daily racing form. You know about the past performances there. You trust that information, the articles uh, you've read through uh, and learned a lot of things through the years. And now... All of that great information from horse racing is also going to be branching over to sports to help you out with your handicapping and your wagering over at drf.com slash sports. You can take a look at matchups for any game information, um, line movements, key injuries, all the team stats, uh, recent past performances for any teams, any games that you'll be looking at, all sorts of insights, some that might even be wild to you. You're looking back years or things that you might not think all that relevant, but you put them all together with some of your reasoning, gives you all these different uh, different information, all these different um, looks at how to handicap the game, and they're all right there in front of you. You don't have to open up a bunch of different tabs either. Check out drf.com. Just click on sports, drf.com slash sports. They have an app that's the Cash Grab app, free games that you can play. Who doesn't like free prop games? Love that out. Anytime there's anything free that you can get a chance to build your bank board without having to spend any money, that's what you need to do. We are getting in to NFL Thanksgiving Thursday games with Eric. Coming up on NFL Week 12 now. And because it is Thanksgiving week, we're going to have the three Thursday games. So normally we don't really get the, the chance to talk too much about the Thursday game on this show. 
But because it's broken up that way, uh, Eric was kind enough to join me twice this week so we could put out a, an early show for those of you who want to get involved in Thanksgiving games. And we can uh, really uh, uh, dissect those three games for you. And then a little later on in the week on the, the next episode, we'll get into the rest of the Sunday games and the Monday game. Eric uh, continues on with his awesome NFL season. Another nice week for you, Eric. Yeah, you had a couple big dogs straight up win, right? Uh, I think the Colts and the Texans both that were seven and ten point underdogs that you had on the money line. Yep, I had those. You know, I did a nice little parlay with them too. So you know, it turned out to be one of these weeks uh, when I beat a closing number by seven, like I did with the Seahawks. So happened multiple times this year now <laughs> against the Cardinals both times, right? The Cardinals and the Cowboys. <laughs> one of those times, you know, I'll try to get him, but you know, you you play the number, and you know, that's all. You, as long as I I don't feel as bad because I number, you know, and I was my assumption Murray not playing was right. Seattle just shit the bet. You know, it happens. I play the number, learn from it, move on. Yep, yep. We'd play the same thing again if we had the opportunity to. That's what you have to. You have to just kind of be able to move along and uh, understand that it's nice when you play a couple big dogs on the money line in sort of the way that Eric plays, and uh, I play in a very similar way. When you're not playing a lot of favorites, you're playing a lot of under. Uh, you know, when you're playing underdogs or teams that are, uh, you know, not not the heavy chalks, gives you the opportunity in, in money line situations where hey. You don't have to hit as as high at a, as high of a clip if you're picking up some uh, some nice money line wins along the way. No, not at all. Not Buy, at all. Buys, it buys like, you a couple extra losses, you know, just to buy, keep yourself. Buys, yeah, lowers down that break even point. You know, I've been pretty good on money lines so far, and you know, I got a couple I like for Thursday, so hopefully we can keep that going. Let's jump on in. We've got three games. They start at uh, twelve thirty Eastern time. Really cool now. How Thanksgiving used to just be that one day, that one game. You know, years back, and now we get three games sort of all day. You could get into a, a couple nice uh, DFS matchups uh, and, and contests if you'd like, and it's sort of a big day for fantasy because you have multiple games, and we're starting to get into the uh, important part of the uh, the fantasy season. And the, this week in particular, Eric, with the three games that we have, we have all six teams coming off of a loss that are playing. Which is weird. Which Just is really like, weird. Really weird. Really weird on Thursday. We have four of these teams with playoff hopes that are kind of struggling as of late. Dallas has lost two of their last three. Vegas has lost three in a row. The Bills have lost two of their last three. And the Saints have lost three in a row. So uh, something's got to give with a couple of these struggling teams. And we've got your Lions right off the bat kicking things off. The old uh, Thanksgiving Day tradition with the Detroit Lions. And hey, they, they did what the Lions have done throughout a lot of this year. They really battled uh, again last year. They're six and four. Oh nine and one. They've got the one tie two weeks ago against Pittsburgh, but they're six and four against the spread. And last week, they were down early. It looked like they were going to get blown out. And then the the Browns. It's some we again some weird play calling from Stefanski too. Instead of just like pounding the run and just handing off every single time when you're up thirteen nothing. I mean, honestly, why wouldn't you just do that? You're up thirteen nothing. Just hand the ball off every single time to Chubb or the backup running back. Don't even make Baker throw the ball at all. And it, it was kind of weird, but. Anyways, Detroit fights. Doesn't matter what happens. They fight. They keep battling. They did that again. They are a three and a half point. Is that what you got? Like three and a half? Three and a half, correct. Detroit's a three and a half point underdog. I think the total is around moved down to like the 41 and a half, 42-ish range. We're going to get Tim Boyle versus Andy Dalton here to to open up Thanksgiving morning, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The battle of great uh, backup quarterbacks. I mean, what can you ask for? So if you don't, some of you out there who may not know Tim Boyle, so 
He was Aaron Rodgers backup for three seasons. He appeared in before starting last week's game. He appeared in eleven games and completed just three passes, three of four for fifteen yards in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty combined. So last week was his first NFL start uh, against the Browns. It was fifteen for twenty three, seventy seven yards total. And two interceptions in that game it, it was bad weather in that game It was an ugly game Neither team I mean the Browns only scored 13 They didn't move that, the ball that much Anyways But what I thought was was interesting Is like I don't even know how this guy got into the NFL Boyle When you look at him So in college He played 25 games for Connecticut Between 2013 and 2015 And in those games He completed 133 of 275 passes so just a horrible completion percentage He had uh, 1,200 yards, one touchdown, and 13 interceptions In, in his first 25 games for, uh, for UConn So he sat out 2016, he transferred to Eastern Kentucky 2017, he was a redshirt senior He started all 11 games He, much better completion percentage, 201 uh, of 327 He actually had two... Uh, I think 2,000 yards passing 34 um, And he had 11 touchdowns And 13 interceptions uh, 26 interceptions And 21 college starts It was It's amazing this guy got into the NFL I have no like, idea how he's in the league Like you know what I mean like literally No idea they say because of his arm strength um, I really you know How many other like saw. really good college quarterbacks Or quarterbacks from The Canadian Football League Or XFL players are just so many other people that have just better resumes that would probably be worth giving a chance more than this guy. It's hilarious that he's starting the first game on Thanksgiving morning. It's mind-boggling to me. Absolutely, positively mind-boggling to me that he's A, in the league, and B, actually starting. So it's just, yeah, it's just crazy to me. But So the Lions haven't won, won now in uh, 350 days. They 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 tied they tied a couple a couple back but it's been three fifty since they last won. Um, it was all about Swift last week. Fourteen carries, hundred thirty six yards, and then a touchdown, fifty seven yard run. He also had three receptions for a total of zero yards uh, with those in those three. And they shut the Browns out in the second half, outscored them uh, to make it a game. You know, but uh, but I think honestly, uh, a lot of it came down to. Just the Browns sort of taking their foot off the, the the gas And they turned the ball over twice That really kept the Lions alive What do you think about this game this week, Eric? I look at it like this I say it all the time There's certain coaches I trust Certain coaches I don't trust And toward the top of that list Is Matt Nagy Like, I just don't trust the guy You know, he's um, There was a situation in the Bears game where he could have taken the 15-yard penalty on the pursuing the then the next kickoff after a score or he could move a yard closer on a personal foul for a two-point conversion attempt. What do you think Nagy attempted to do? Take the 15 yards in the kickoff or move a, a yard closer? He pro- proceeded to move a yard closer. I mean this coach it's so stupid, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling. What this coach does, he's stubborn. He doesn't change his ways. Um, I really feel like the Chicago team is just quitting. For them to lose to Huntley, like they blew that just, coverage late. They just, sh- and and Baltimore was so bad in that game. Like they should have. The Bears should have won that game. They got get. They were bad early, 
Dalton came in and, and like Dalton just played well. Honestly, he played pretty well and he kind of sparked him and he put him in a really good spot and they still crapped the bed. I, I, I just don't think, I, I think I know where you're going and I don't know if I'm going to, going to feel the need to jump in and play this, but a lot of people probably will. Cause it's a standalone game. It's Thanksgiving morning. I'll, I, I usually do a little parlay of the games on Thanksgiving, you know, just for a little fun with those th- games that I'm sitting around and I'm not I am not laying three and a half with the Bears yeah, on the road. Right. On the road. I just can't do that. Um it's you know, the Lions have a lot like I'm not this isn't a, a love the Lions handicap or anything. It's just more of like I cannot do that with the Bears right now on the road. And they did not look great again last week, even with Dalton coming in. That was a game that they very easily could have won much, much more. Baltimore is really banked up. Baltimore's defense is not very good. And you know, the I think they quit. I think the Bears quit. I mean, I yeah. think Fields tapped out in that game. I mean, like we've seen people come back from way worse injuries. I really think Fields is just not happy at all with anything that's going on. Robinson he was four of eleven for seventy nine yards when he got when he you know went out of the game, and he only had four four carries for twenty three yards early in the third with a rib injury. Adjusted completion percentage of forty percent. And Dalton came in, but I like. I, he played well. He made a couple good throws and he drove them down, but he was 11 of 23. It wasn't and like. But one he, of those throws is when there was that god awful broken coverage. Complete broken to, coverage. Oh, and Godwin Mooney, got right? it. I, Godwin, yeah. okay. Because both of them had over 100 yards. Mooney, Mooney, just to give you an idea of how bad the like the offense was in general for them, Mooney was targeted 16 times in that game. He caught five passes out of 16 targets for 121 yards and a touchdown. Godwin. Was targeted eight times He caught four passes for 104 yards They've got a couple of big plays They did have more total yards And more yards per play And lost that game They were up 13 to 9 with 1 minute and 41 seconds left And they gave up uh, So now it's great 13 to 9 You know the other team has to score a touchdown too So you can You don't have to But you can even play a little bit of that prevent You know Just make sure nothing's over your head Just give Which I hate playing that way I always like putting a little pressure on But what's nice about the 13 to 9 Is that you've got options You know It's it's they're forced to score a touchdown And they give up a defensive pass interference 21 yard penalty Then a deep pass for 21 yards Another deep pass for 29 in a minute and 20 seconds With Tyler Huntley leading the way Exactly like, Really? I don't know how you can really believe in this defense Even if it is against someone like Boyle and Well I mean so, the strength of the Lions Is their offensive line Granted yep. their left guard got banged up But we need to remember like Hakeem Hicks I don't think he's going to play It's a short week There's no max So I mean I think the Lions are going to be able to run the ball effectively Limit the game and like not really rely on Boyle at all and just pound the ball with Swift and Williams. Looking at Nagy's against the spread, he's 45% against the spread as a favorite, you know, that with a huge negative ROI, I just don't want anything to do with Nagy. I'll take the small home dog in the interdivisional game and I'll sprinkle a little bit on the plus 150 on the money line as well. Yeah, I think I'm going to do the same. A couple of positive things for the Bears on their side. Uh, you mentioned uh, offensive line, defensive line matchup. For the Bears, it's going to be Quinn. Quinn had a great game last week. He had seven pressures, three and a half sacks. Chicago's defense had 21 pressures and six total sacks, holding Baltimore rushers to just two and a half yards before contact. But think about that, too. You know, that was a Baltimore team that's really beat up. This Bears, this uh, this Lions team does have a pretty solid offensive line, as you mentioned. So um, they, they'll have to try to focus in on Quinn a little bit. 
And uh, we'll see if those receivers that both went over 100 yards last week can continue with their, uh, you know, their big output and uh, another big performance. We got David Montgomery. Montgomery. Uh, they didn't run the ball all that well. They only had 20 total carries as a team for 92 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. 14 of them were for Montgomery, who had 58 yards there uh, for the Bears. And then um, over on the Lions side, the defensive line, they got to be a little bit better against the run because they were not. All that great last week against the run But again think about who they were playing That's the Browns that's the The best if you know one of the top Two or three teams where it comes to running In the entire league the Bears are nowhere Near that you know that strong And that stout up front as far as Offensive line and just as far as the running game Is concerned they did a pretty good job on Baker you know Baker's a little bit hurt so it, You know He's not necessarily 100% but they made him work He was only 15 for 29 for 176 Yards and uh, so Some positives there Secondary wasn't great but who knows if the Bears Will be able to pick them apart I actually kind of think this game is getting A little low Now you know it's ticked down a couple points Like once you get in that 40 range Because I don't think Either of these defenses are great so I know the offenses aren't fluid or anything, but you're it's starting to get close to like one weird turnover or a, a, a kick return or punt return or anything at all, and you're like in really good shape. You know, anything weird at all would make this game. So I, I'm starting to lean a little bit over now. What do you see the over at, uh, the total at right now, Eric? Forty one and a half. Yeah, I think it's clicked down a little bit from forty three earlier in the week, uh, yeah, or I mean, like right when it opened. Forty. I mean, it just takes a couple funky things, like you said, to happen, like a muffed punt or a, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? A, a Weird pick, pick six or turnover, yeah. fumble, you know, right, like on, in bad field position, position. And then, you know, both of these teams' defenses aren't incredible. And, and I think that even with some of the, the missing pieces on the offensive sides, both will probably be able to move the ball okay. So uh, Lions and Bears opening things up. For us on uh, Thanksgiving morning Anything else to say about this one before we move along Eric? I am going to do a DFS lineup Lions are his, have been bad against the running back So I mean I really think feel you need to include David Montgomery in all your DFS lineups If you're playing that Good We'll get a we'll get a little Montgomery uh, in uh, in a couple different uh, lineups on Thursday as we move along to the middle game of the day. This one goes at four thirty Eastern time, four thirty p.m. Eastern time. We've got the Raiders versus the Cowboys, and the Cowboys have laid big time eggs in two of their last three games. I mean, Eric, if you would have said before last week that the Cowboys held the Chiefs to nineteen points. You probably would have felt pretty good about the Cowboys' chances in that game, right? Yeah, for sure. And for they sure. they just offensively really struggled again. They only scored nine points last week. They uh, they it, what? And in a game they lost nineteen to nine. There were two really important things, uh, like kind of swings in the game, where the end of the first half, Dallas got a fumble from the Chiefs, and they had the ball at Kansas City's twenty-eight with twenty seconds left and two timeouts. And this is where the coaching and Mike McCarthy hurts them. Because they were they were in great position, Eric. They got a gift. They were sort of getting beat up a little bit, but they got an opportunity at the end of the half to get at least a free three. You're on the 28, 20 seconds left, two timeouts. No doubt you're getting a field goal out of this. And McCarthy, the offense just gets a first down, and they're kind of a little bit out of sync, and they have to kind of rush up to the line. And instead of just calling a timeout, making sure you have your next two or three plays all set up and everything ready to go, he just lets it go, and Dak 
plenty of fault to Dak. Dak threw a horrible, horrible ball that ends up getting intercepted. And not only does it cost them at least three points, possibly seven, because they would have had three or four, you know, they would have had at least three shots at the end zone with another timeout to stop the clock if they call the timeout there. And then at least they kick a field goal. And he throws an interception and CD Lamb ends up getting hurt. He comes he he misses the whole second half. They're already missing Cooper. So now a team that has perhaps the best group of wide receivers in the league is at the point where the your number one wide receiver is Michael Gallup, who's only been back for one week. And he's still not really, you know, firing in all cylinders yet. Then they cost themselves points once again. Um they uh later on they were down uh they cost themselves once again they gave up points they only had 4.3 yards per play they had three turnovers 0 for 2 in the red zone even with all of that they're only down 1 minute in the time of possession they lose this game by 10 points i mean dak didn't throw a touchdown two turnover worthy plays zero big time throws uh but he did have five wide receiver drops and five sacks to me the real the real big key for dallas this weekend this is probably going to be the biggest favorite if i'm telling you a side that i like that I would say to lay this year is this game because I think the major key for Dallas is the fact that their offensive line is going to be getting Tyron Smith back, who expects to play against the Raiders. He got hurt during Week Eight with in Minnesota, and he has not played since. So he was not around for those two of the last three games when they had complete no shows on the offense. The O line was having a really tough time with Chris Jones last week. He finished with seven total pressures, four sacks, three hurries. I. I've just been really dis- not disappointed, but I'm not surprised. We know what's happening with the Raiders. They look like they're a team that's just struggling to find themselves again. So at at seven, I didn't I wouldn't want to leave Lee um, lay more than seven. If you got under a touchdown, great. Up to seven and including seven, I'd still lay it here because I think Dallas bounced back and has a really good game because they still have a ton to play for. Everyone around them is losing. They still have a legitimate shot to battle for the number one seed there at seven and three overall. Um, I I can't remember the last time I've I've played a big chalk like this, but I might lay the seven with Dallas. Tell me why I'm wrong here, Eric, or if uh, if you agree. I was thinking that. I mean, the more and more I look, like you, I. Right now, I'm doing nothing in this game. Like, you kind of hit in the head. It has to do if the offensive lineman Smith is playing. That's the first factor for me. The three games he's been out, they have scored 16 points, 43 points, and 9 points. That comes out to their average in about 22. But that number And the 16 they scored was totally garbage in that Broncos game, too, right? Oh, for sure. Because it was all toward the end. They were down 30 to nothing. Yeah. And it was all kind of because it's miscued because of that and miscued because of the 43 against against the Falcons. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, another thing is this offense was kind of built on the three headed wide receiver monster. We have no idea if Amari Cooper is going to play. You look at CeeDee Lamb's splits. He is insanely more effective running in the slot than he is on the outside. He's been a little bit of a disappointment in fantasy, but that's been that's been and production wise. But that's due because he's running on the outside now because Gallup has been out. So when, he, when he's playing against better cornerbacks on the outside, he's not as effective. So that has a hindrance on the offense. Um, now you look at the Raiders. Since the bye, the Raiders are averaging a robust 14.3 points per game, which is god-awful. Um, this offense is a train wreck. This total is high at 51. I tend to lean under or maybe a first-half under in this game. Yep. But playing a number like this at a seven, 
just with the way I play, I can't do it. I mean, I can I can talk myself into laying a five and a half. Like I had in my head, if this was a five and a half, I was going to play under it. the touchdown. Yeah. For me, but, the the over the seven and a half was was where my breaking point is. And so again, this is like if you're looking, and it's hard because if you're looking at this on an NFL Sunday, a regular NFL Sunday, and there's 12, 15, 16 games, you're not going to be feeling like you need to jump in on it sometimes on these standalone games. And that's why you have to be more disciplined. Uh, so this, again, this wouldn't be my favorite game on the board, but if I was leaning aside, this would be one where I would just have a really hard case making the case for the, for the underdog that which you and I are always doing. We are always trying to make the case for the team that's getting seven or that's getting points in a situation like that. But the Raiders, I mean, they got absolutely dominated in time of possession, 37 minutes to 20 minutes, uh, 37, 20 to 22 minutes over 15. What was that? Seven, 15 plus minutes, uh, around 15 minutes of time of possession more for the Bengals. The Raiders had seven penalties for 77 yards, two turnovers. They were only one of seven on third down. They only had 72 total yards rushing. Carr was 19 for 27, 215 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Only nine of his completions out of 19 came for a first down. So he's back to that kind of dinking and dunking like he used to be. When Carr's at his best, he's actually uh, stretching the field, and they don't have that option as much without rugs around anymore. And it feels kind of gross every time you have to mention rugs in like a football sense because what he's done. But it just from like an analyzing the game sense, they are not as good of a football team. Without that guy there because he is someone that well, gives, you know. I really feel like, like, I I know I was low on him. I bet they're under total for for the season. Um, I believe you were kind of low on him, too. Yes. Yep. I think they just kind of overachieved and then. Completely agree. They've done this the a couple times in the last five years, right? At least twice yeah. in the last five years where they've done similar. They sort of overachieve early. You get a couple bounces. And then it's just the regression to the mean. And then you add that on top of the fact with all the stuff they've had off the field, you know, does regardless of if Henry Ruggs and John Gruden are good people or not, that completely don't think that they are. So we don't have to argue about that. But from a football sense, losing your head coach in the middle of the year, even though they got a little bit of a bump right after, that is something that's not easy to do. And then losing one of your major, major starting wide receivers on a team. That is Waller and then a bunch of other possession receivers and guys that can't stretch the field. That's hurt them. And I mean, they focus on Waller, get seven catches for 116 yards on eight targets. The rest of the team last week, they had less than 100 yards receiving. Yep. Yep. I mean, he's he's the only weapon they got. I mean, you're relying on Hunter Renford, who's nice, but he can't be like your main mm-hmm. wide receiver on the outside. Um, and that's also they had a nice solid veteran wide veteran offensive line group and now they're starting a bunch of young rookies that are over their heads which just goes back you got to build from the from the inside out and they they had it going the right way but Gruden and Mayak just changed course and this team's in a tailspin right now and I know my my boy Brad who's one of the sharpest guys I know he's heavily invested in a they won't win another game the rest of the year. He thinks they're just going to completely hit the they, shit. And they might. And that's sort of why I, me, why I look at if you were still able to get less than a touchdown, this sort of feels like Dallas is kind of one of those teams now. And, and the, honestly, the more I've talked with you over the last couple of years, I have weighed a lot more heavily on the offensive line injuries and how much that can completely change a team. Hell, every one of us saw it last year in the Super Bowl. 
what happens. That's yeah. the perfect case study right there. And people don't take the how big of a like don't take into account how big of a deal those offensive linemen are or the really good ones, especially this one. Like Smith for for Dallas is not only good, he's one of the best in the league, and his replacement there is really bad. So it's not even that he's just missing It's that the guy that The replacement, the options to replace him Are below Replacement level and really bad So if he's playing And he's fine throughout this game I think they're going to be able to move the ball a lot better They didn't run the ball that well last week And they got behind a little bit early So they couldn't really And when you don't have that offensive line there That you feel comfortable with You don't feel as good about the push that you're getting So yeah, I mean I just more than love ever loving to lay points with a team, especially a popular team like Dallas. Uh, you know, it's just like you said about the Raiders. I I would be I would not be surprised to see the Raiders really really struggle uh, in this home stretch. Now, I I I wouldn't either. I I'd be shocked. I'm kind of the more I talk to Brad, the more I'm agreeing with them. I don't think they're going to win another another game. But I'm I'm not playing it because I bet their season under total. So I'm just yeah. Sit back with and what just, I have you got you already got it. You got you got rooting interest. Exactly. So you got like you got action. <laughs> on, on but this. I mean, like like I said, like both offenses are kind of struggling. Yep. I would you know I would look to play the under, under. maybe the first the first half short, under because stuff week. toward yeah stuff toward the end of the game. Could stuff can get a little funky with like pick sixes or short or fumbles? Maybe a first half, first half under. I'm not even sure if they have those lines out yet. Out yet? Quite yet. We're recording on Monday night, so those probably will come out again, like maybe Wednesday, sometime maybe Wednesday or something, but a little later on in the week. But something. Well, it's at it's at twenty four and a half right now. I just okay. It's at twenty four and a half. If I if I could get it up to like a twenty five, a twenty six, I'd look at it. But right now, I'd probably go probably full a, game. Yeah, probably, I'd probably go. F- Full game because full game is at like 51 on Caesars. Let's get to the Bills versus the Saints. As the Bills are, are you seeing around four in this game? Uh, four, four and a half ish. Some Bills are a the book. Yep. four, four and a half point favorite on the road, uh, playing the New Orleans Saints. Over under in this game is 46 and a half. Bills, after that loss, they're now down to six and four, five, four and one against the spread this year. The Saints are five and five, five and five against the spread. They've now lost three games in a row. And the Bills, man, you, you, you sniffed this one out. You got the playoff revenge factor. You called it a couple weeks ago that. And it was before the, they lost to the Jags that there was something off with the Bills. You just kind of sniffed it out. And and when the schedule, you look at the Bills' schedule, it was not difficult. They had the Jets, the Jags, and the Colts, who are playing well, but they were set. They're a seven point favorite against them. It's not like that's a on paper the the most difficult uh, opponent in the world. Last week they had four first half possessions: interception, touchdown, fumble, miss field goal. The Colts had four possessions. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. Um, the Bills fumble set up a two-yard touchdown for the Colts to go up 24-7. to You know, they can't run the ball, the Bills, for like a really good football team that their defense got destroyed last week. But their defense has been a very good defense for a lot of this year. They But they can't run the ball at all. And that's always going to hurt them in games against good opponents, games where there's Bad weather games where things slow down Or maybe Allen's struggling a little bit He only had two carries for 18 yards They only had 11 running back carries Overall he's only had two carries In each of his last two games now Since the bye here's the Bills Beat Miami 26 to 11 They looked bad that week too 
That was not impressive whatsoever. They came back and lost nine to six to Jacksonville in week nine. They beat the Jets 45 to 17. Okay. And then they got destroyed by the Colts 41 to 15 last week. Next five games for the Bills. They've got this game, the Saints in this one, who they're struggling. We'll get to the Saints in a second. They play New England at home. Then they play at Tampa, Carolina, and at New England. Five teams that are all in the playoff hunt. Five teams that are all going to be battling. No Jets in there. No Dolphins in there. No None of the gimmies that they've had. That was the the second worst uh, pro football focus passing grade of the year for Josh Allen. He had five turnover-worthy plays, two interceptions. He did have five drop passes go against him, but he did not play well at all. And that defense for the Bills got absolutely destroyed against the run. They missed seven tackles. Uh, get to running backs they allowed 264 yards rushing Four touchdowns to Jonathan Taylor on the ground 5.7 yards per carry 46 total rushing attempts They had three different players on the Colts that had a run for over 18 yards Five players on the Colts even the backup quarterback had a run for for nine yards or over <laughs> and, and, Um they got dominated in the time of possession by over 15 and a half minutes, 37, 47 to 22, 13 for the bills. They had four turnovers, seven penalties for 76 yards. They were down by 31 points at one point in this game, 38 to seven. Eric, they got their asses kicked last week, man. They got to hand it to them. They got, they got to, they got their asses kicked. But like I said, like you do a deep dive on the bill's schedule. Um, I took the Colts. One of the factors was, Every time they've played a top 10 defense, they've lost. And Colts have a top 10 defense, they lost. Saints have a top 10 defense. So I'm I'm on the Saints plus four and a half here. Um, so that that led me to that. Also, like you mentioned, the Bills schedule. Let's take off for the Bills schedule. Let's take off the Dolphins, the Texans, and the Jets. They go from six and four to two and four. I mean, like they I think they're taking advantage of playing like some teams that just aren't that good. And I mean, like they're beating them fine, but you take those off, off the, um, off the record. It's really not that impressive of a record. Also, I like teams that run the ball. You know, I have a future I'm going to give out later and they're a team that's kind of figured it out. You have to be able to run the ball a, because it limits the other team. And it's just like, you're leaning on the defense and you're constantly giving the front four just body punch after body punch at the body punch which is going to lean on them. You have to have some sort of running game and you can't rely on Josh Allen to be running around trying to like make a play. It's almost like McDermott is trying to copy what the the Panthers had when he was the DC with Cam Newton. And yeah, that may work for a season, but long-term season after season after season, it's not going to work because everyone's going to get caught up on, to you. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I think the bills are kind of a little bit of a bluff. Now you look at the saints, you know, Peyton 71% as a home favorite. Um, you know, this he really doesn't lose many games in a row. You know, this is one of his longest losing streak of his career. Um, Superdome is going to be rocking. Um, I think Kamara is going to be coming back, so I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Also, I don't understand this. Did you see the, the Taysom Hill contract? What? And he's not playing? <laughs> like, it's like, like, what are you doing? Like, what is going on with that? That makes absolutely zero this sense guy is, to me. You, like, you, I was it, like, he's gone to like, bat for that dude for years, and we have wondered why, and sometimes like, he inserted him. 
when Drew, you have Drew Brees, and then now, right now, when you when you have Sevian, this would be the time to play Taysom Hill. Jameis got hurt. You could have him run the ball around a little bit, and you don't even put him in very much. It, it's really bizarre. And but here's the thing, him. and like I like I I I've said Trubisky's a decent level starting quarterback for a while, and. Well, especially with the level of play this year. (laughs) This year, though, that the best of the quarterbacks have been pretty mediocre. But you look at, like, the chaos that he had in Chicago, and he was able to get them to the playoffs twice. You put him with that defense and, like, a decent coach. Like, this team, like, could possibly be challenging the Bucs for that division down there. You know, or you trade for Tyrod Taylor or Marcus Mariota. The fact they just didn't make anyone when Winston went down was just astronomical to me. Um, Hill's going to have a $9 million pay hit. So you're paying Taysom Hill is basically a gadget player and a backup $9 million. What free agent, if you elect not to bring Winston back, are you going to be able to get down there? None. You know what I mean? I mean, the whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but in terms of a football sense, I just really like the Saints defense. Like, I really feel it's one of the better defenses in the league. I know they got beat up by the Eagles last week, but it's the funny Eagles run the, the Eagles, ball. We got to start the- giving the Eagles a little bit of credit, you know? That's the thing. Well, because well, you're right. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Like, I told you I was going to give you a, a future. Like, the Eagles are the future I locked in. So, I mean, that, that I, got, yeah. I got some mind. Dude, last week, stats. they I'm had be rounded off. 50, they ran the ball 50. New Orleans is the number one defense last week against uh, the Ren DVOA going into yeah. the week, and this and the Eagles ran the ball fifty times for two hundred and forty-two yards, four point eight yards per carry on fifty rushes, and yep. um, they had three touchdowns. They had three different rushers over sixty yards, three different rushers with at least a long of eighteen, including Jordan Howard. Who's not even yeah. like someone that you think of as breaking long runs. So they are running the ball really, really well right now. And a lot of the year I've kind of been down on Philly or I've played a lot against them a lot of times. And you know what? They are really, really running the ball well. And I want to give, I'm going to probably come out of that game taking it more as Philly is a dominant run team right now. And and Hertz, Hertz is really running the ball well. He makes the right decisions. He's smart. Um, and you know, they're they've got a young coach. That people, some people kind of laugh at. He's a little goofy over there, Sirianni. He's wearing his uh, 76ers Iverson jerseys, and he's. He, do you watch Succession? I've never even heard of Succession. To be okay, honest. it's a show on. <laughs> it's a show on uh, on HBO. And if anyone out there watches it, he kind of reminds me of Kendall Roy. He's this main character, one of the main characters, and he's a, the son of this like billionaire, and he just like. He's like rapping all the time and he he thinks he's so hip and he's always telling people how cool it kind of reminds me of Sirianni and kind of a he's kind of a dork, but he's been he's done a really good job recently. He really has. It's like he's figured something out with this team and they've beaten some and been very competitive with some some solid opponents. So I'm going to give Philly. We're talking a lot about Philly and kind of lead will lead into a little more. You talking about them when we finish up here. But as far as the Saints are concerned, what, what I think. Have noticed with them and I don't know if it's Maybe because Peyton is looking around going okay My defense is really good I just Want to be like kind of Conservative and and then in a situation Where I'm not Losing the game but the problem Is that he's done that the last couple Weeks and because he's been so passive Early in the game they've just gotten down Anyways and and it and they've Gotten down too like too far Because last week to start the game Punt 
Interception, punt, punt, touchdown, punt, punt, pick six, end of the half. They were down 27 to seven. Yep. And then you're just done. Like it, you can't come back from that. They actually did really well. They were making, and what's funny is they're, so the first two possessions to start the game, pump and a, uh, you know, and the f- first two possessions to start the second half, punt and then a fumble. Now they're down 33 to seven. Then they score points on four p- consecutive possessions. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown They're making a legitimate comeback And it's the very beginning of the fourth quarter And it's fourth and seven at the Philly 10 And they make a decision to kick a field goal there And I know it's fourth and seven is kind of hard But you probably got to go for that there Because at the very least you, you back them up And you make them have to go the length of the field But they kick the field goal And so they're down 33 to 22 Instead of you know, maybe 33 to 25 or 26. And then you're right in the game because you knew, you know, it's going to happen right after that. When you end up only kicking a field goal, Philly gets the ball. They drive right down the field, nine plays, 74 yards in three minutes and 15 second, seconds. They make it 44 20 and then they put the game out of reach. But they didn't stop. It's just they got to kind of figure out a, a way to not be down so much early. He's got to be a little more aggressive. He's got to open up the playbook a little bit more. That doesn't mean you have to. To take a 50 yard shot down the field But maybe that's where you bring Taysom Hill in For some one of those Plays that you love That you've got this guy running all the time And you're paying him for you, Like you, This is a point where he He's always gotten too cute When he's had really good teams Eric And now that he doesn't have quite as good Of a team on offense He has to get more cute I can't believe I'm yeah. actually asking for him to get that way But that's what he needs to do right now Exactly and also like we have to remember, I think he's going to get um, whatchamacallit back, um, Kamara back, which and that's is going to open up the playbook. Oh, yeah. And some sometimes games are won the week before. You look back, now I know it's in garbage game. The Cowboys were getting their asses kicked by the Broncos, but McCarthy, I'll give him credit, he kept his starters in. They got 16 late points. They kind of got a little momentum going into the game. And the Saints did the last the same thing against the Eagles. They scored 22 points in that fourth quarter. So at least you got a little bit momentum going into the short week. I mean, I'd much rather lose a game like the Saints did than lose a game like the Bills did. And I mean, if you figure they're not, the Bills aren't going to be able to figure out their run defense to stop Ingram, and then hell, no chance of stopping Kamara on the short week. There's not going to be enough time to piece together new packages in only a span of three days. So you factor in the defense, the run game of the Saints, and I just trust Peyton. I mean, statistically, as a home dog, Peyton's 71% against the spread. I will take that all day. I locked him in at plus four and a half, and I sprinkle on the money line plus 180 as well. Those are your three Thanksgiving Day games. I'm also going to be on New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans, so look for the best number that you can find. Uh, four and a halfs are out there, I believe. Uh, so if that's the one that you can find, take that. And uh, probably also a little bit of a, a money line sprinkle as uh, Thursday. Very, uh, intriguing because, like I said, we have all of these teams coming off of a loss, all six of them, and four of them. This is important because they are still battling hell. Even the Raiders, for all that that you and I said, and we do think they're done. I mean, I, I would be surprised to see them play well if they win this game. They're right back in the playoff hunt. They are still in the playoff hunt at five and five. If they win this game and they go to six and five, they're right there. So everyone's still alive, uh, you know. And so many teams on both sides are still alive. It's just the uh, probably the Lions and the Bears. You'd you'd imagine are uh, are probably are the 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 only two that are basically out of it. Basically, the Texans, the Jaguars, 
There's Lions. yeah, <laughs> there's not too many. Hell, hell, the our, our, our football team, that Washington football team, man, they're kind of sneaking back in. They're playing pretty well um, yeah. right now. They're coming off of back-to-back games where they were, you know, big dogs, and they won those games outright. Dogs of more than a field goal in both games, won them straight up. So a couple games that you may have looked at on the schedule and, and thought, okay, they're probably not going to yeah. win that game. Even the uh, Falcons are still in it somehow. They know? are, and, <laughs> so. and I th- and like the Panthers who lost last week, they if you look at some of like I think the Panthers and the Falcons play each other again, so one of those two teams is going to win. The Vikings are the number six seed right now, yeah, which is hilarious. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really fun towards the bottom of the playoffs to see how things fit, hey, even at the top, because again, we, I mean, who's who's the best team right now, Eric? Like you don't the know. car, like the, I will say. I have been pretty impressed with what the Cardinals have done in a couple of the weeks without Murray. Um, you know, like yeah. the fact that they've, I, I figured that oh, we both played against them. I figured with Colt McCoy, Hopkins out, those were probably going to be losses for them. But as much as we give him crap, he deserves right now to win coach of the year, Cliff Kingsbury. Oh, for sure. Uh, for, for because sure. those two games are the ones that I think would bump him up, like doing it for a few games without Kyler. And if Kyler's healthy, they're probably like in that top tier. I mean, Green Bay is probably in the top tier. Like a lot of those AFC teams, man, who do you trust in the AFC? I don't trust anyone in the AFC. Anybody. I mean, like anybody I, right now. I'm the biggest Cardinals guy, not Cardinals Chargers guy. And don't get me wrong, I had the Steelers on Sunday night. Like, I thought there was no way in hell the Steelers were going to come back and cover that game. Me too. In the and it was great. But I'll gladly take it. Ravens are a walking injury. Bills, God only know what they're going to do. Chiefs, hit and miss every single week. I mean, it's just a complete. Bengals, young, Burrow is a injury waiting to happen. Baker I know, the Patriots are, they've been yeah. playing well, but they're going to come back to life a little bit too. They're not that yeah. good. Like, their defense is good and stuff, but they're not, like you said, Baker. He Like, Baker, we have question marks about how good Baker is, you know, when he's completely healthy. And and this year he's not. So how do like if he's not healthy, he's not gonna. They're not going anywhere. Um. So yeah, man, this is this is really really wide open as much as it's been. Like the Chiefs are playing well right now, but it is not their offense. As soon as their defense started playing a little bit better, their offense is not playing that well at all. Yeah. So yeah, and so talk about the Eagles a little bit. Uh, You said so. Yeah, the future. What I did, I locked in the Eagles at plus seventy five hundred to win it all. And I really figure, like, I look at stuff in sequences of four. The last four games, I fi- I really figure, I figure they have figured it out running the ball and how they can use the size of their big boys up front to just constantly give the defense just gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. And that eventually, for 60 minutes of football, that just wears on you. The last four games, they're averaging 217 yards per game rushing while rushing the ball on an average, 43.75 times per game. By doing that, they're averaging 34 minutes of time of possession and averaging 34 and a half games over the last four games. I'm not the biggest Hurts guy in the world, but by running the ball, they're taking pressure off him. His completion percentages in this span is up to 63%, and he only has one INT. Also during this time, the, the defense is on the field much less They're only giving up 18.7 points per game and only 326 yards per game. With that, with what they're doing, I really feel the only thing that can stop them right now 
is if they get behind and a young coach panics mm-hmm. and he stops running the ball. I really feel at 75 to one with the NFC being completely wide open and it being such a high number, if there is a situation, this is such an easy hedge out. To make a profit, it totally makes sense to play. Dude, they're there's and when you look at their schedule, they played all of their tough games already. They played yep. the 49ers at the Cowboys, they played the Chiefs, they played at the Panthers, they played the Bucks, they played at the Raiders, they played the Chargers, they played at Denver and the Saints. All of the toughest games, every one of the toughest games on their schedule, they've already played. Here's who the Eagles have left. Week 12 at the Giants. Week 13 at the Jets. Week 14, a bye. Week 15, the Washington football team. Week 16, at home. Week 16, home again against the Giants. Week 17, at the Washington football team. Week 18, home against Dallas, who, you never know, might be in a situation where they're sitting players also. Because maybe they're a game ahead of, if they play continue to play well, maybe they're a game ahead of Philly or who knows. And maybe that's a situation where it's not going to be the most difficult game. I mean, dude, Eric, that's a great schedule for them down the stretch. Oh, yeah. I love the schedule and what, what they're doing. And, like, I really feel like, like I said, like Sirianni is the only one that can kind of, like, go against the script right now because they've really figured it out. Like, hey, let's run the ball. Let's use our leverage up front because they have one of the better offensive lines in the league in my in my eyes. You know, unless, like, a cast, like a big injury to one of those guys happens, like, I think they're in a great position. To really make some noise. And so like, give us the, num- the numbers on this again one more time that you got it at. I got plus 7,500. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of ways you can play this. So you can play them to make the playoffs. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I, there are a couple games behind Dallas. So to catch Dallas, it might be a little difficult because they're, they've, they're five and six right now. So as far as like division stuff, that might be a little hard to make up that much ground on the Cowboys. Especially the Cowboys have the Raiders coming up this week And, and that, that's probably a, a victory for them But as far as like making the playoffs And like Futures like Eric said to win it all Who this is the type of year where Who scares you Nobody nobody is terrifying There is no, if Team gets hot at the right time Could be like a the Atlanta Braves In baseball this year you get a team in the middle Of the season with a young coach With some young weapons that that are Figuring it out the thing about Philly too for all of the last few years is even in the years where they've underachieved and they've struggled and Wentz was there and he got hurt and this and that uh you know a lot of things happen they had a lot of injuries for Philly it was never a th- like a they don't have any talent type thing it was just they were hurt they were obviously kind of the, at the end of the rope for that staff there for some of their the the, the coaching staff and some of the executives Wentz was not in the best of spots and and he he just kind of needed a, a fresh start somewhere else. So there was a lot of stuff happening, but I never thought of them as a team that didn't have talent, Eric. It was just ah, they're hurt, they're banged up, they can't put it all together. And now they've gotten hot at the right time in a year where people want to talk about the Patriots now. Everybody wants to say the Chiefs are back. Nobody's talking about the Eagles as even a team to look to get into the playoffs and look at how close they are right now. Well, I mean, like you look at it like I'm not the Cardinals are a game up. They have a million injuries. Packers, their backup left tackle Jenkins just got hurt. So that means they're gonna be starting a third stringer now. And Rodgers is talking line. about his and toe then, stuff, you know. Uh, yep, at his toe. Cowboys have like we talked about the Cowboys early with what's going on with them. 
Buccaneers, they have holes in the back four. Brady struggles in pressure. Your Rams struggle they've been, with physicality. They've laid a, they've really laid a couple eggs. The, ball enough. the Vikings could be t- nine and one or ten and zero oh or one and nine, and they're five and five. And plus, <laughs> they play the Ram, the Forty ers this week. So, so one, some, of them, one of them is losing. One of them's losing. You got the Saints right there. Saints play the Bills. They could easily lose that game. And the Eagles own the tiebreaker over the Panthers. So, I mean, I think they're in a great position. Like I said, like, if it gets down to the last game and the Cowboys are resting people, Eagles are the favorite, you can easily hedge out of this, like, since it's such a big number multiple times and be able to lock in profit. Some of the teams that are right behind them also – that uh that end up this week in in coming up in week twelve they play care like I said Carolina and Atlanta they play each other too you mentioned San Francisco uh, coming up you mentioned San Francisco and uh, Minnesota they play each other so they all they have to do is just take care of these games where they're they're going to be favored in a lot of those games left down the stretch maybe everyone like- except for the if Washington continues to play well then like. Maybe not the not the at Washington, but probably all the other games they're favored. Oh, easily going to be favored. Though they're favored three and a half, probably three and a half at the Jets. Probably be laying. I don't even know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Probably laying. They'll be laying points. What do you think? Four, four and a half against the Washington. All oh, that kind of depends on what's going on. But I mean, the yeah. next two weeks. In a, in a few weeks with Washington, yeah. like we'll see if Washington plays well over over a couple weeks, and maybe the first time they play each other, you know what what happens in that game will will maybe dictate the the second. But they, wow, they have that's a great a, schedule. They, they do, have a man. Great schedule. They're in a great position. They have an identity five. now. Yep. They run the ball. They, this is. Yep. They remind me a lot right now, and they struggled a little more earlier in the year, but they kind of remind me of of Baltimore. When Lamar took over Sort of at the end of the year The Ravens a couple years ago And then the year after I think what they go 14-2 and two And dominated And then yeah they didn't play well in the playoffs They kind of laid an egg Lamar had tr- trouble throwing But they kind of remind me With that momentum they're building And it's like hey You know what we're going to do We're going to run the ball right at you Yep And that's all they're doing And they have a cycle of backs They go through it Hurts in the span That's another thing He's only averaging 19 passes a game They're not making him throw the ball at all, which for him is good. You know what I mean? Because I don't really trust him as a passer. I mean, I really like what they're doing. I think their defense, how they play defense, you know, they have Slay, a lockdown corner, they able and they're able to create pressure without blitzing. I mean, I the more the more I like this, the more I'm talking myself into laying more money on it. And we're talking about the Eagles, and uh, we're finishing up with our uh, our Thanksgiving Thursday NFL thoughts. Eric, what do you what's your schedule this week for some of your shows, and uh, and what are you going to have coming out? Um, I don't think I'm doing a podcast. This is I'm taking the my nephews to the Chippewas and Eastern Michigan game on Friday, so I don't think I'm going to have a podcast. Nice, awesome. So, but, but I think I'll you are you're uh, going to join us on Thursday I'll be morning. You guys, a morning inches, and then Sunday morning for fourth and inches too. Awesome. Yep. So Thursday morning, we will be there. I think both Thursday and Sunday will be 11 a.m. Eastern time because Thursday, the games start at 1230 and then uh, Sunday, the normal uh, one o'clock Eastern time for the game. So we'll we'll probably keep the same time just to make it consistent. We'll go uh, set you up. So we'll know a little bit more. Remember, Eric and I are recording this Monday night. We'll know a little bit more early Thursday morning as to what's going to happen in those three Thursday games. We'll give you a couple thoughts on DFS. I'll definitely be locking in a few lineups there. Probably on uh, over on DraftKings and uh, Eric. Uh, look forward to uh, talking to you in a few days. Hope you have a nice couple of days. I know your family's around, so uh, take care, Uncle Eric, and have fun with the with the little one running around. 
hey, you know what? Still alive and kicking, so I got to be doing something, man. You know, no, Ass. no, ma- no major ones got hurt. You know, <laughs> exactly. So exactly. you know, I'm, I'm doing something right. You're doing well. <laughs> uh, oh, awesome stuff, buddy. Thanks so much for helping out, and uh, we'll talk in a couple days on uh, on Wednesday night and go through the rest of the uh, Sunday slate. All right, sounds good. Okay, folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to continue on uh, with plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Sense for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. Get promo code 10 All natural soy wax candles and that promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Holidays are coming up, folks. You, you're looking around. You need some gifts for friends, for family. You're not quite sure. A couple candles are the perfect thing. You can let them know these are not just any candles. They are different. They are unique. They are healthier for you. That soy wax is going to be longer burning. It's going to be a healthier, better scent. You got your friends. You got your family around. You got your kids. You got your animals. You don't want them all breathing in those toxins, those carcinogens, those pollutants. None of that with Sarah Candle. Candles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com, and the promo code G-I-N-O will get you 10% off your purchase. We move along to our Deep Dive Eternals, the newest Marvel MCU installment, the movie that we've been hearing about for a while, this grand epic movie that takes us back to the beginning the genesis really of the MCU and spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert Tim Kelly joins me we are going to go scene by scene we deep dive into this movie unlike any recap or review you will find we go through everything things we like things we didn't we introduce you to all of the new characters here we give you a little re, uh, a little uh, information about all of them who they are some of their powers what uh, you know what we liked what we wish could have been different maybe they could have done a done this it's it's tough right you have a new movie you're trying to introduce all these new characters at once what did we like what did we not it's our deep dive into Eternals. Tim Kelly joins me, kick back, as we go into everything and nerd out. We are recording this early in the morning on November the 21st, so about a week, a uh, week and a half after Eternals has come out, and you will probably end up hearing this uh, a day or two after we record. Tim Kelly joins me, and I have not asked Tim Anything at all about his feelings on this movie We just said that we were going to record We didn't talk pre-show, we didn't text about it At all, no thoughts whatsoever So TK, right off the bat I mean this is, I'd say in This is probably the most Polarizing of the MCU movies Because right now the MCU is Much different than where it was When any of the former movies came out That might have been not as well received So give it to us straight What did you think of Eternals right off the bat? Well, uh, it's funny that you just said polarizing. That's pretty much the only thing we texted each other about, about this uh, this movie. Uh, I really wanted to talk to you about it because it's so polarizing. Personally, it didn't quite land for me. Um, I got to be quite honest. Uh, I know we were a little bit critical uh, of Shang-Chi last time, although we both liked that movie uh, quite a bit. And I rewatched it on Disney Plus and liked it even more uh, uh, from the comfort of my own home. Uh, go figure. Uh, but... Um, Eternals, it, it had its moments. It had moments where it really 
uh, brought me in and I, and I thought I was gonna like, and I thought I was going to really click with it, but overall it just didn't quite jibe for me. Uh, and that's, that's okay. I, I appreciate the big swing and there were a lot of things that I really liked about this movie. Uh, but I think we feel exactly the same. Yeah. We feel like really similar, you know, like I appreciate a lot of it. I like the idea of it. I like a lot of pieces of the movie. It just mm-hmm. the, the, like the song, like individually characters, I, 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 things I like about the characters, things I like about the certain scenes here and there, but I think putting it all together, the flow of the movie, it, it just yeah. didn't flow, you know? Um, I, I think, they were trying it, it's it was such an ambitious undertaking right they were trying to introduce 10 11 12 kind of new characters in one movie in two and a half hours give us a little bit of their stories this is not really something we've seen i i had read and kind of look, listening through other people's recaps and you know and reviews and stuff it sort of would have been like if you just started with avengers right yeah and we didn't and get tough. the backs Stories of anybody else coming in You know we would have an idea Of who most of these people are But I think in this Movie too that the the Parts that I like the most are the again When things are the most grounded I thought You know like when they're putting the team together Kind of figuring out who Everybody is I thought uh, You know Kumail's character is absolutely Hilarious he kind of brings the the life And the the comedic Um you know, which you kind of didn't get enough of in this movie. I thought, like for Marvel movies, MCU movies, we usually get a lot of that humor. This movie, I think, was trying to take itself a little too seriously in parts. It felt like a DC movie at times, and again, that was something oh, absolutely. I, yep, I I enjoyed about it. I liked that they were going for you know this uh, uh, gods on Earth kind of take. I liked that they were they were uh, cribbing from. Uh, Kubrick in 2001 a space odyssey And it, they felt like they were dealing with uh, I felt like they were dealing with very big Ideas high concept Stuff but you're right they just didn't Have the the, the groundwork Of like the individual movies Or the backstories they tried to Cram a lot in there and then yeah it Ended up feeling a little bit disjointed Disconnected um, And the cutting back and forth didn't Quite work for me I felt like it, it was um, Especially early on in the film I was I was thrown off by it a little bit. I was confused. Um, and I, I want to be challenged by Marvel movies and by movies in general. Uh, and that's something that I would like Marvel movies to do more is to kind of break outside the box. And uh, and I just don't know that it, it totally worked when they went to do it this time. This is one of those movies that I think after we see Eternals 2 and after we see them, some of these Eternals show up in other projects, I think we'll probably look back on one and on this movie with like a little more fondly. And it's not even that I think it's the, the movie's bad. It's just in a comparison, right? That's kind of the world that we're living in when we're, when these MCU movies comes out, we start comparing them to all the other MCU movies. And I wouldn't say this was my least favorite or anything. I would say it's definitely towards the bottom like half, probably bottom, like third or so. But I, in the in the in the same sense that you know there are some things that didn't hit for me. I I do very much agree with you in that. I appreciate a lot of the swings that it took, and I yeah. want them to continue to take some of those big swings. Like I really love when they do things like uh, basically hint that a lot of these superheroes were, uh, you know, 
were responsible for major events throughout history. I love that kind of thing. You know, we saw it in Loki in the series. We saw it in Shang-Chi, you know, um, and now we saw it a lot here how basically the Eternals were responsible for all of these booms in technology, all of these like huge moments throughout history. I I think that, you know, that's kind of really cool. Uh, Some of the things that I really didn't love about this, this particular movie. One, I think this is another case where like the monsters. So, the deviants to me, I don't know if it was the look. I, they kind of maybe looked a little sloppy or almost like unfinished, sort of. Um, and I did like the scope of the difference. Be- like when Arishem will come in and you see how massive he looks, kind of reminds you of the Watcher and the the sets of eyes they have. I did appreciate some of the the massive scope and how they're trying to give you that idea of how. Sort of insignificant we all are From a a, when they kind of stack Them up to the humans and then the Eternals and then the Celestials and then You know um, So so there are plenty of things in this movie That I think are positive and pick out from It just it felt like Things start happening the the big Battles you know you get to that climax that Third act and a lot Of the, the major characters motivations I don't think we understood very much at that point. Like Icarus, what he's doing, uh, Sprite, what she's doing. It's it's kind of we're in our heads. We're going really, and I think it's because we didn't get to see enough from these characters to understand what they were going to do or why they would do certain things. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like we were just introduced to these characters and their dynamic, and then they kind of throw a curveball in the middle of the movie and and a twist on it. And we're supposed to have our whole worlds upended, but it's just like we just found out about these guys, and then now we're finding finding out that they're different. So there's not a whole lot of weight to it, you know. Like, uh, you know, spoiler alert: when Icarus kind of turns out to be the the, the big bad of this movie, uh, that's there's not a whole lot of weight to that because we haven't grown to love and appreciate Icarus. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think maybe that would have been something if we had more time to go into their backstories and they really tried to cram a lot in there. I mean, we're, we're jumping across time periods, uh, and, and seeing all these different cultures historically, uh, which I, uh, again, like I thought that was cool. That's got that, like you were kind of pointing out that like Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, kind of like historical revisionism. That's, that's fun stuff. I like to, to, to to see that and to experience that in my stories um although there is a you know a double double-edged sword there where i felt like some of the swings in that regard were a total miss uh they took a little bit of heat for the hiroshima scene uh later on in the in the film that that was a little bit heavy-handed and maybe a little bit i don't know cheesy and inappropriate to to do you you get what they were going for right the the idea of like look at what we've put into the hands of people but that just seemed a little bit i don't know tone deaf maybe yeah Um, that's a blunt way to put it yeah exactly it was a tone deaf scene um let's talk a little bit about the people that we were introduced to so i think initially there were actually supposed to be 12 eternals that we were going to be introduced to in this movie they end up cutting down to 10 and i you know that probably not not that I even have a I like all of the characters right I, I think they all they're all unique they all have their own individual powers they all bring something to the table but I don't know if we needed to meet them all right off the bat in this first movie I think yeah. which with the way that this movie ends where we have a couple of this this initial group going to find more I think we could have maybe been better off if we had six or eight in this movie to start 
And then we start bringing in more You know two at a time or In in different movies uh, here and there Because it just felt like some of these Characters like Cersei for example which I thought uh, right off the bat I thought was hilarious When you know in the first few scenes We've got you know Jon Snow There calling her Cersei you know and she's And she's dating uh, freaking uh, Rob Stark you know and they're calling her Cersei I'm just laughing you know anything That was related to that but She is Basically like the You know the main character Um, She is the one who is Empowered to be the leader of this group of Eternals when their prior leader The uh, Ajax who's played by Sarah, uh, Selma Hayek when she dies So Cersei is She just comes off very real I actually I I sort of like What they're, they wanted to do with her as a character Because she doesn't seem like a Superhero at all she just seems like a Very regular person who Dealing with a lot of emotions And she loves humanity But she is Sort of you know like the Jean Grey Someone who is the most powerful When when you can unlock That power that she has And that's sort of what we see from her Throughout the movie kind of understanding The scope of and like What she really can do And she is the one who When it all kind of is said and done Sort of leads the uh, the charge to To save humanity to stop the Emergence and she's the one that Kind of flips a lot of the group in in realizing that hey What they were set out to do they cannot do Anymore so I like her I just think if people Were to say that she, her character Was boring is the wrong word But just kind of like subdued Not there wasn't a whole lot of flash To her that's kind of What you'd feel and that's a little bit different For someone who's sort of the leader Of the group yeah And I mean well to, to that point I, I think like they're missing a little bit of depth within these characters. Uh, like depth I, is the perfect word. You're absolutely right. Layers I, to the right. It's, what what is one idiosyncrasy for her character? I I, no, I didn't walk away with anything that like told me anything about her character besides the the broad notes that were essential to the very story. Very much the same, right? Like that's that's what happens with with a, a huge uh, ensemble like this when you have uh, you know. A, Granted, a very long movie. It's like two uh, hours and 40 minutes long, pretty much. Uh, but that's still not enough time to to throw all these characters into such a huge uh, time period and then really get a milk good, uh, real human stuff out of it. You know, I, I, it's been done. It's possible. But uh, with that many characters to try to ha- have the focus so spread out, it, it's tough. We get to uh, Richard Madden playing Icarus, who is basically – their version of Superman He can fly, he can shoot out of his eyes He's got the super strength And of this group of Eternals Through the years when they were together He was always The sort of unspoken like, Ajax was the leader of them But he was always you know, Like the most powerful The one that was the, the, the one who would Be able to win the battles The most aggressive And the thing with him is and and these are like really great actors. Like yeah. he's it just came off like a very bland most of the time. I know he gets a couple like comedic lines. The ones a couple of when they're at the table. The one about the vibranium when he when he kind of bunches through it. And it, there are moments there that you see, you know. But I don't know how much I really believed in their love story. We got some little clips of it. We we didn't. I mean, it felt like there were a couple scenes missing. Of of his where we would actually See him doing some Things that were kind of evil To at least let us know the audience Because 
We don't even know for most of the movie that this guy's a bad dude. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you can you can sense something is off with him, but then all of a sudden he kind of turns and I don't this is to me very similar to what they did in Shang-Chi in that like they're setting up these bads and then all of a sudden at the very end they kind of flip it and like, "Oh yeah, this is really the big bad." And then his motivations at the end change again. I didn't it didn't yeah. seem very consistent to me and I think that was because we didn't get enough of that love story maybe that we needed to get a little bit more of between the two of them. We got uh, spoiler alert, a sex scene that was about 4 seconds for the first time ever in the MCU that wasn't even really like a good or passionate or right. um I, I agree with the door depth, you know, for him too. This guy was great in Game of Thrones. He's really good in, in everything that he's done and I think some of these uh the performances, you almost like look at the actors and you start questioning what they do because they just felt a little bit hollow. And it's not because of the performance. I think it's just because of what was given to these characters in this movie was not a whole lot. And then it's, oh, let's come together for the big the big battle scene. Yeah, it, it just it comes down to the thing. It, it just didn't culminate into anything really worthwhile, I, I think. That's that's the that's the big kind of disappointment in, in this is there's a lot of elements that are strong a lot of great ingredients here uh to work with but it, they just don't mine them uh for enough uh enough substance uh and so it's it kind of feels a little bit flat and it's a shame because like you said there's so much talent here on screen um you've got chloe zhao who's uh doing a, gr- a great job uh directing but it's just i think the the project that they're undertaking is is a little too unwieldy. I don't know if the scope of this film uh, makes sense for uh, uh, you know a single film. You're right. Uh, maybe it's more it's more suited for uh, a TV series. Hundred yeah, percent. Right, an episode per. You could just totally get the form out of it. You start each ep- each episode. You do one or two characters. You know, and you and you tell their stories. It felt like very expensive TV to me yes. at, at times, and yes. that was a little bit disappointing too because yeah. it didn't quite get that that impact that I get emotionally when I'm binge watching prestige TV, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it didn't land for me as as a movie. So it just kind of you know didn't work overall. But it did feel connected to the MCU in its own way, and it added to that. And like we were kind of saying in a previous podcast. Now we're almost becoming conditioned to look at MCU stuff from the perspective of this is an MCU thing. It's its own like medium, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe maybe that's being a little too charitable as fans that we're like giving it extra points for like, well, it's an MCU film. So we have to judge it on its own scale. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm always going to look at something as what it is. This is a theatrical. It has to be an individual and and part of a greater whole. You know, and if it's just part of a greater whole and doesn't stand up as well individually, then I mean, that's hard. You can't, you're never going to be able to introduce new fans, new people if that's the case. So, you know, you have, it's hard because you have to try to be able to, there's a lot of boxes you have to check with something like this. And I think this is another one where we've been hearing about this movie for a while. We've been hearing the buildup about this movie for a while. The, the, the scope, how this is going to introduce a whole bunch of new things, how, um, the look of this is going to be This is a best picture type movie So I think a lot of people got really Really pumped, really excited And they probably went in with super heightened Expectations and It's, I mean this is the genesis story For Marvel, so maybe You know, Good thinking point. about it in, at that, in that perspective, 
it can't always be the most exciting because they're just telling the story of how things all began and came together. Uh, let's continue on with a couple of the uh, the characters, and then we'll get into our uh, our deep dive. So we have Sprite, who I mean, I didn't really like the Sprite character all that much. I got to say, it's it's a, a character who can project illusions and has the physical appearance of a child. This is basically Tinkerbell in Peter Pan, and. We There's an Easter egg, I think, alluding to that too. I, I believe uh, I, I saw something on, on my research about this, where there's this one quick frame uh, that uh, shows uh, her as Tinkerbell, like whispering in the author's ear. Or Is something. it Houdini? I think it was Houdini or something, right? Whispering into his, so yeah, something that, like that. That's um, that, a few of those things I think yeah. throughout the film. Something with, with uh, Tinkerbell as well, if I'm not mistaken. So with her, I don't. You know, I don't know what Same thing with her, we know that she's in love With Icarus, she's infatuated with Icarus And she wants to be a A, a real person She is sort of uh, Frustrated and bound by the point That she looks like a child She's never gotten to grow up into An adult's body, and so she's With a bunch of adults all over But she still looks like a child So on, on the most basic sense She doesn't even really get to experience what the rest of them do and she's never got to experience those human emotions, and that's what she wants. So, I mean, I was I was left. She was probably one of my least favorite of the characters uh, in the movie. I think that we just at the end she decides to go with Icarus, and then <laughs> she's not. She's kind of just taken out very easily by Druig, and then she's kind of back helping them again. And then at the end, it's kind of all forgotten. They they you know Cersei turns her into a human. I didn't. I don't know. I just felt sort of unsatisfied with her character so far. I it, we mentioned earlier, maybe we could have trimmed it down a little bit. I would have absolutely cut this character and probably a few of the others too. Yep. Um, yeah. Didn't do anything for me. And maybe no. I, I, like if this were a TV series, like we could go into it and and really appreciate it. But to me, it was just a distraction, and it didn't add anything to it uh, for me. Uh, nope. It just yeah. It was. It was I wanted to see more of Fastos. I, I like Fastos quite a bit. Um, he's the weapons and technology inventor, and mm-hmm. he's the first superhero to ever be depicted as gay in an MCU film. But it's not like it's so subtle. The only it, it's not like we're getting scenes of him going after guys or anything like that. That's why it's such a a, a tiny thing in this movie. We just see him with his family. He's ha- he has a husband and he has a kid, and. and that- it's really progressive, I think, too. It's just it's just part of the the fabric of this. Exactly, world. we're not they're not hitting you over the head with it, you know. Yeah. Um. It's just it's just part of the world, and he's he is the person who was really disappointed throughout history because he always wanted to help people by giving them, providing them with technology, providing them with the ability to grow and um, and to spring forward. But every time he would do that. He would see what what humanity would do with the technology they would provide. Provide it would lead to wars, to death, as you mentioned the uh, the atomic bomb. And so he is decided. You know what? I don't even. He he's got a family. He has found a love in humanity, but he's it's kind of like I'm out of the game now. You know, he's not. He's not. He's trying to be um, at home with his family, just living that calm life. But it's it's a weird thing too. I, I think in the story there, it, and it's not explained because he literally goes from renouncing humanity and saying they're not worth saving or whatever to to, and cut to 
with a family, a human it's like family. There's a scene missing right there, right? Like him falling in love, him finding. Him, where's the meet cute, right? Where, <laughs> where, where did he meet that guy? Like we we yeah, should have I, seen I, them. I I, I I don't get like how like well, how did he go back to to loving and appreciating uh, human beings? That, that seems like a big shift there from from being totally done with humanity uh, to then uh, you know going all in on a human life. And that, I think. Me, we will get all of these stories that we're talking about. The problem is, is that we probably should have gotten them before, or yeah. in some way, in this movie, in a in a show, like a lot. That's what's hard about a movie like this, where everybody comes together. And if they come together and you don't know who they are individually, that's what you're thinking about the whole time. You're thinking right. about things that you shouldn't be thinking about. Like you're watching Icarus, and you're you're thinking things like, "What is he doing this and that?" And you're not. Like seeing the whole movie come together I think this is another one where you see it multiple times It probably you feel better about it Because that first time Or even the second Like there's so much happening You're trying to keep track uh, Of yeah. everything going on You know I do uh, I think that I'll uh, I have suspected since watching this That I'm going to enjoy this movie more If I give it another shot Me too And me I'm too. planning on watching it again Because uh, like, like we both agreed Like there's parts of it that we like uh, maybe rewatching it will will make us appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, maybe we're just not quite used to such a radically different uh, swing from Marvel, and that's kind of what's throwing us off. I suspect, though, that uh, you know, this is just not a perfect movie. <laughs> Ult- that's it. No, that's honestly what it is. It is. It's yeah. It's it's there's there's holes in it, and right. um, we uh, let's see. Lauren Ridloff was Macari, so she is the one that can move at superhuman speed. She is the first deaf superhero, and we don't. She's in the movie not nearly as much. To t- we take a while before we actually see her. She's on the domo. Um, I do think it's kind of funny because she's basically like a thief. You know, she's so fast she can go kind of steal all these crazy artifacts and cool stuff throughout history. She's got the Holy Grail and Excalibur sword and all these famous books. She's got a Big Mac. Uh, there's like a PlayStation VR set that she's <laughs> she's got on the ship with her. Uh, and I did like. I did sort of. Think it was cool the way they did her super speed scenes. You know when yeah. we think of of the you know the super fast characters of the Flash or Quicksilver. Usually when we see those scenes, they're done in like a slow motion way. This one was done in sort of the opposite, where we saw her kind of speeding by. Yeah, the whole world's just whooshing past really fast, and that's really cool. It's, you kind of see it more from her perspective in in real time, and they do things. When they show her traveling, like like pull out a little wider and 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 show her traversing like wide open landscapes, like uh, you know when she's searching in the in the end, that's a kind of a cool scene when she's trying to find uh, where the celestial uh, is located, and she's just traversing the whole world. That like visually, I thought they did that pretty well. Let's continue on uh, with a few more of these characters. We get to uh, Druig, who. He can manipulate the minds of others And he is one of the Eternals who really early on Is Is like flabbergasted by humanity And what they're doing And and how yeah. Sort of innately evil they are A, a lot of people and, and kind of bad they are This is almost like a weird like God with Adam and Eve Sort of thing where he's like Kind of judging and he can't believe What's happening with what he's helped people um, He actually very early on decides that he, he thinks humanity isn't worth helping 
And he goes off on his own With a, a group of people into the Amazon And they sort of live Almost this cult-like life Where he basically is able to Manipulate their minds So he's always going to be living in this world Where there's not a lot of war There's not a lot of hate And he can kind of he can kind of create this bubble That he's wanted for himself Yeah, it's just a perfect utopia uh, In the jungle uh, And he's just controlling everybody They're all mind-controlled it's, it, was, it was reminiscent of WandaVision, actually that's Very, very much huh, Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking With, um, with Druig as we get to Gilgamesh, who is the strongest Eternal, and he and Thena, they basically alluded that they had a relationship in one of their past lives, in one of their former iterations. He actually mm-hmm. takes care of of Thena, and I believe he is the first Korean superhero, and he was someone who uh, was heavily into boxing. So we, he's another that we don't get a lot from. Gilgamesh, we see the strength. I think I would have liked to see a little bit more from him. He his job yeah. is really to be the protector of Thena. I have no problems with anything anytime we saw him. I just would have liked to see a little more of him. I'm so glad you you said that because he was one of my favorite characters. There was something about the actor Don Lee and what he brought to the role. Uh there's like a real machismo and like just like he he imbued this like strong man spirit. Absolutely. That that I thought uh, came across on screen very well, and uh, it works really well for a superhero movie, especially. And I wanted more from from him. Definitely, I wanted more from him and and Thena. And I actually thought it was a little bit of a cop out. Again, spoiler alert: uh, when he dies later in the film, uh, I wanted more of a romantic moment between him and Thena. I almost got the sense that like. Angelina Jolie said behind the scenes, like, no, I'm not going to do a kissing scene or, or anything with, with this with this actor. Uh, I wanted to uh, for them to have that moment. And I felt like we were kind of uh, robbed of that. Uh, it, it seemed very. It seemed those are, I wanted those to- are the two I wanted more from both of them. Thena, like I, I, it's it was like and this is Angelina Jolie is playing her. How many words did she say throughout the movie? Like, right. Very little. It was it was really weird. She and visually she looked incredible. She looked gorgeous. And then and whenever she summoned the weapons, like the visuals of that, I thought were fantastic. And it was so weird. It was almost like they had to have been purposely doing it that we got so little from her and and Gilgamesh. Almost like there's going to be this story of her and Gilgamesh coming where we get all of their. Time together and their their story Because that just seemed So we got so Little of that they there's so Many things that they like allude to that Would have been nice if just got seen a Minute like a little flashback or a little clip Of something would have helped We uh what one Of I think a lot of people's favorite characters Who wasn't an eternal was Karun Who was uh Hands down the dynamic between Him and Kingo uh, Go was just f- phenomenal, and it, that that made for the strongest laughs in the movie. And I w- honestly, you you said you wish there were more laughs. We felt like like we were kind of uh, it was kind of low on that. I wanted twice as much uh, Karun and Kingo. I felt like just not enough. And so Kingo was uh, Kumail, and <laughs> so his character it has the uh, is able to shoot finger guns, finger guns, <sighs> pew, 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 pew. and what is. Powers. So he has created a life for himself in Mumbai as a Bollywood actor as as this basic like 
family. He, what was that? He directs too. He's a director. He's directing. Oh, yeah. he, he does direct some of the content that's online. He doesn't do it for clicks though, TK. Not for any <laughs> not for clicks. But so he's played his father, his grandfather, and like his great grandfather through the years. As uh it, it's so funny when you see the posters and stuff of like the different mustaches and like the different ways he tries to disguise himself to look a little different than the previous iteration of him. But he's all of these eternals who don't die they're on the planet For thousands and thousands of years They have to find ways to sort of uh, Move around Not like he says not scare people He even jokes about how um, uh, <laughs> Karun thought he was a Vampire and almost drove a stake through his Heart right when they met uh, right when they met So he his Character when they show up in Bollywood And he's playing like Icarus and I mean yeah. he's really funny yeah, definitely one of the standout characters of, of the film for me. Uh, and uh, that was he was kind of the heart of the movie in a, in a, in a way. You know, the comedy aspect uh, is always going to kind of carry these MCU films. But uh, he also made a very controversial and interesting decision uh, it, toward the climax. He basically abstains uh, from the final battle, which is something you really don't quite see. And that's maybe one of the benefits of having such a large ensemble is that you can have characters uh, uh, do things that aren't really traditional in, in, a, in a film. So you've got some characters uh, on the side of, you know, fighting. You've got some characters on the side of, of uh, you know, giving up. And you've got others that are, that are uh, uh, trying to, to destroy the world. And it's just like... Uh, there's there's all this you know inner conflict and, and turmoil for the team that they can uh, build there but yeah you don't really see a whole lot of like in films where one of the main characters just goes not nah, i'm out and then you don't see them for the main the, the, the climax that was just yeah. surprising the whole, the well, whole time can go to like swoop in and me too and, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was he like, he's gonna yeah. come in right now and save the day but no he just stays completely out of it but then he's back again at the very end which right. is strange He's, it was like nobody hold, held it against him that he just didn't want to battle. He said he didn't want to battle his family. He had mixed emotions, mixed feelings, and uh, no, yeah, no Kingo in the final battle. And who else did we miss so far? Uh, we got uh, Ajax. So she's the leader, like the spiritual leader. She's able to heal. This is played. Uh, she's played by Selma Hayek, but we don't see very much of her really at all. We see little clips of her. Early on one or two scenes with her And Icarus but Icarus ends up Killing her in Lying about it for a while we Find out afterwards that he Set the whole thing up so she Is someone who again like Selma Hayek and Angelina Jolie pretty Well known and uh and high profile Actresses who felt like they just didn't Get very much in this movie same thing for Kit Harrington. I know his character Dane Whitman is going to be even in the The more of the post credit scenes we see that he's going to be set up for more down the line as the Black Knight But I kept waiting for these major actors to get more screen time and they really didn't Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Black Knight stuff because that was absolutely tacked on And it, it felt like just MCU just trying to do tie-in stuff But it had no sense being in this film uh, And uh, I don't know if you mentioned it yet, but the the post credit scene with uh, the Black Knight and we finally see you know the the ebony blade there which uh, looked really cool. Granted, it looked very cool, 
and then we get this great or could be great moment where you hear Blade for the first time in the MCU, Mar- Maharshala Ali, uh, but we just hear his voice. It's just it, if we if they didn't make an announcement on you know the internet that that was Blade, nobody would know. Everybody like, who- was asking. People were like, "I thought it was the Watcher, Jeffrey Wright." Was- you know, people were talking about who they thought it would be. Why don't why not get just one little flash of him there? Shut- Think of the end of Iron Man 1, the post credit scene. That's the blueprint for this. We see Nick Fury. It's It blows your mind. Uh, you know, 2008, when you see that film and Nick Fury's at the end and he says the Avengers initiative, that gets you hyped. This was just like, what the hell's going on? There's this like niche character, Black Knight, which granted, I, I'm sure people want to see that. I don't have much connection to the character, but I'm sure they could mine some great stuff out of that, especially mixing them up with Blade. That happens in the comics from what I understand. Uh, but th- we're, we're, we're getting Blade for the first time in the MCU, and it's just his voice. I mean, was this a COVID thing? Like, they couldn't get him on set? Like, uh, it blows my mind that they couldn't just get one shot so we could see him at the end of the film. That would have made it worthwhile. To me, this is nothing. Why even show this? This belongs in another movie. Let's uh, let's get into this movie, <laughs> TK, that opens with the words in the beginning. We get it. We get a a, a, a title screen credits. Uh, you know, uh, at the beginning of of a Marvel movie, there were a lot of you mentioned DC. There were some Star Wars, some obvious Star Wars references and stuff in here. Um, there were literal DC and Star Wars references in this film. Superman. And I want to yeah. say there's a Star Wars reference too, but yeah, it's a uh, very, very interesting that they're doing that. I like that it, it it makes it feel like the MCU exists in our world, which is you know part of what they've always done. Is so we get talk of the universe's first son, Erishem, and the celestial and the god of this universe. Uh, the scroll of text says, "Before the six singularities and the dawn of creation came the celestial Erishem, the prime celestial," and. We meet the Ten Eternals and their ship called the Domo. We see it sort of floating past the sun in uh, in space, and they arrive on Earth, and they just they just kind of show up. They're just there, and they they we are told they come from a place named Olympia. But when we see them show up, I think the first time is in Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything really. About their origin, where they come from, how old they are, what they are, are they human celestials? This, that. I mean, we don't really know much of anything. They're just there. They look like humans. But what we see is when they're kind of just dropped into Earth, when they are helping the peoples of of this area out, and they're using their powers, we see this this energy that a lot of people were saying reminds them of the way the look of Shang Chi. These like Golden streaks that it almost looks like it's connecting a lot of these Eternals and this this power that they have. Uh, so, what did you think about our first introduction to them when they all show up right off the bat? We see the the scope of the Domo kind of coming in, and then we see them show up there. Um, on, I think it was Mesopotamia, the first place they ended up. Opening sequence. I'm in. I'm all in at this point. Uh, the crawl, very cool. Instantly, I'm thinking Star Wars. This is grandiose. This is uh, setting up a new origin story for the MCU. It's going to give us a new framework to look at, like the rules of this universe. Love it. 
Uh, I'm all in for that. Then we get the visuals of of uh, their ship arriving. We see like early man. It's very much 2001: A Space Odyssey inspired. It's this ancient aliens kind of uh, um, seeding the planet uh, and uh, 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 being like a catalyst to you know human evolution uh, sort of uh, dynamic that that's immediately being presented to us. So I'm all for that. Uh, the ship really looks cool. It looks like uh, awesome. especially the way they shoot it. It's kind of like the monolith in uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the scope of it. I like the look of the CG at first and the, and the monsters. I know you mentioned that as maybe something that you didn't like. I, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it because I think there was something that maybe distracted me about those mm-hmm. monsters. On my initial look, I was feeling like, oh, this is really good CG. This action is great. The first time you see the deviant, it's like a like a jump scare where they just come out of the water and, yeah. and snatch uh, an early man and, k- and kills the guy. So I'm thinking, wow, this is they're going hard in this film right here. So I liked it from the jump. Uh, it's only when it starts kind of cutting and cross cutting back and forth, and the movie starts to progress into the first act that it kind of starts to lose me. So as you mentioned there, the Eternals are here to protect. The deviants and allow uh, to protect the humans from the deviants and allow the humans to evolve. And we see some of these people five thousand years ago, Mesopotamia. They are looking at the the ship, the Domo. And in fact, there's a young boy sitting over by the shore who's uh, nearly attacked by a deviant. And the one that kind of washes up from the ocean. They have the second set of eyes too that we notice. And Erisham has a third set of eyes. Kind of gives you an idea of like the hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. It establishes yeah. that. Hey, these are the beings that have a one set. These are the beings that have multiple sets of eyes. And then the Arishem actually has like three sets of eyes that you see as uh, one fisherman tells his son to run off, ends up sacrificing himself. This is what they uh they is thought to be one of the first ever civilizations, uh, I believe Sumeria, where they were right over on the Tigers, uh, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And the Eternals help these people fight off the deviants. We see the Eternals using their powers and some of their individual features and those powers that have that golden glow and those streaks and that energy behind them. Kind of a way to show that they're even sort of robotic, which we are going to come to find out later that these are synthesoids, really. Um, and the uh, yeah, the Eternals help civilization move forward. They're providing them with technology and in, and tools to evolve. Before we get the Marvel Studios title card, we actually see them providing this civilization with a dagger that they will end up using for hunting and um, you know to help build their civilization. So, uh, before we get into the title card, it's um, kind of finishing up this uh, this early scene. What'd you think? Um. Well, the scene on the beach, or the one we're going into from there. Yeah. So uh, when you when like what that moment, I think I saw some people even um, comparing it to like uh, the moment with with Adam in the garden, where you know there there's like the handoff of the dagger is sort of like the start almost yeah. of civilization. Those are some of the things that we were talking about. How it's sort of it's really cool for to. They're, them telling us like, oh hey, the the these people are the whole reason why there's life really still on this. Before it was so rudimentary, people were didn't even know what to do. We came here and basically gave them everything and the knowledge of how to move forward. I kind I kind of think that's really cool too. I'm with you. Like I at the right off the bat, this this part I'm hooked. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like this opening sequence, I thought was really strong. It felt grand in its scope, and it felt like like that we were about to take a ride uh, through something really, really big, really um, that the MCU hadn't done before. And I think that they they did do that, but like we've said, you know, so far, it just didn't quite stick the landing throughout the film. It just didn't quite stay on track and, and jive into something that was cohesive and felt like uh, a, a really worthwhile experience. It had its moments, but just didn't really take us there. But this scene, I thought it was cool. The 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 gold uh, dagger switch that that was very much like a almost an inspiration for King Midas and mm-hmm. you know mankind's kind of search for uh, the uh, what is that what is that word alchemy yeah, yeah. That, that that whole idea of alchemy throughout history. Uh, so I, I thought that that was like a, a, a good start visually and symbolically. It told us a lot without a whole lot of words. That that was that in itself was really good. And then I really liked um, kind of where they went from there because we get to hear Pink Floyd, Dark Side yeah. of the Moon, in a MCU film. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, again, like I'm still kind of riding high in this opening uh, sequence here. Uh, I, I'm thinking we're gonna get like an a-list top tier uh marvel film that maybe is like a prestige film at this point that's kind of where my head's at and we got uh, sh- shout out to uh shang chi in the marvel studios title card we see him pop, pop up there and he's re- he's recently like he he was on saturday night live and he said i'm shang chi bitch you know he's just i love i love him man he's just so excited to i gotta watch you know, that this morning yeah, uh, and and he tweeted it right after. I'm Shang Chi, bitches, which is just great. Um, as uh, we are now in modern day London with Circe and Sprite, actually kind of reminds me of like some of the setting of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like where we were set up. You know, it looks sort of like a lot of uh, like in Europe around there, just kind of walking around on the ground. And <laughs> she works at the Natural History Museum. She actually walks past the statue, Cersei, of Darwin and says hello. And uh, all, all of these references to people and places throughout history are people that they've actually known, that they've influenced, that they've uh, you know, been in relationships with, that they've been friends with. She looks at the dinosaur bones in, in a way where they're almost telling us like, yeah, the, the Eternals were responsible or the Deviants were responsible for the extinction of the dinosaurs, you know, or they were around during this time. So – you kind of see her walking around and looking at things and they're giving a nod to, you know, how she has been around through history for all of these. And we meet Dane Whitman, Jon Snow, who is uh, <laughs> talking about poetry as uh, he is talking to a, a class and he's quoting Walt Whitman in this broad earth of ours amid the measureless grossness and the slag enclosed and safe within its central heart. Nestles the seed of perfection Which has got like seven meanings Right for this There there are so many different ways you could take this Even on the most literal sense Hell there's a celestial inside of earth Right <laughs> Yeah yeah exactly And I love that it's a Whitman quote too I mean yeah. we're, uh, I'm wondering what Is it a namesake thing or like are they related to Like that's just really good uh, 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 Reference there So Cersei gives Dane a ring With a raven symbol on it that's a family symbol And and so now where we are We're in a post blip Snap world Where everybody understands Now that there's some weird stuff Going on um, it, It's a little bit different than things were Prior to this because people 
Everybody knows that there are people out there with powers There are superheroes And he even jokes a couple times about Cersei being a uh, a wizard Is she? He even asks Are you like Doctor Strange So he he's not like some gullible It's not as if he's dating someone powerful And he doesn't know Like He understands I think At least a little bit of who he's dating um, and She'll even tell him in a little bit What, what happened And um, the, the question that he asks her is the question that everybody, you know, is going to be asking in these next movies? Where were you when Thanos came around? How come you didn't stop him? Why didn't you guys help? Why didn't you step in? That's a question that we keep hearing over and over now. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, uh, Thanos might have been good. <laughs> he might have been right. Dude, he might have. He, uh, he, I know. He, he stalled the uh this thing the emergence. Shout out here. Thanos was I mean, right? Like he <laughs> was. was Yeah, and from what I understand, Thanos is uh he's a Titan with a deviant gene. And uh later in this in this film, in one of the uh post credit scenes, we get to meet uh Star Fox, uh, uh Eros, who is known uh, I believe as and they say it in the film brother of thanos so like a lot of people wondering like wait well why would thanos have purple skin if his brother is freaking harry styles over here well it's because thanos has a deviant gene in him we uh, so as um circe and dane are in london with sprite a deviant actually attacks them sprite and circe try to fight it off Sprite creates an illusion with duplicates of herself, but that's only able to last momentarily. It's not like the illusion that we would see in Loki, because the 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 illusions and the images that she creates, that Sprite creates, they're not real or lifelike. It's not like she's um, possessing or 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 taking over bodies. She's just projecting holograms there. And uh, to see it a, a little bit at the beginning, which I actually thought was a good uh, scene when she's at the bar and she's pretending to be an older, older. woman flirting with a, with, a, with a man at the bar and he goes to put his hand on her hand and it just kind of phases through. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it, it's, it's an interesting moment there. I thought that was a, a cool demonstration of her powers. So as they are battling with this deviant, Icarus shows up to save the day to help them fight off the deviant. And that's when Cersei has to come clean and explain herself to Dane who she is about the Eternals. You know, he he knew she was different. He actually does never really seems too surprised by any of this. And that's when he asks about Thanos. But uh, it is just hilarious, uh, you know, knowing that Kit Harrington's character is dating the guy that Richard Madden, you know, the girl that Richard Madden used to date. So we got Jon Snow and Rob Stark, you know, with uh, <laughs> with some similarities here, they cross swords at some point here. TK and um, he actually la- like she mentions the ex boyfriend once or twice, and, and he goes, "Oh, that so that that's the ex that's the ex boyfriend here." Basically, basically Superman is who I'm up against here. So no, not any real competition or anything, which is uh, which is great. And. She lets him know, uh, she lets Dane know, Cersei, that she that they protected humanity from everything. But if they would have stepped in with Thanos, they would have never been able uh, humanity would have never been able to develop the way it was supposed to. They were only allowed to get involved in in instant in incidents 
Where deviants were in the mix So at, It does at least Make a little bit of sense from that perspective I mean we roll our eyes at it But they say that hey You gotta Kind of what they tell you when we're raising kids right now Right Tim you gotta let them fall sometimes Right you gotta right. let them like scuff their knee A little bit here and there you want to protect them At all costs but Sometimes they gotta fall down Or they gotta right. go out there and get their heart broken Yeah well it's not something that's Entirely new I mean we've, we've seen that The prime directive in Star Trek and that You know they're, they're not supposed to interfere With uh, with civilizations uh, and, and then giving them technology And whatnot and uh, so I, It kind of makes sense it's a similar kind of Rule there Okay so we now go back to Babylon 575 BC And all of these Eternals Have like, ties to real World history we actually see The Ishtar gate and we see The Eternals battling a big deviant There and uh, And we're, for the First time we're really seeing The the interaction Between one of the Eternals And Erishem because Ajak is summoned by Erishem And this the, the scope of mm-hmm. of the scenes with Erisham and what they're trying to show you, kind of similar to what they were showing you with the Watcher, and even at the end of Loki with He Who Remains and and how it looks, it does get give you this feel of like wow, like a real like oh my goodness. In fact, when when Cersei meets up with Erisham in a little bit, there are a few places that I I was reading that they said they were trying to give you the scope of basically what it would what it's like with with somebody were talking to God. You know that they are like shocked or um like trembling into obedience. You just right. like feeling like you're like oh my you're just so overwhelmed that you have to just go along with this obviously much more powerful being and their wishes. And we see his three sets of eyes. We see how he sort of has armor around him, but kind of stardust all through him and the glowing red. What did you think of the look of Erishim? I thought Erishim and the Celestials looked really good in this. I, I was very uh, impressed and sucked into that. Um, I was a little maybe confused throughout about the exact scale of it. Um, during the emergence at the end of, of the of the film, I couldn't quite wrap my head around, like, are they the size of, like, a mountain range? Or are they, like, almost the size of the entire Earth? I wasn't sure if they were consistent with the scale. I would love to see some, like extra stuff on that to kind of explain i would love to see like a video that just shows the 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 the, uh scale of them with comparisons to other things like almost like a science science video i think that would be really helpful one of those like evolution video you know like remember those things that you'd see where people evolved and you see the size of them going all the way down like that right (laughs) i've seen like this video that shows like the scales of the solar system and it kind of like zooms out sure to see it just compared to other things because I, I got a little bit confused about how big they were at one point, but that's not really a complaint. It might just be it might be perfect the scale, and I'm just you know there's optical illusions playing you know with the with what I'm seeing, and you know I can't keep track of it. But uh, I visually I thought they were really well designed. I loved all the details. I loved how it, they almost seemed like uh, like uh, a celestial bo- body, <laughs> literally a literal celestial body, uh, like we would talk about. Uh, and it wasn't observe- it wasn't perfect either, right? It was like imperfect. There were like um, that's what made it so real. Yeah, wear and tear, damage. Yeah, yeah, and that like the the rings on a tree almost. You know, yeah, you could see like the, like the gas clouds in the in like space around it and stuff that kind of just made it feel like a real environment. 
And I thought that was all really cool. You're right about the whole, like, comparing them to God thing. I think that this film frames the Celestials as the God of, uh, or I guess gods of the MCU. Um, I don't know if it's more like a monotheistic type of uh, universe that we're looking at here. I think that what we, we're getting is is that the Celestials are the gods, or maybe there's a higher power than that. I'm not sure. We haven't really gotten, you know, all the stories that the MCU is going to tell us. So maybe they will retcon, you know, a higher level than the Celestials. It seems like that's probably the case, considering that they're kind of being framed as the villains, if they're the villains and the antagonists, then I, I, I doubt that they're the, like, the highest power that can be. Um, but, you know, that's a question for another day, I suppose. Uh, ultimately, though, really cool designs reminded me in a way of how I reacted to seeing the Iron Man design initially. Obviously, yeah. they look totally different, but I just thought it was really well executed and uh, like brought something that's kind of far-fetched into into reality by th- those specifics like you talked about that wear and tear those details so the domo their ship is actually parked inside babylon like right underneath the hanging gardens of babylon and we see them at the time 575 bc all these people gathered around as sprite seems to be telling the epic of gilgamesh using some of her powers to kind of show fireworks and other tricks uh, Icarus and Circe this is where we see Them fall in love and we see them Get married and celebrating What looks through The multiple lifetimes um, In ancient India they get Married and you see all of the other Eternals celebrating Except for Sprite Everybody has <laughs> really got this happy look Or they're in tears and they're crying and Sprite's Just got this like pissed off look On her face so I, which It's like there are only a, a few of these tiny moments Again it felt like there was a scene Missing where we saw Icarus maybe Like lead Sprite on Or something right I don't Or like there the, 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 to kind of get the Connection there to understand A little bit more that Sprite Was really infatuated with Icarus Because we don't really get much Of the seeds of that until The very end yeah, uh, I'll be quite honest. I didn't really pick up on that, like what you're talking about on in my initial viewing. I didn't see that in that scene. I didn't notice it. Uh, and uh, to be fair, you don't want a movie to spell everything out for no. you. That sucks. That's never any fun. That's no. like too much exposition, right? That's that's how you feel when you, you, you experience it like that. You want to be able to like look and, and discover those moments. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think they maybe. Uh, they didn't do enough, like yeah. you said. Like just uh, one there scene. They could have dialed something. it up a little bit, or yeah, it just added one more scene of substance there instead of just doing it in like three glances that are like spread out across this three-hour movie when a bunch of other stuff is happening all at once. Uh, so yeah, there. It almost felt like it came out of nowhere to me, mm-hmm. at least when. It did. When they said later in the, in the in the movie that she was in love with Icarus, I was like, oh, that like literally when they said that, that's when I realized that in the, in the film. Well, no, I, I agree with you. It wasn't until afterwards going back that I was able to kind of put all the put that together. Even it was just she always just came off like upset, bothered, and I just kind of thought that was because of of what her being stuck as a kid. You know, like right. I didn't get that she was jealous of Cersei. Cause that didn't make sense either, because she's with Cersei in London all the time. So she's just like I, it, that. That just didn't add up a, a whole bunch to me. And 
yeah, we saw the uh, the marriage and uh, and the sex scene, and it it just was quick. Like I I I, I thought it was cool with Sprite telling the story. You know, you see the little clips of them getting married, but it just wasn't very much before we head back to modern day uh, South Dakota, um, as they're you know going to see what happened to Ajax, and this is where. Basically like the leadership of this group of Eternals is transferred over to Cersei because Ajax had selected Cersei to be the new leader of their group before she was passed away. We end up seeing the speaking sphere here, which is something that basically allows the Eternals to kind of interact with with Arishem. And we actually see the the speaking spear floats up from Ajax and Arishem. It speaks to Cersei, and now she has been chosen to lead the Eternals here moving forward. So this was something again where we didn't really see Icarus getting frustrated or upset by this, but I think this was something that obviously pissed him off because he he thought he was the leader of this group. He even jokes about being the leader of the Avengers. Maybe he could do it you know, a little later on in the movie. Yeah, and which is a great moment too because everybody kind of laughs at it, and he kind of laughs too. But he, you can see he he's he looks a little hurt by it. Like he's he's he want he definitely wants to be the leader for sure, or maybe he's hurt because he knows about what what uh, he actually did, uh, and he's thinking about um, how he's a bad guy ultimately and keeping secrets from everyone. But um, yeah, this uh, I, this is around the point in the film where maybe I start getting confused, and maybe that's they're part- bouncing back and forth. Man, they go, they they cut. We go from Babylon back to South Dakota for a minute. They come up on Ajax's place, and then we're quickly back to Tenochtitlan in the Aztec Empire. Like real quick cuts. That it started getting a little too jumpy here for me. Yeah, I, I agree, and the jumpiness it works. Well, the jumping back and forth, because it keeps you kind of like guessing and wondering what's going on and kind of intrigued by that. But it also, I think, is just not cohesive enough to uh, really make the the moments that you're experiencing feel impactful. Uh, so it just kind of happens to you. So it, it's like a double edged sword. You're, you're confused. And so you you want to know more and you're, you're paying attention. You, so you're, you're kind of locked in. But then things aren't really paying off enough. Things are just kind of happening, uh, and that's the point. Yep. It's sh- it's shot really beautifully. There's a lot to kind of soak soak in when you're watching it, uh, but it's it just doesn't gel. There, I feel like maybe there's an alternate edit or just rewrites that could have saved this story uh, and been really knocked out of the park with this with this specific director. But just I think maybe the story just wasn't. It was too broadly. Uh, yes. Uh, it's that we just couldn't get uh, to the heart of a, of, of a good story So we're looking at the uh, the capital of the Aztec Empire That was attacked by Cortez We see Spanish soldiers uh, using firearms Setting a blaze to an entire village And this is the moment when the Eternals start to wonder If what they are doing is right If they are really in fact helping humanity With the technology they are providing This really, really bothers Druig who ends up going off with many of these people into the jungle to try to change their way of life and their way of thinking. He doesn't think humanity is worth it anymore trying to save. He just wants to go live out his remaining days with a small group that he can manipulate and 
create this new culture. And um, we see. I think go ahead. Be, uh, sorry, I think this would be a good opportunity to to focus the story right here. Like if Absolutely. we just took this moment right here and made Druig kind of the antagonist of the film, and then the whole film is about this conflict of you know uh, of how they're going to control. Uh, it is Dru- can Druig control man, and are they going to go forward with their their mission? And and like uh, Druig using people, and then having to to kind of figure out whether they're going to like attack people and fight these people that Druig is like sending against them. Uh, I think that could be a really interesting uh, dynamic there and an interesting conflict that would allow for these characters to kind of breathe and us to get used to them before we were kind of thrown into the next phase where everything's kind of upended. And we see that uh, it's a, it's all a big twist and that the earth is, is supposed to uh, die during this emergence. Like, I feel like if we had a movie to deal with a conflict in these characters uh, first, first off to just kind of get us uh, suited to them and, and sucked into their world. And then in like the second movie, we, we got like thrown for a loop that we do, uh, you know, the second, third act of this film, that might've been a better, more fulfilling experience. And Athena seems to be having some problems with her mind and they call it mad weary as she's basically remembering Things that have happened to her um, in previous life, in previous lives, basically, like, which I thought was weird because at this point they don't really un- like the rest of the Eternals don't understand that their like memories get wiped. So they, right. I'm, I'm like, I'm oh, I was having. A- I think I understand it to be. Honest. Okay. I think it's that they're that it's they at this point they're not thinking it's the previous lives. They're thinking it's the the length of their lives like if you yes. live infinite time your mind just can't handle all that the memories and it just starts yeah. collapsing itself yeah. and you go crazy yeah so that That's there we go but at this point and so we actually find out that she is you know remembering things that it would in the end will sort of help them you know some of the memories that she has where it's sort of like she's going crazy she's remembering some of the things that they may have done that they think that they end up finding out may have been bad. Like they may not be the good guys that they think they are. Um, is uh, yeah, Druid goes off with the the people to the jungle, and we flash back now again to present day. So again, we're going back and forth. Now we're back to present day, and we're in Mumbai, and the Eternals track down Kingo, who's filming a Bollywood movie. We find out his story of how he pretended to be the family dynasty of actors. He plays Icarus. In the movie that he's uh, he's filming, and all of his movies are basically takes on the Avengers movies, which is <laughs> just hilarious. Um, I, there was so little about this character that I, I I laughed. I mean, first off, when we see him, he's filming a movie inside the movie, and right. then and then he also is filming a documentary inside the movie, yeah. which is which is great. He. Yeah, he made this movie for me. Like, I'm a big Kumail fan, obviously, but um, I can't wait to delve into him a little bit more, too. Because, again, you think about his character, we got a little bit of it. But then, yeah. in the biggest moment, he decides to to check out, and we don't really get more of why. Right. You know, we needed to see a scene or two of, of like, Icarus saving him and him being... Because he sort of seems like he's obsessed with Icarus, too. You know? Right, well... 
like you said, he's making a movie about him when we're kind of reintroduced to him. Playing the character of him. I'm you. I'm playing you. You know, he's like excited. And we needed to see that moment of him like being jealous, but looking up to Icarus like an older brother or just with admiration. You know, it just felt like there were so many of these little things that we if that if we got that scene, if we got the scene with Sprite looking up at Icarus with. Admiration. I don't know. Just seeing him like save them all once or twice more, so we we got the sense that all of the Eternals actually loved Icarus and felt like you know. So that yeah. way, his turn felt like a bigger deal. He just kind of felt indifferent through a lot of the movie. We didn't see him connecting with the group as much. So then his turn doesn't feel as big. Athena yeah. all along is kind of giving him the side eye too, because she all along must remember things. From past like lives or planets or things that they've done, where Icarus was also an ass because she she's like on to him more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't really pick up on that uh, so much, but you know, there's just so much going on uh, with it. Uh, but like, I did pick up on like a little bit of um, uh, of uh, Kingo. Uh, and his appreciation for Icarus earlier on, but it was only like you said, like a, a few things. It was that movie, and it was the. Uh, there's one moment where he says, "No, Icarus should be in charge." But that's like the only things that I can really think of that showed me earlier on that Kingo was aligned with Icarus, and and we didn't get like to your point the the reason why. Like we didn't get anything except for maybe in the initial scene where Icarus kind of shows up and and. Bosses the deviants and he's like the big Strongest uh, of, of the Eternals um, You don't really Get a sense of like why he's clearly The the leader should be Regarded as such by these characters So it just feels like there's not a Whole lot of weight to it when he ultimately Betrays them and uh, Yeah it's just a uh, it's just another Reason why the movie didn't gel I think and another reason why It, it seems like it could Have benefited from either Paring down the scope in terms of characters or expanding the scope in terms of like making it a TV series, making it much longer and going into these stories with more depth. So a big thank you to Tim because uh, I needed to take a little bit of a break in the middle of our recording because I had another live stream going on. So if you if things seem a little bit like they weren't all kind of together in one, we actually just split up this recording by about an hour or so. So very very lucky to have a good friend who's always flexible and, and able to jump back in as we were talking about Kingo and we met Kingo and we were in uh, in Mumbai and in Bollywood and I. Tim, I've been reading a few recaps I've been watching some other people's reviews And I always like to get others' thoughts And kind of see where I stack up Compared to, to a lot of the other people who are, are big fans And I think one of the most universally Agreed upon things in this movie Is that Karun is freaking awesome He is just like yes. such a lovable character You, He's like always smiling He's so genuine He just like he just kind of melts my heart When he's on the screen What What is the one thing he says at the very end Like he thanks them Thank you for all of the sacrifices you have made and what you have done for all of us. It was like, oh man, yeah, yeah. He's kind of the uh, the human heart of the of the movie, if you think about it. And um, I was saying earlier that the uh, the heart of these Marvel movies is often uh, uh, encased in a, like a layer of comedy, right there. So uh, you, you, 
anytime you, you see like where the, the comedy is in one of these stories, like that's probably where the heart of the story is too. And uh, this was one of the strongest things of the, of the film too, that dynamic we talked about between Kingo and Karun. And uh, I think it got off to a great start. His introduction is one of the funniest moments of the movie. Uh, that, that joke we talked about uh, uh, earlier of um, Karun thinking he was a vampire. I mean, that lands really hard and i think it establishes kind of that the dynamic that they're going to have throughout the film and they continue to pay that off uh especially with him showing up with uh uh new new uh and lesser forms of cameras as the as the story mm-hmm. progresses i thought that was funny like how how far they take that with by the end of it he's just rocking like a handy cam like from the 90s or something he's just that smiling assistant guy who's willing to help in any way the even the that little line that you mentioned the way that uh the way that it's said is like Kume uh Kingo says yeah he first met me he thought I was a vampire he tried to stab me through the right. heart and he says I've apologized many times for that sir you know, <laughs> Kingo says almost enough but not quite like, right you, you, right you almost, you, you've almost apologized enough not really though but uh it just it was great you could tell these guys uh that they, they, there's just a great connection between the two of them. And uh, he's he's a hilarious part of the movie as Kingo has a private jet and on there the jet we see the Captain America shield and we see in in his quarters we see uh, movie posters of him all through the years with those like the different uh, little little disguises that he would have on or you know the uh, the the big mustache on one he's got a hat on other he's pl- he's the same guy but he's playing his dad his grandfather through the years to try to trick people from realizing that he can't age he can't die yeah and I, what i love about that is it kind of cues you in on what uh, this character is all about. He's very much um, an egocentric guy. <laughs> I, he can't even he can't even let it go like one generation uh, to kind of keep the eyes off of him. You know, like like how how has no one gotten onto I, this? That, head, that this I is the same guy. So much in my head, I was like, hmm, okay, so how does he do this? What is he's like? Is he forty and then he disappears for a year? Like how? Nobody knows his right. family. He's hiring a different crew for every movie, right. but it's like a new, you know, I, I was playing it out in my head trying to feel like how it would work. Yeah, there's literally no gaps whatsoever. <laughs> so it's it, it's kind of hilarious like that because uh, I mean, you would think that he would want to maybe not draw attention to himself because people could figure out. You know, like like Karun did that that he's more than just a man, uh, but he's clearly not that concerned with people finding that out. I mean, he hasn't kept the secret. Karun knows already, so maybe yeah. there's even others that have have found this out along the way, and he just doesn't care. So the the team that is uh, assembled now goes together to find a deviant in Australia that Gilgamesh had killed, and. Uh, Gilgamesh has a funny line where he compares Karun to Alfred from Batman So we get another uh, DC reference yeah. There and this is when we see Thena where she has another Case of Mad Weary seeming To be remembering some of the past planets That they were on helping the Celestials destroy she mentioned Century 6 which is apparently The planet they were on right before coming To Earth so We now have our uh, most of our team assembled Gilgamesh, Thena, Circe, Icarus, Sprite, Kingo. Um, They're all sitting together eating. Karun is also with them. And this is when one of the kind of light scenes Kingo mentions knowing Thor and Odin. Uh, He says Thor used to know when he was young and now he won't even answer my calls. I return my calls anymore. Famous (laughs) Avenger. 
Um, so we and we find out that like Celestials, Asgardians, Eternals, they've all crossed paths before, which immediately when he says Thor, I'm already thinking Thor Love and Thunder of of what's coming mm-hmm. up, you know, the movie that's coming ahead. Like yeah. now I'm like, oh wow, they've interacted. We may see this somewhere down the line. Right. Like young Thor and young or you know, and, and Kingo, you know, meeting up uh years ago. So I, I Which makes that- sense why Kingo's packing on all these muscles. They seem kind of uh, wasted in this film when you think about it that Kumail got so jacked for this movie. Absolutely. A lot of the other Eternals aren't really jacked. But then again, think ahead to another movie and he's side by side with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yep. You're, you're going to want some some meat on those bones for well, sure. You don't want to look like that next to him with the shirt off. You're right. I was yeah. thinking the same thing. I was like, man, Kumail got jacked up. Just to be in that, just to be in the suit or what, you know, because <laughs> right. he didn't really have all that much here. But, um, and, and actually, kind of hearing Kumail in an interview the other day talk about how he was like, I was the best character. He's so funny, too, you know, he's <laughs> like, I at least did what was right. I didn't want to fight my friends. I made the best decision backing out. Right. I wiped my hands of it, you know, like I was the only <laughs> truth. It was, it's really great hearing him like explain the char- character motivations and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we are introduced to Kingo and Karun. No doubt the comic relief of the, the movie when these two come in. As Sprite mentions that the Avengers, um, and, and what I thought was interesting here too. So she, she mentions Iron Man and she calls him Captain Rogers. She does mm-hmm. not call him Captain America. Um right. because right now Captain America is Falcon. Yeah. Uh, which is which kind of cool. They're just, you know, reminding you again that and also reminding you that they probably knew him as Steve Rogers before right. he was Captain America. They probably had a different relationship with this guy or even just knew of him as that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I love that it's in on one hand, you know, just passing that torch. It's just another subtle way of doing that, differentiating you know, the identity of Captain America from Steve Rogers. I mean, they're obviously always going to be intertwined. You can't take that away from Steve Rogers. Uh, but we're in a new era right now. Time marches on. And uh, yeah, now we've got uh, a Falcon who is now the, the Captain America. And we're going to see that in his uh, solo movie. And I, I, I like the stuff that's being said about that, how um, uh, Anthony Mackie, I think in a recent interview, was saying how this this new movie that's coming out, that it's going to be about him kind of earning that uh, that shield. Uh, and I thought I, I felt a little bit conflicted about that, to, to be quite honest, because I felt like maybe we'd already seen that. We'd already seen him yeah. earn it. Uh, but um, maybe there's more depths uh, to mine there. And I think that's what's going to happen. I feel like may, perhaps he's he's earned it um, in the eyes of Steve in in the films. And then in the series that he did, perhaps maybe that's when he's felt that he's earned it. And then now maybe he's going to, in the film, in the upcoming film, maybe earn it in the eyes of the world. Yeah. I suppose. I, I guess if you look at it that way. So yeah, that's there, probably there's better definitely way of putting room. It. Yeah. So we get to uh, the point where Icarus jokes and, you know, uh, Sprite says, no, no, no Captain America, no, uh, no Iron Man, no Captain Rogers. They need a leader And Icarus jokes I could lead the Avengers And they all laugh <laughs> I mean she did, uh, Ajax didn't even pick you to lead our team And they're laughing at him yeah. And he This was one of the first times where I sort of saw A little something in him um, 
you know, you he he's not like he's kind of looking like how your friends would be like if you're if they're making fun of you, you know, mm-hmm. you don't take it all that seriously. But there's probably a little bit of truth in when your friend says something to you, yep. you know, that that kind of digs, you know, something that like because yeah. your friends and your family, they know you the most when when you fight with your I fight with my parents or, you know, like they, they mm-hmm. know the things to say that are just a dagger, man. They they jab me and it's like it's we've joked about it before. It's like that Dane Cook stand up. You know, you fight with someone you love and you're like they say the thing you're stupid like your father, you know. And it's just like right. something that gets stuck in your head and you're like, ha, that's not a big deal. And then minutes later you're thinking about it. That's what this was because we know Icarus wants to be the leader. He wanted to be the guy, and in a sense, he was because a lot of them already looked up to him being that that. Uh, like the physical leader, what he was able to do with his strength and with his powers and like his confidence, he is seemingly the most powerful of these eternals in just you know in his aggression. But he doesn't have the the skills of a leader. He's more Homelander than he is Steve Rogers. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that a sense. great comparison. Um, and so that that's the main problem for him, and he. So this is something where they all know, yeah, you're great at what you do, but you're not really a leader. And I think that that eats at him. That definitely eats at him. That is something that I think is one of the main reasons why he ends up being the one we're going to find out in a little bit. Spoiler alert. I mean, you all know this if you're listening. He ends up being the one that kills Ajax. And right. And that's I think a lot of the reason why, too, is that he was not given the respect he thought he deserved as the leader, as the one that should have been able to make all of these decisions. Um, so just that little, that little glimpse from him, where everyone's laughing and he's kind of got a little like a a little side eye going on here before Cersei is summoned by Erishem. And now I will say some of the like the terminology here, I've I've been careful, so I actually would specifically look up a couple other like written recaps and stuff because I wanted to make sure I would say things correctly because this is a lot of new stuff. Right. Where we're talking about yeah. Eternals versus Celestials and, and things like that So I actually even went to one of the, the new Rockstars um, reviews Which mm-hmm. is really good on YouTube They do a great Damn. job And uh, he, he talks here about how Cersei is summoned by Erishem And he tells her that the emergence is the hatching Of a sleeping Celestial nestled inside of Earth And that all the Celestials are born um, Basically by Host planets feeding on the energy of the planet's life forms, and they emerge and they reach this new energy level. So, in this little moment here, Cersei is basically finding out. I mean, I got the same EBGB vibes of the TVA in Loki. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cersei is finding out they are not from the planet Olympia, they are synthetoids with no real act, like their memory gets wiped. It reminded me a lot of Loki right. and a lot of the of Men in Black, with with the the memory wiping, mm-hmm. you know. Um, oh yeah. This is even what if the Watcher, you know. Um, this is a huge moment in the movie where they're they're like what they were led to believe is completely wrong. Their purpose, everything they thought, is completely different. And this is a big big moment for Cersei. Just like wow, realizing that. Everything I've thought for thousands and thousands of years is not accurate. Yeah, and it's an interesting revelation too, because it kind of 
parallels the the dynamics, uh, you know, these themes that we've been seeing in so many other of the conflicts and the stories that we've seen in the MCU. Uh, it's this idea of trading lives for some sort of some semblance of order, some idea of order, whether it's on this multiverse scale that we saw with the TVA or whether it's uh, Thanos and wanted to wipe out the entire um, or 50 percent of all life in the universe. It, he's trading lives for some sort of like idea of a greater good. And that's what we're seeing here with the Celestials is that they believe that, you know, each time they, they birth a new Celestial, yes, we're sacrificing billions of lives on that one planet. But then there's this exponential growth that this new Celestial is going to seed the universe with more life. And that's, that's just going to perpetuate more life. And that's ultimately a good thing. That's the idea, I think, uh, at hand here um, that the Eternals are now pushing back against and saying, no, we're not going to trade uh, lives here for for what, what we that want. A, that's that's, not, that's not something Steve we do. Steve Rogers quote. That's a Steve Rogers quote. Yes, precisely. So it's like that across the MCU, we're getting this uh, thematic consistency of what what is good versus evil, and what we've seen so far is is that right there. That not willing, not being willing to trade lives. That individual lives are important and valued, and that we shouldn't allow some institution or some idea to uh, to supersede that uh, for some I some you know idea of a greater good uh, that that's that in itself is immoral and and not right and we should always you know leave no man behind for for lack of a better uh, word mm -hmm. there it's like uh, there's no there's no justification for sacrificing lives I think Steve's direct quote was the the lives of others are never worth trading and that's right. the same conclusion that uh, that Cersei ends up coming to. Because Erishim lets her know So Erishim sent the deviants to clear out He would send the deviants to each planet To clear out all of the apex predators on the planet But the deviants end up becoming the predators themselves And he loses control of them So then he has to create the Eternals In order to send the Eternals down To combat the deviants In order to let life actually be preserved on that planet to create and kind of gestate this celestial. I know it's a little bit heavy. It's a like it's a lot. It's new ideas and stuff um, that are are kind of big. They're major out there. As it permeates uh, everything too, right? Like this, these are new ideas that rewrite all the stories that we've seen so far. So now we can look at Iron Man with a completely new context of like just humanity in general has its a new origin story here, and uh, it's a new framework for the MCU. Uh, and we kind of talked about that with like with the TVA, you know, mm -hmm. understanding the multiverse and how that added like a new layer of understanding how the world works. Like what are physics in this world and stuff? There, there's got to be some kind of a rule set. Uh, and so this is just the next layer of that onion. And this might be where a lot of fans, you know, are lost. Yeah, I think I think so uh, too. not just lost that they're confused. But lost that they go, you know what? I'm out. I'm checking. I'm checked out at this point. For me, this isn't what I got into when I signed up for Iron Man. This is a completely different thing, and I can it's respect science that. Fiction-y more more so than anything else that we've seen. Mm -hmm. In the and MCU. with the and it's fantasy. It's science fiction plus fantasy. Yep. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, that's where a lot of people might have might might be lost, and maybe some of those people are were already shed when they went that route and like you know phase two and three and started putting. Uh, you know, Doctor Strange and 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 that sort of level of uh, 
of uh, reality to the MCU. And maybe that was a, a bridge too far for some people. Uh, but this, I think, is a step even further where, I mean, we're, we're asked essentially to imagine a completely different type of a universe. Uh, you know, this is not a monotheistic universe. This is something where the celestials are the higher power. So mm -hmm. that's that's an interesting thing to wrap your mind around. So these Eternals were created in a world forge that stores their memories from past lives. And in this part of the movie, we're kind of seeing like little like similarities to what we saw in What If, where it's like there's a there's a scope beyond the world. Where it's like they're above kind of watching over And so I did think that uh, Like it was incredible The scope of things that they would put in And I like you would love to see just sort of like a Like let's get these measurements down right Like right. how big is everything here How big are we talking right Let's see how we're compared Because this this is another one of those moments Where it's basically like Cersei is being shocked into obeying we were getting the sense of that grand scheme with that big godlike figure talking down to you, telling you what to do, telling you now what your purpose really is, which I think was summed up pretty nicely by the guy, uh, the guys in New Rock Stars. Can one's purpose be defined for love? A major theme throughout this movie, not not necessarily romantic love, just love of humanity, love of Another just love of another being Whereas we see You know some of these eternals that seem to Feel love and then you see someone Like Icarus who maybe he does With Cersei but he doesn't really have that connection To humanity so uh, Purpose love Again in these more recent uh, Movies and TV shows How many times have we talked about purpose Glorious purpose with Loki I mean mm -hmm. that's the whole thing that we're talking yeah. about With the, the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier You just hit on it again The the Falcon Falcon having the feel like the purpose for him to actually be Captain America, Shang-Chi, right? Who right. are you in yeah. this world? You know? Um right. you with, know that there's with more Venus character as well. Right? It's so purpose is a lot of this neck these this more recent um string of, of, of Marvel content as we ask we kind of ask the question because Kingo says, Who are the bad guys now? He, you know, he says we aren't the bad guys. We were just doing our jobs, and now they're all starting to struggle with what their purpose is. Because what right. Cersei now knows and what Cersei uh, relays to them from Erishem, that is not what they thought. It's like, hey, time out. This isn't what I signed up for here. You know, I, I didn't know we were yeah. going to be destroying this whole planet and wiping out all of these people that we've lived around for. 5,000 years and some of them have Are in relationships and friendships And we've developed with I didn't know That and and this is where the Eternals kind of split where A few of them think Hey we're still are just Kind of programmed with the job to do We have to do it and a few of them Feel differently like Hey you know what We love humanity We we you know uh, We Kind of envy these humans and sort of how raw They are and and Know the positives and the negatives and Just kind of reality the Struggles and and the you Know the the, the successions um, It is you know you really Do see them in this point kind of Trying to figure out uh, What like what Path they want to go down 
Yeah, and this is kind of uh, one of the things that makes this more of a unique MCU film. Like this conundrum here, where uh, their their worlds are kind of upended, and now they have this philosophical debate. And obviously, we've seen a philosophical debate. It was and like civil war basically but it's we haven't seen one with that's so kind of ambiguous as to like who's right who's wrong like like it, like we said kind of earlier th- this one has kingo that just abstains we don't really see that uh in in films in general let alone an mcu movie where a main character is just gonna like sit out the climax of the film that's kind of wild uh but it speaks to that the the, the type of movie that this is and that they were going for something more than just, you know, a blockbuster action movie. They wanted to give us something to chew on. And I think on that level, it kind of works because you're left to think about it a little bit. And and uh, that, that's interesting on, unto itself. But I think the experience of watching it wasn't quite as entertaining as as i'd like it to be basically maybe it, talking it, it, it out is satisfying right? no i was gonna right. say like talking it out and like the ideas that they have they're all there but they just the execution didn't quite connect you know yeah. on uh, screen it just wasn't moving us but i mean right now us talking about it uh philosophically i was gonna say uh, yeah, it does. that's i'm more interested in that than i was in the moment watching it on screen absolutely as we have this is like a very greek mythological uh mm-hmm. uh kind of uh, quandary that they're in where you have these Non-humans debating the worthiness Of humans and of, of mm-hmm. the Mortals um, right. the, the Greek mytho- mythological gods Used to joke about it all the time you know Are they worthy or you know things like that And this is this is exactly what we have Here as they decide to stop The emergence so in order to do So they want to go find Druig first Who is in the Amazon he's Living in the forest with the kind of a cult Like following he's controlling their minds And this was exact this was Right back into WandaVision Like just zombie people kind of Going along with everything that that he Directs and so he gets to live And you hit the word utopia he gets to live In this sort of utopian society That's just not real because Nothing real is happening he's he's Everybody is his puppet here Yeah and like any utopia When you actually you know, build it out. It's actually a dystopia. Like in in reality, you can't find, you can't make a utopia. It's it's dystopian. Honestly, when you look at it, it looks disturbing a little bit. There's something deranged about it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's just, I think, a statement onto you know that that fact right there, that you know you can't you can't pursue a perfect world and trying to uh, force a perfect world onto people ends up being a type of fascism. And uh, freedom is more important than that. And the and the unfortunate downside of freedom is that bad things sometimes happen. Uh, tragedies can happen uh, because of freedom. And then that's something that we've always had to weigh. And even our, our founding fathers weighed. And even it's like, relevant today with the gun control uh, issue. I don't want to get too right. deep into that. No, no, that, but you're, you know? you're right. No, you're right. That is. Um, and COVID. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it, it all this is all very relevant. As this next part is is something that you were hitting on earlier. So we get Cersei phoning Dane to tell him to resolve the conflict with his uncle. This just kind of felt like out of place a little bit. Hmm. Like why? Yeah. Where? What? What makes her call him there? His uncle apparently is Nathan Garrett from the comics, the previous Black Knight, who was a bad guy a in the villain comics. Black Knight. Yeah, it, this, like, whole, think, the whole thing. 
felt manipulative and tacked on. And like, why? Like, why? Really weirdly shoehorned. If you wanted to do this in the final scene, I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally fine with this being the mid credit, <sighs> post credit stuff. It just even even that, to be honest, like it's not earned. It feels like it has nothing to do like with what's going on. With what, with it's what completely irrelevant. And the idea, even that this character, this Eternal, has somehow been intertwined with this Black Knight character. Makes it feel like the world's a little too small, and it like makes it feel not like credible. It feels too really? too far fetched when yes. everything is connected together, and makes the world feel like a small town. And it's that that's not just how it works. It's we're talking about billions and billions of people. The chances that she would be with the Black Knight specifically is kind of silly. Then again, it's comics. That stuff happens in the comics all the time, so you got to give it a little bit. But to be honest, in a movie like this, it just didn't seem necessary like it real necessary it, it took me out of it and it made me think like oh this is just them trying to like tie in stuff because they know we like when they tie in but but it, it didn't feel earned in any way it's like everything with um with the character in this movie too with dane who we know is you know john snow kit harrington he's barely in this movie yeah he's Did in at the very be beginning that. the very end and then at the in the, the little post-credit scene like he said mm-hmm. This feels like it could have been showing up in a different movie if you wanted to do it. Yeah. And maybe not this th- just because this is like that might be coming next. I, it didn't need to be here. Maybe you saved it for yeah. Doctor Strange because you unlocked a new multiverse or something, right? Where it, it just make just, a Black Knight movie. Like what right? the hell? And like that's, I, I, that's the first series. where we see him. That's fine, but it doesn't yeah. we don't have to always have these uh these intros where he just he, he felt out of place, honestly. He did. Yeah. Um, There's such a huge difference between Nick Fury and Iron Man 1 and a lot of other examples, countless other examples of, you know, when they put characters into movies. Hulk and Thor Ragnarok is a great example of like a character just popping up. It doesn't I mean, yes, it's a little far fetched. It kind of goes against my point about, you know, making the world feel smaller. But it was really well done there. This did not feel like that. It didn't feel like there was any sort of integrity to or justification for why this character was put there beyond just, hey, we can say that there's another superhero in this movie and that'll sell more tickets and and we can, you know, plant another IP seed, which is fine if you do it, you know, in a way that feels natural and relevant. Better. To yeah. Just you just have to execute it much better. Not that. Yeah. It did not hit for me as uh yeah. we see the deviants attacking the village in the Amazon. And now we get to see the Eternals again using all of their powers. Kingo using the finger guns. He blows ones up. Uh, Cersei, which is very important, she's able to turn one of them into a tree, which shows that she has now evolved her powers to where she can turn living things into inanimate objects. And she can do vice versa. She can actually kind of sort of create life almost and, and change things, which we see her doing with Sprite at the end where she's able to turn Sprite into a human so this is something That I mean we see a little bit Of um, again it's something that like I would like to see her sort of More like on the Jean Grey Trajectory where you see her really struggling With with some of her powers and really Or really trying to kind of harness them Or maybe us even yeah. getting a Little bit more of an indication That she really is The more powerful one Of, of the mm-hmm. one that should be leading the group And not Icarus you know it just I don't know if we got that for for a while right. until the end, and then it's kind of like, oh yeah, she's the one. She's the one that's going to do all of this. It's like really, she hasn't yep. been portrayed that way throughout a lot of this. 
underdeveloped is the word that keeps popping Absolutely. up in my head. Like, yep. This was just an underdeveloped storyline. Uh, you know, it was an, uh, another thing where she was able to change ma- like living matter or whatever into something else. When, when that was um, revealed that she could do that, I wasn't ex- entirely clear at that point that she couldn't do that already. Fact, I didn't like know that, that was like a, something she was struggling with. I was wondering at one point why she wasn't doing that. And then maybe we, maybe I missed a line there. Maybe, I don't know. Was there a line where they explained it? I only kind of put it together after the fact when they, it was showed that she could do it. And they were like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. And I I was like, well, I didn't know you didn't, I I didn't know that you couldn't do that. Like that's what I'm thinking as a viewer. So it's uh, it just felt underdeveloped, unearned, and maybe they needed to focus uh, on some of these characters a a little bit more to make this whole thing seem worthwhile. Uh, I keep thinking about like if they pared down the story just a little bit and cut out some of these Eternals. Like, what if there was, what if there was just six? You know, what if there was six? You eight, know, the just, most. I know, and we get more. I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking specifically Kingo, Icarus, Cersei, Fina, Gilgamesh, and Fastos. If they if they took it down that's to just them. those characters, that's six. That's how many is in the Avengers. That's more manageable, I think, and that's enough to work with. That's a lot to chew on there, and you could kind mm-hmm. of have certain characters. T- take the functions of you know other characters from this movie uh but make it all seem a little more worthwhile give them some time to to shine give give us as an audience time to you know care about them and to kind of you know fall fall in love with them to to give a shit about what they're gonna do next because gilgamesh is gonna die right now and we don't really (laughs) better to like be a little bit more invested in this if we would have seen um, him and Thena in a scene or two, you know, in their yeah. past lives, and and understood the relationship that they had a little bit mm-hmm. more. Uh, I I would have loved to see that because he dies, and it's, I mean, it doesn't feel like when a major character dies in a movie, it right. doesn't. It felt like it's it 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 felt like oh this is it should feel like I'm supposed feeling something here like you know I I I knew what I was supposed to be feeling at every moment, but it just felt hollow uh, in a lot of ways. I, the, the, this was the closest maybe to kind of getting me to care was was uh, Gilgamesh dying for one. It made me remind like, OK, they're not just going to kill like one of these Eternals, like anybody's fair game. Maybe that's why they put so many characters in there. So it kind of made me feel like, you know, a lot of these guys might not survive the end of this movie. I thought we might lose Kingo or somebody. I'm actually a little disappointed we didn't kill off more characters. I thought that would have gave it a little bit more weight in, in general. But Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh was to me one of the another just under developed character where i wanted more of him he actually really kind of grabbed me this like strongman character that he had and visually on screen it was really cool um and yeah i just wanted more romance with him and thena i wanted him to to get that i felt he earned that a little bit as a character and we as an audience were kind of robbed of seeing that and i and i kind of alluded to this before but i i almost suspected that like it was it was that uh that Angelina Jolie maybe just didn't want to be romantically linked to to that guy. I wonder if there's a, a little racism, uh, you know, maybe subconscious racism some, some, at, at play some, here. Maybe I don't like star. Try. No, and maybe even like a star level, right? Maybe it's just like yeah, I'm a star yeah, that, of a different level. Like then, right? Uh, and I just thought like that would have been really cool to see a real love there uh, that was shown on screen. You know, they, they talked a big game about the sex scene that was in this movie. When, like, not, not like I want to see a hardcore sex scene or anything. No, I actually but it was just don't care one way or another, but they wanted like social points for it and whatever. I thought they could have got a lot more social points for having 
um, the, the, Athena and Gilgamesh a little bit Absolutely. more that was physical hit with each other and love, much, loving each other a little bit more. Much more home there. Yeah. As uh, now we're now what we do uh, find out is that the deviants are able to absorb the powers of those they kill. So deviants right. kill Gilgamesh, and now they are able to absorb all that strength. One of the deviants looks much more humanoid, almost like Vision. We see. Mm-hmm. These two sets of eyes And this is when he tells the Eternals They are not saviors They are murderers A little uh, kind of role reversal here As uh, Druig Is not sure if he's powerful enough To mind control an entire celestial So they need uh, They need some some questions uh, They need to ask some questions They need to get some answers In order to do so They have to go to speak with Fastos Who is another one who has Last we've seen given up on humanity um, You know or we're, I guess We're about to see because we get a flashback Of Fastos at the site of Hiroshima August 8th 1945 the day the American forces dropped The atomic bomb on the city and he's Crying and he's realizing That he did this This is his technology to That he helped create this bomb And war all this death He claims that Druig was right And that these people are not worth Saving and uh, and this actually makes you know made me wonder and ask a bunch of questions about you know the timing of this too, like 1945, yeah. knowing that Fastos gave you know help to America and to um, the Avengers early on was like he responsible for vibranium? That was a question I saw pop up places mm-hmm. like you know giving vibranium to Wakanda. You know, was he responsible for maybe giving the shield and some of the vibranium to to Howard Stark? Early on right. and then in realizing And seeing what happened here With the bomb is that when he just says Okay now I'm done and he doesn't Continue to help them anymore so is that why There's only a limited like a vibrant Amount of vibranium around and it's it's Not unli- you know um, Who knows these are a lot of questions that I have Of of the characters I actually did think I, I was interested in Finding out more about Fastos um, Because mm-hmm. I did every time He came in with his in- He's just he's Donatello Right in the, the, right. the Ninja Turtles, he's the smart he's the guy, guy. That can fix yeah. everything, and the tech guy. So I was, I was interested in him every time he came on the screen because a lot of what he was saying mattered. It was very, very important and kind of, you know, giving us um, insights into how things are connected or what we can do. Some of the stuff gets a little corny with the uni mind and and stuff a little later, but uh, we actually we mm-hmm. see Faustos and his family now. And he's the first openly gay superhero Lives with his husband Ben, his son Jack And his son Jack actually thinks that Icarus is super uh, Superman yeah. Jack says, uh, Dad is Superman I saw him on the TV flying, uh, shooting lasers out of his eyes Fastos refers to them, uh, Circe and Icarus As Isaac and Sylvia Which is a nod to their human names in the comics That was their uh, their aliases in the comics So we meet Fastos, we check uh, we check in on his home. He's actually been using some of his powers to create this like safe haven from his house. Um, and at one point, Icarus even you know jokes, "Yeah, what do you got? Is this table made of vibranium?" And he pounds the table and it just shatters. He's like, yeah. "No, that's uh, IKEA or whatever." So, what do you think yeah. about our uh, reintroduction to Fastos in present day here with his family? I liked it. I, I I thought it was good, but overall, just kind of 
mid. You know, it, it didn't very much blow agree. me away. I, you know, there wasn't anything super compelling about what was going on. That joke that you just uh, mentioned was probably the most memorable joke. And I didn't love it, to be honest with you. Yeah. I didn't, I don't think I laughed at that joke in the theater. I thought it was kind of an obvious one. Um, and uh, it, I, I do give them props for kind of what we touched on earlier that there is a, a, a gay family uh, in this and that it's presented in a way that I don't think is pandering. Um, it no, I might agree. Be, I, I, I feel like it was just part of the, the filmmaker's vision of, you know, we're going to present human life uh, in an authentic way, as authentic as possible from our perspectives. And that's that's all all it was. And that's that's good. And that's progressive. Uh, and that they're, I don't think that they were trying to exploit or try to get like, you know, quote unquote, woke points or something for it. I, I think a lot of people would accuse them of that. But I think it's just part of the natural evolution of our culture and um, LGBT causes uh, having advanced uh, socially and that uh, people are just being accepted for who they are more than they were in the past. And uh, so it's something that's noteworthy. And I think I don't think they should get you know extra points for it necessarily. They didn't you know break the mold or, or address anything in particular. And I, not, I don't necessarily want them to. Uh, in a movie like this, but uh, you know, it, it's just a, I, I think just an overall kind of a good thing. That, I agree. That, that, it's, it's that a, was there. It's a nice thing to have. It just, like you said, it's no, normal. It makes it feel more normal. Right. And heck, these are like synthesoid robots. They don't know, like for the most part, too. Right. They don't sexuality know is what's what is sexuality to to one of these Eternals, yeah. man or woman? It's even more like, subjective than the human experience of sexuality. So absolutely. it's like absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So now. They all return to the place where they buried the ship, the ruins of Babylon, and they see we see the ship, the Domo, being raised from below the earth, where it was buried. And inside the ship, they actually find Makari, who has been staying on the ship, and she uses her speed to basically like steal all of these famous artifacts throughout history. Um, there's even a reference to her being Miss Havisham, who was a legendary hoarder in, in literature, and she's wearing a War of the Worlds t-shirt. She has all these famous books, artifacts. She's got the Holy Grail, uh, Excalibur sword. She's got a PlayStation VR headset on. I, I did think it was funny that they uh, they referenced also that Excalibur had a crush on Thena, whose beauty has always been uh, a legend and. So yeah, we uh, Excalibur, we, or King Arthur. Or, I, I, I missed that. I think she said, yeah, she said, our uh, when they talked about Excalibur's sword, I think she did. She maybe say Arthur had a crush on you or something like that. But it was I remember was some involved. reference to oh, some Arthurian reference. But yeah, yeah, I like so that. Arthur, and that we kind of touched on that before. But that was one thing I, I did. I did really enjoy like the historical kind of uh, revisionism and whatnot. But I, I don't know if we quite dug into it. I, that Hiroshima scene that. We mentioned like just just before I did not like that. Me that either. was the, the exception. That was probably the one that felt you said it was tone deaf earlier in the in the podcast. But like, honestly, that might have been the point in the movie where I I went. I decided, you know what? This is not necessarily a good movie in my mind. <laughs> like did Overall, I was kind of going back and forth. And then at that moment, it was like, ah, this is this is bad. And they did it. I thought a lot better when they were showing some of the like the Aztec warfare before, right? right? You know, like why yeah, they kind of already had that. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. like why couldn't we get another one of those just something like that maybe a that civil war or something along those lines revolutionary war i don't know just seeing like a battlefield after would have just felt different to me than the feeling we got yeah. here um it just i agree with you this was one of those scenes that i think you understood what they were trying to do but i don't mm-hmm. i don't get how a few more people just having the conversation just didn't go yeah, but we we can do that in a better way. Like we why can were, get. Why were they in the middle of the rubble, like in perfect clothing? Like it just to me screamed, these are actors on a sound stage, and then you're aware of that, and then you're thinking about like what they're mining for material here, which is like a serious tragedy that like is not that long ago too. So it, it just feels really tone deaf. I feel like. Maybe the the only thing worse than that would be if they did like nine eleven or something like that. Like I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not even worse, but no, I know more recent mean. and they would make people cringe even harder. Yeah. But yeah. like I think the, I think a lot of people really cringed at that, and I'd heard about that moment in advance, like people making fun of it on Twitter, and I thought it was I literally thought it was just a joke that people were making, and then when it actually happened on screen, I I, I kind of went oh no, like <laughs> in my mind like they really did this. Nobody thought this was a bad idea. That's the but, thing. The yeah, checks and balances. Like one or two people just have to go. No, you know what? That's just that's a little insensitive, um, because yeah, there's probably still so many rejected. people here that have been affected by that in one way, shape, or form. Family. It just there's a lot. Um, I, I didn't like it. it. It rubbed me the wrong way very, very much. Um, what did for you sure. think of our uh, our introduction to Makari here for the first time? Now, this is another yes. this is another mm-hmm. thing that's weird. It's like we're, I mean, halfway into the movie now before we really, really meet Makari. I mean, we've gotten yeah. like no, like almost nothing about Makari at this point whatsoever, and we don't need it. To be honest with you, oh. uh, I believe when I said the, the characters that uh, I would have liked to, to focus on, she was not mentioned. We don't need another speedster. They didn't do anything really new with it, except for maybe show the the, the scope of the speed in kind of a different uh, at, in a different way than we norm have have been used to seeing. We kind of touched on that earlier, uh, but beyond that, yeah, I I didn't need her and her powers. I felt like uh, we could have accomplished this story without that character. Uh, it was just extraneous and it distracted from the rest of the stuff, which we both kind of agreed are underdeveloped. So it's like, mm-hmm. get rid of this stuff uh, and focus and, on, you know, the, more the, the time forward. to develop others, because now you're right. You're sitting here where you have 10 stories that are all underdeveloped. Wouldn't it have been better to have like five or six actually developed stories? And then it's not even that I I dislike the character like Macari oh. as a character or as a future eternal. It's just in this movie, in this introduction, they were doing too much. Macari is is someone like if you wanted to give me Macari and uh, Druig and another Eternal and Sprite, they find them when Thena and they're going to look for them, and then they find a couple more Eternals in the mid credit scene in a post credit scene. Boom! Mm-hmm. Like I'm all in on that. There we go. Yeah, like absolutely. now you find a couple more, so that leads to the next movie or the next show or whatever. But I, yeah. she's fun. Like her character's fun, cool. But she's she's like she's stealing stuff or whatever she's doing, and we get a little like laugh at some of the things that she has. But there's so like there's so little from. I'm her. indifferent to it. That's, that's like not, maybe the worst thing that you can be in. in absolutely, telling a you story don't even or a movie hate it is because you're not emotionally uh-huh. invested. Yeah, 
I'm just indifferent to it. I, I, there's nothing about it that I'm going, oh, cringe, or I don't like that, or that wouldn't happen, or whatever. Uh, that was bad FX there. N- nothing like that. It's just that I didn't have a reaction. And I'm here, I'm here in, in this theater seat to have a reaction. I want to have a reaction the whole time I'm there. You know, like I want to be moved like this way and that. And then it, I don't I, you know, make me cry, make me laugh, uh, make me scared. I, I, I honestly don't care. I just want to go in one direction or another. But if I'm indifferent, something's gone wrong. You know, if I'm not engaged and I'm not caring about this it's character, not, it's not our why fault. is it here? Why am I here? Yeah. We are we sit here and do longer recaps of the movies and shows that come out <laughs> than the movies and shows themselves. Yeah. So if you can't get us to get emotionally invested, it's not on us. <laughs> like right. we are we are the exact type of people who are just waiting to be like to be directed and led in a like, hey come mm-hmm. here think this way like like this movie because of this. If you don't give us it though we're not gonna like we're we're like an easy target, you know. Here, yeah. come get us. And um, yeah, I just this was another one that didn't didn't connect with me. As we uh, are back at the ship, and Fastos creates bracelets that link them all together, helping them form what's called the Uni Mind. And what it is is it it's a way to connect all of them and use all of their powers so they can all feed off of one another, uh, one another to basically create. A, a, the the most power and energy that they could even ever form. So it's Captain together. Planet. It's Voltron. Planet. It's yeah, it's exactly. when our powers combine. You know, <laughs> exactly. Very very much uh, in a more simple sense. There, put all their consciousness into one that forms the big brain that helps them fight off the most powerful of beings. So now we get a flashback to just six days earlier. We see Icarus talking with Ajax again. So this is like two thirds of the way through the movie. Before we really know that Icarus is a bad guy, mm-hmm. um, so it's a twist. Twists so are good. It's, 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 we like twists. It's, it's a twist, and twist is fine. It. I, I just don't know if, like, I don't. I didn't need him to be shown to be a bad guy. I might have needed mm-hmm. him to be shown to be more of a good guy, right? For this right. twist, yeah. to hit home more. Like, yeah, we needed show, more of that early on. Yeah, show me more of him and Cersei in love. Show me more of him saving Sprite's life or Kingo's lives to where. Now we understand why they feel such a tie to Icarus. You right. know, like why does Sprite, Sprite, who's been living with Cersei now for how, like whoever, why does she feel more connected to Icarus than the person who's been with her forever, taking mm-hmm. care of her, like, like companions? I, I show show us a reason why. You know, earlier, like I said, there's got to be that scene where Icarus saved a bunch of them and. Mm-hmm. And or sacrificed something, something, you know, right? That just felt like it was missing there because we get the flashback. We see Icarus talking with Ajax in South Dakota, and she tells Icarus about the emergence and how she feels now. She wants to stop it. She wants to save humanity. He does not feel that way. He feels like they had a job. They were programmed to do it, and they are bound and supposed to do it. He doesn't have any connection to humanity. She says that yeah. five years ago. Thanos delayed the emergence by having the blip. Look at good guy Thanos. He's saving <laughs> people here. As uh, this was like, oh, my, I keep thinking of now Thanos in what if, like how he was presented right. like the good guy and everyone's joking with him. And he's like, but let me tell you about my plan a little bit more. You know, and they're yeah. like, 
no, dude, that's genocide or whatever. He's like, but let me explain it more to you. So Thanos had his reasons. And uh, this was where we see Icarus letting Ajax know that he's just become aware of a deviant attack in Alaska. He says, I want to show you. So he takes her to the place where the deviants had just attacked a group of men. I think they said drilling oil in Alaska and basically looks like a lot of these deviants kind of got trapped in in like an embankment where they're in snow and it's almost like they can't get their footing or they're they're not able to get out of where they are. We find out that this was a trap that he has basically set and he brings Ajax over and he pushes her in with the deviants and they kill her. And what is kind of scary about this after is that yeah. once the deviants kill her, they're able to absorb her healing power. So right. now they have the opportunity to heal themselves quickly, which I mean, now now they're a whole different level of uh, of competitor here. So this is the moment where we get the real big bad turn from Icarus as uh, he kills their like they're the one that led them. The one that's kind of told them everything And uh, he does not Want to go along with with What her plans are he does not care about Humanity he wants to be loyal to Erishim Yeah and uh, I'll, I'll admit I I Was a little bit surprised when, when This happened like the the Twist did kind of land for me although Like we said before it just Felt underdeveloped so it didn't have As much impact as you would hope for a Big twist like this to have uh, but this was a cool moment. Um, it was well done. It was harsh, too. It I was. didn't quite expect it. I was surprised, and I want to be surprised uh, in 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 any film, really, in any story. I want to have that moment of surprise uh, throughout. Uh, so it it did deliver in in some regards here. Um, and then uh, it it makes for an interesting kind of shift uh, because we we get to see again kind of what you were talking about with purpose here, and so. We're now understanding a little bit more um, about Icarus and his motivations. And it's it's interesting because I think he's on the side of, you know, well, this is my purpose. I I already have a defined purpose. I need to just carry that out. That's how I can find meaning. Uh, and he's, you know, eschewing uh, morality in favor of this, you know, greater ideal he's going to be the good soldier and that kind of makes sense to me i i i i kind of understand that because the alternative is this kind of vacuum of purpose it's that your your um your identity is is meaningless you don't actually Mm -hmm. have like a soul you're 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 just a rope you're finding out that you're a robot and you're just serving some higher power you're just a conduit to something else that you're meaningless ultimately you're just you just exist as uh you know a, a catalyst to something else and that is like that that's i think a devastating reality and you know on on some levels so the rest of the eternals kind of have to decide which way they're going yeah oh good there's there's so like levels of what is good what is bad as uh the emergence begins TK and Makari is able to use her super speed. So I guess that's why she's in the movie <laughs> because right. she has to go find where the hatching point is. And so this is where we see the thing that I did like about her 
uh, which we've hit on a few different times, how it actually looks like instead of slow motion, we're seeing her kind of in hyperspeed flying by major areas around the world, uh, different cool things that she passes by. And she finds the point of the emergence at an island in the Indian Ocean. Is uh, Icarus then kind of completes his full evil heel turn where he lets the other Eternals know what he did. He killed Ajax. And he does not want to stop the emergence. And then Sprite just sides with him and then boom. Yeah. Like, like kind of quickly. She's like, I'm going with him. <laughs> it's like, and we find out she's been in love with him forever. So her infatuation leads to wanting to follow Icarus. And then this is when Kingo decides to back out. He actually he wants to side with Icarus. We've said that he's kind of like he loves this guy. Basically, he's like infatuated with him. Um But he doesn't want to fight his own family So he just like I'm washing my hands of this And he leaves He doesn't get involved in the battle at all We don't see him at all through the battle We do see him again at the very very end When they're back in London So we know that Mm -hmm. they're still on good terms After this battle But I can't recall a situation like this Where somebody backs out and doesn't show up in the middle of the battle. This is always the scene, yeah, like right. the scene when the person comes back to save the day at the end. I can't remember yeah. a time when they didn't actually show up. That happens all the time. That it's almost a cliche. So it's kind of good in a, in a sense that they didn't do that. Uh, I can remember j- just in recent memory, uh, Shang Chi has kind of moment like that in, in the middle of the movie um, when uh, Shang's sister. Uh, kind of leaves them as they're being attacked and then comes back in the middle of the attack to kind of save them at the last minute as Aquafina's character is about to fall exactly. to her death. That's a great point. So, yeah, we, we see this stuff all the time, right? Um, but uh, in this case, they went with a different uh, – a, 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 they went a different way with it. But And that's interesting. That's interesting, and we're talking about it right now, and I think it might be the more interesting choice. But maybe the reason we don't see that, though, is it's not that interesting – on screen as we're watching it's not that entertaining to see somebody abstain like that he's not there anymore he's like uh, that's all you got to say about it he's not even on screen to, to to be entertained by so there's something missing from that or there's something that uh we're, we're i think being robbed of there uh and i can't quite put my finger on it but it goes back to that thing before that we were saying like yes it's interesting we're talking about it now it's something maybe to think about and chew on but does it make for a compelling and entertaining movie uh and, and a, a viewing experience i would argue that maybe no yeah i think i think so too i agree i don't think it's as great, I do think we'll watch it three or you know when it comes on Disney mm-hmm. Plus and we see it a few times. We'll it we'll enjoy the things we enjoy more about it and maybe like yes. not focusing on the bad things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to do that when mm-hmm. when you're recapping it when you're talking it out because this does. There's a lot of holes here. There's a lot of things that need to be filled in or a lot of things that need to be rectified a little bit in some of the future projects, which they do a good job doing. Like there are a lot of things that they mm-hmm. end up. Retconning and we always talk about how It feels like they go back and Star Wars is trying to do this right now too they got the Obi-Wan show coming up so Hayden Christensen's going to be back playing Darth Vader so they're trying to rehab his Character and uh, Ahsoka too They just announced that Hayden's going to be back for the Ahsoka series as well and that's Like that again a double edged uh, Sword there or lightsaber In in this case Uh, it's, it's, (laughs) It's that uh yeah They're adding to the to the lore but 
are they taking away from what's there of the mystery of the dynamics they've already presented? You know, the idea that that Obi-Wan and and, um, you know, and Darth Vader haven't seen each other since that battle on uh, I think it was Mustafar or whatever, you know, and, and then they meet in a new hope and they have that showdown. It's been like 30 years or whatever. It's been a long time. Not thirty. I think that's a that's that's a longer than it really about, was, but pretty close, right? But 20, it's, like it's Luke, been a while. Like age it's, of Luke. Yeah, right, right. So I would say maybe 16, 17 years, like almost twenty years there. So it's like, yeah, there. That's that's big. That's impactful. But now we've shrunken it to like what seven years, five years. It just doesn't feel like that big of a deal mm-hmm. when you start adding when filling in all these things and making their story, adding more to the story, but it makes the story feel almost smaller and and less credible. Yep. Yep. As uh, we now look, uh, we go. We now go over to Faustos, and he realizes that he has to extract that sphere from Cersei. So this things get a little bit convoluted in that there's just a lot of things going on. They have to ex- extract this sphere. Basically, what they're trying to do here is maximize the amount of power that they have. They're trying to, like Tim was saying, you know, all trying, you know, right. uh, team together. To where we can all combine all of our powers together, and hopefully that can stop this emergence. And you know, together we are obviously more powerful than in individuals because individually, none of them could do it themselves. This is why we have the Avengers and why we have these team movies. They all need each other for the different ways that they can help. And we did get uh, in this kind of final battle scene, we get. We see Tiamat emerging through the earth with this huge big sphere of land that's it's emerging and it looks kind of huge. Like I thought this visually this stuff visually was pretty cool. Like seeing yeah. the the big like stone henge coming out through the earth. Yeah. I can't put my there's a there's a movie or something that it reminds me of with with like the stone coming out like that. And I cannot, for whatever reason, I was like trying to figure out what it was. I don't know. It might be like the end scene. I don't know if you've ever seen Drop Dead Fred, where like this, you see like the things coming out in the stone and like in the house. There, there are a couple different movies where I, I'm reminded what about of Cabin in the Woods. The ending of Cabin in yeah, the Woods kind of yes. makes me think of that in a little bit, like awakening yes. this demon that's inside. Yes. I, I, I'm getting a, a visual of that. I don't know if I'm just like yeah, I think imagining no, I, it. Yeah, we're we're like we're hitting on the same thing. So I I, I like the visual of Tiamat yeah. and and him emerging. And we get the battle amongst the Eternals. This this mm-hmm. big land that looks like a volcano erupting all over the place as Tiamat continues to break through the earth and all the Eternals are using their powers as Icarus and Sprite basically are battling against the team of Fastos, Thena, Druig, Makari. Cersei yeah. has to go to try to stop or slow this emergence, this eruption. And while she's doing that, Fastos and Makari are actually able to pin down Icarus using their powers. So there's a lot of like little battles happening here. At the same time, Sprite creates an illusion of Ajax, and she actually stabs Cersei right in the back, uh, hmm. which leads to Druig coming over and just. Clocking Sprite in the back of the right. head Which is yeah. just a funny moment This is happening yeah. while Fina is in a cave battling With the deviant crow She's able to summon her weapons And cut him apart So I mean we have a lot happening Simultaneously here 
Yeah, a lot's happening simultaneously. And again, uh, sticking to that theme that we have this podcast, it just doesn't kind of gel into anything that really feels enter- super entertaining to me. There are bits and pieces here and there that I kind of glommed onto and was like, oh, kind of that's that's cool. Uh, one thing that stood out to me is um, when uh, oh, what's her, what's her name? Uh, Sprite. Uh, she creates a bunch of different volcanoes like she just replicates all the volcanoes in the landscape to just confuse them. I thought that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't have weight to me. It didn't. And I, I was also kind of waiting for Kingo to come back. I was waiting for this yeah. like cliche moment to happen. And I, did, I didn't want it to happen and it didn't happen. But then I felt like maybe I kind of wanted it to happen. I don't know. It just, felt, <laughs> it just felt like we, I wanted more from it. Yeah. You know, I, I saw a ton of money on screen. Uh, and it did, it was outside, but it also kind of felt inside. It still felt green screeny and CG mm-hmm. at times to me. Um, not necessarily as bad as the third act of Shang-Chi, in my opinion. Uh, and just to go back there for just a second, I said it earlier, I rewatched Shang-Chi on uh, Disney Plus, and I really, really, really enjoyed the first two acts of Shang-Chi. And then the third act, I thought it was a little better than I enjoyed it in the theater. Uh, but it it just nothing it had spectacular. Some, like, yeah, it had some COVID stink on it too. I, mm-hmm. I was looking at like some of the behind the scenes stuff, and I found out that some of the later stuff was Production done post COVID, and they had a lot of um, issues with that. Now I, I think they could have made the scope a lot feel a lot bigger if they had more extras on screen and and stuff like that for that final big battle there. Uh, it just felt a little bit weirdly small and and it made in a studio kind of a. A vibe, but uh, I digress. Going back to Eternals here, um, it felt a little bit more uh, real than that. It felt a little bit less CG, but it still suffered from some of those things. And I agree. It just ultimately felt felt kind of flat. I, it, yeah, there was nothing that was shown that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. That's one thing though. And and the fighting scenes and the action scenes were super underwhelming for the most part. Yeah. Um, in this movie, and I know that that's what they were going for. Like this wasn't supposed to be an action. Marvel MCU movie they wanted this to be more like a a tale and the the, the Genesis story like we said but yeah. the the action scenes felt a little bit lacking like the action scenes that I like the most in the fighting stuff I thought a lot of it was uh Gilgamesh and and Thena honestly yeah uh, yeah same. I love I love the way that she was able to manipulate the weapons how that looked when yes. she was able to do it even when she kind of just slices crow kind of yeah. like comes up and just kind of cut cuts him in half. I thought that was some of the uh the 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 better like visuals and action stuff. So all this is happening as Yeah. This... Go ahead. Yeah, we you were just talking about when she uh she gets the, the final uh the big bad uh yeah. she cuts him in pieces. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that that moment there. That was a standout uh moment. And uh, I should point out that that was Bill Skarsgård as yeah. the voice of the lead the vo- deviant. So that's that's Pennywise right there. Pennywise. Pennywise. Yeah, which is just awesome, awesome stuff too. That one scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. I used to love it. it used to come uh, the old it would come on, you know. Be- nowadays you can pull up on any streaming services, but before yeah. it used to be hard to find movies. You know, you'd have to go and either rent it or yeah, you'd have right. to be and and it would Tape come it. on. I think like the week before Halloween on TV, yeah. and it would be like a two or three part, you know, on TV over a couple days, and I would always get so excited for it and. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to uh, Skarsgård here, Pennywise, who is uh, is in in this now, who's playing Crow, as the Stonehenge still continues to bust up from under the earth. Cersei is able to combine her strength with the others in the Uni Mind, and she even mentions after 
that she senses that the celestial Tiamat actually helps them, actually yeah. helps helps to, in a weird way, destroy himself and not birth himself, and and yeah. so this actually leads to, um, you know, Icarus breaking free from being held down, and he has this moment of pondering, what am I gonna do? And he looks around, and. He's getting a, a wave of, of a flash of memories of Cersei and that he does love her. And so he he actually helps in the uni mind to stop the emergence. So for a moment, we get them all sort of back on the same side, all teaming up again to try to stop this thing. But it is very fleeting because immediately afterwards, Icarus is so displeased with himself and what he has done, he flies straight up into the sun. The, uh, Put it the on tail, the nose, Icarus. Right? Come on. The tail that we already heard. He didn't fly too close to the sun. He flew straight into yeah. that freaking sun. Um, That's too close if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. I I think I was, it was on the ringer or someone uh, afterwards that uh, the girl, uh, I think it was Joanna, was talking with Mallory. And she said, I don't know how any female could not like this movie. She's like, so you're telling me the evil ex-boyfriend does good, but then flies himself into the sun and kills himself. This is a great movie for women, which I thought was was really funny. She's like, the guy did exactly what we'd want. It was uh, made me laugh thinking about it from that perspective. But uh, Icarus flies himself right up into the sun. So I mean, think about it. We've got Icarus dead. We've got Gilgamesh dead. So I don't. I, I'm with you, and I think a lot of people are. I, I just feel like this story or the the introduction of Eternals could have been done. It didn't have to all be done in this one movie. I don't think yeah. they needed to feel like they had to do it all right off the bat. They didn't do that in Iron Man. They didn't do no. that in, in Captain America, you know, the first Avenger. They didn't yeah. do that in those movies. And How about more recently, uh, you've got this great example, I think, because I saw these movies back to back. The week before I saw Eternals, I went and I enjoyed the shit out of Dune. Dune, I thought, was fantastic. Just like beginning to end was just just delivered. I thought it was like an actual piece of art that also functions as, you know, pop IP. It's an action movie. It's everything that you want in a movie like Eternals, but they delivered. And what's one thing about that story? They literally took like the first uh, quarter of the story from the book and just adapted that they didn't try to bite off too much they milked everything they could and made the best story they could out of just a portion of it and now i am sucked in i'm a dune fan and i wasn't a dune fan before i gotta admit i didn't know much about it and now i'm all in i can't wait to see it uh the, the next iteration and maybe uh eternal should have taken that uh that approach to it you know mm-hmm. and just started a little bit smaller introduced us to these concepts introduce us to these characters and build out that world a little bit so that when we we have these moments of of betrayal and you know ultimate sacrifice that they they carry a little bit more weight missed opportunity what what we find out now as cersei um so afterwards they've they've stopped the emergence but what it does is we now we we ask this question so tiamat the celestial was was Wanting to help Cersei and the Eternals instead of Erishim. So what what we know now is that 
not all of these celestials follow the same path. And and we know that because we actually hear from Eros in the right. the, the mid credit scene that he thinks that he will take them to a different celestial who will, will maybe have a different way of thinking. It's sort of like the watcher, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. there's different watchers and, and the watcher that we saw in what if did finally feel like he was at the point where he had to get involved. So mm-hmm. moving forward, we we know that not every celestial and not every eternal is programmed the same way. They are not going to all follow the same path and want the same things, which kind of shows their humanity, right? That's for right. for all of our faults. I think that's one of the beauty of one of the most beautiful things about humanity is that we are so different. Hell, Tim, you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. I look at what's going on sometimes in the world, and I go, I have no idea how people think or feel or that way or this. And sometimes it's scary, but you know what? If we all felt and thought the same thing, it would be boring as hell. It would. Be. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, it would be. There would be nothing interesting in the world, and there wouldn't. It would almost be like its own kind of hell. It you would know, like that, that's a utopia, right? Like, well, right. like what we were talking about before. That's like, like the good place. Utopia is a dystopia. You know, it's yeah. like the good place. Like you're in. They don't know if they're in heaven or hell at the beginning of the good place. <laughs> exactly. A few of them, they're like, "What? This is weird. We're only allowed to have this to eat and drink, or what? You know?" So, yeah. uh, we all have, even the celestials, even the eternals, a unique set of um, a, a unique. Thought process uh, You know your your unique experience Shapes you and so Some of the things that Circe might have Experienced in the world that Icarus Didn't you know shapes her mind more Than it, uh, in a different way than it did for For Icarus as She now has the power Circe to turn Sprite human and she Does Sprite who Stabbed her in the back literally Literally stabbed her In the back and <laughs> Turned on them and was Helping Icarus she Gives Sprite what she's always Wanted the opportunity to be A human in our No doubt Pinocchio uh, Tie in here <laughs> I'm a real Boy <laughs> Geppetto <laughs> yeah. uh, Now that now that it's Disney they can Really lean into these things right on Disney plus <laughs> Right Yeah they just had that Simpsons like Disney plus day that was funny saw that. that was funny yeah, I like that enjoyed too. It. yeah Goofy and Homer are just best buddies there uh, As um, Athena Druig and Makari Leave together on the Domo Searching for more Eternal This is basically the ending of Black Widow Right? Like the family leaves together On the ship uh, To go kind of uh, And then to go warn The other Black Widows and let them know that what's been going on That they are black widows That they've been programmed to kind of free them This is basically what they want to do They want to go find other Eternals out there And free them Let them know Hey, we we have been lied to Kind of deceived This is what our right. purpose really is So that they're on the search for more Eternals For that reason And because, hey, the more Eternals they have The more they can connect with the Unimind The more powerful they can become when they need to fight evil forces moving forward So uh, twofold Hey let's go find some of the other Eternals Let's let them know the truth And well, yeah. while, we're, while we find them We could actually use them And in, uh, in, uh, let's juice ourselves up a little bit more Right Yeah so it's like all MCU properties at this point It's setting up you know future stories Not just Eternal stories But probably offshoots uh, And so there's going to be some rich uh, You know 
there's rich subject matters to mine there for sure. And they're definitely um, heading to the stars. Their trajectory is, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, Captain Marvel, that that scope and that world out, out there. So uh, there's a lot that we can see that we haven't quite seen yet or have only just scratched the surface of uh, in the MCU. So that's very promising, I think, for sure. And it's also interesting that that uh, point that you made there about how, yeah, we've kind of seen that dynamic just in another movie. And we, we keep saying that. We keep finding these parallels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you just mentioned the Black Widow and and, uh, and uh, now this Eternals parallel there. Like, uh, But we just keep seeing that in, in, on these different stages. And it's interesting how Marvel has chosen to kind of stay thematically consistent in mm-hmm. that in that way. And I, I wonder if that is, you know, a choice or if it's just uh, a manifestation of kind of their their worldview and the company ethos. Um, I, I, I wonder if it's something that's more um, that they're you know super aware of or if it's something that just kind of happens naturally. So Cersei, Sprite, and Kingo He's back now He, he pops back up uh, after the battle They stay on Earth And uh, they're back on in London And Cersei's actually speaking with Dane And right as he's about to tell her His family history So again, this feels just like a little shoehorn You know, it's like they don't. He hasn't told her any of this stuff yet This is like the moment right now Where he's about to uh, yeah. And it's like She's told you all this stuff. You haven't said anything. You kind of started to mention that you have a convoluted family history. Um, but they're interrupted by Erishem. And he beams them up to him along with Kingo and Fastos. And he is upset that they went against their duty. He, qu- he quote, uh, quote on Erishem, you have chosen to sacrifice a celestial for the people of this planet. I will spare them. But your memories will determine if they are worthy to live, and I will return in judgment. Boom. And now we have Erishem, the judge, and the question is asked. They don't tell us what happens. Like, it's basically like, hey, humanity, better do that. Like, are you worth it? Are you worth being saved here? Um, It's it's. Posing you the question as the final thing you see Before we get a couple of uh, post-credit Mid-credit scene and then a post-credit scene So we wrap things up here With the the scope Of of Erisham And I mean there's no doubt about it TK I mean this is this is a cliffhanger Like this is like what you would see at the end of an episode Or uh, yeah. I Wasn't this like the end of Mortal Kombat well, You know and like something like that right. <laughs> Where they get yeah. ready for the second movie, which Annihilation, I think, was one of the worst movies of all time. But uh, yeah. it it no doubt tells you we are leading right into another story, more stories moving forward. We get a couple more of them in the credit scenes, but you know we've gone into it. We've said positives. We've said negatives. At this moment, when you kind of saw Erishem, and then when you when you knew it was over with a couple of credit scenes coming, what were you kind of thinking in the movie theater when you're finishing up here? Well, definitely had a sense that, you know what, this was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, but specific to that moment, uh, I'm into it. I like that scale like we talked about before. It's just this massive godlike uh, entity. And I like the idea and that it, the dynamic that humanity is going to be judged based on their memories. Uh, I think that obviously sets up the next story, but it also kind of sets up the next story 
to parallel, I think, in a lot of ways, the way that this story was presented. Um, I can expect, you know, cross-cutting uh, through time and, and, and a lot of different stories and time periods uh, because Arashem is going to be examining memory. So I could see the story kind of playing out where we're seeing flashbacks uh, coupled with um, them being kind of trapped in whatever Arashem's got them, uh, uh, whatever state he has them in. Um, but we've also got the the other side of the team, too, who's maybe going to come to save them, who's going to cross paths with, like you mentioned earlier in the, in the post-credits, uh, the Eros and other uh, Eternals. Yeah, we so can get right there. We can get right there. That's interesting. The, yeah, that's, that's where we head next, the mid-credits scene. So we've got Thena, Druig, and Makari. They're on the Domo, the ship, and they're they're looking for other Eternals. They haven't been able to connect with any, and they have not heard with the Eternals from Earth. Now, they don't know why. We know why, because they've been taken by Erishem. And right. out of nowhere, we get a, a light that glimmers, and a portal's open. A portal opens up, and out falls Pip the Troll, voiced by <laughs> Patton Oswalt, who says, Behold, the royal prince of Titan, brother of Thanos, defeater of Black Robert. And then you get a voice in the background that corrects him. Roger. He says, defeater <laughs> of Black Roger, the great adventurer, Star Fox. And uh, here comes Eros. Harry Styles, played by uh, Eros, uh, a.k.a. Star Fox, played by Harry Styles. He says, what a pleasure to make your acquaintance, my fellow Eternals. You know you really don't have to do – he looks over at uh, Pip and says, you know, you really don't have to do the whole thing every time. I'm Eros. This is Pip. And you, Thena, are as beautiful as legend says. Your friends are in big trouble, and we know where to find them. And uh, he also has his own sphere um, that we've seen. So he can connect with the celestial, as we've seen uh, with the, that speaking sphere, and – if you didn't know who Eros was, you know, he gave you a little bit of an intro right there. He is the brother of Thanos, but Eros in the comics is basically the what Eros means in, in Greek, you know, love, the Greek god of love. He can control the emotions of others so much so that he can get them horny, he can get them passionate. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have uh, some love coming up in the MCU here. So I guess we got like a tiny little sex scene that wasn't even a sex scene because we're probably going to get more of that coming. When you read some of the stories of Eros, some of the comic stuff, he was not a bad guy, but not really a great guy all the time. You know, kind mm-hmm. of indifferent. He would be very powerful and help and and you know be a part of the avengers in, in in major moments and then there'd be times where they're like hey where's eros and he's just like gone right. because he needed to go get some loving he like has to be he has this uh appetite for for sex and for um you know and sexual activity and conquest and where he he can sort of like um i'm trying to think of what it like what another movie uh but he can he can like make you fall in love with him for the, for the, in the right. easiest sense. Yeah. He, he, he can stimulate the pleasure centers, I think in, in people's brains and go. like yep. great casting uh, there with Harry Styles, uh, popular guy. Uh, he's got that like androgynous kind of sexuality mm-hmm. thing going. So I mean, super, yep. I mean, he's uh, adored by, by fans. I mean, and he's had a great crossover from like, 
I think he was in One Direction. And then now uh, he's like a solo artist. And solo stuff is not bad. Got to say, everything I've heard from him is really solid. Me too. Uh, and I, then I he's like done some he's good stuff talented. on screen too. He's done I don't some know if you saw Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah he, so he's a, he's a legit actor. I think he's going to have a great career. This is a great get for Marvel, I think, to keep them relevant. I think it's also a good move just doing a character like this. Um, I'd love to see him pop up in Thor Love and Thunder. Absolutely. I think that's a natural and probably something that we can expect. I don't know if it's been announced yet, but I would not be surprised if that's uh, that's going to happen. Uh, but it's going to create new things that we haven't quite seen. We haven't seen so much uh, of the Lothario character in the MCU. We have a little bit of that with with um, Tony Stark. Early uh, Iron Man. Yeah. Early on, but... Not much beyond that. Uh, they've been fairly asexual thus far. That's why they made mm-hmm. such a big deal about this, like, nothing of a sex scene that was in this movie. So yeah. uh, that'll be interesting to bring a little bit. I don't want pornography in, in these. Don't no. get me wrong. But a little what? bit of, like, just as a m- character motivation, as, as just a, a part of, the you know, a, a character to have, that have them have a little bit of sexuality. That's, that's real. And that's an aspect that's kind of been muted uh, within the MCU thus far. Well, come compare the like. It's it's funny because I'm talking about Wanda and Vision, who are like a a, a synthesoid, and then you've got mm-hmm. um you know if you compare the like the love there, and or even you know in a couple different instances throughout the MCU where it's like okay yeah maybe like uh we got real true love there like maybe a sex scene in that movie or would have would have felt a little bit more true you know and it wouldn't right. be like jarring as much if like if it's following a true love story so right. um it's it's, it's like anything it's got to be well done and tasteful you don't want to just th- ju- like i like that they didn't hit us over the head with the fact like hey we've got a gay superhero and a gay family over here and this and that and gay gay, gay. Right. you know it wasn't like they weren't trying to do that which is great and that should be the same thing bringing in maybe more what you want to call them like sex plot lines with this character they got to right. fit more, they more have to sexuality fit. in the in the in the stories does not mean more sex scenes no. like you could have more sexuality and like I, like just Im- imbue your stories with a little bit of that in a in a realistic way that that doesn't have any sex scenes whatsoever. You can just allude to the fact that characters are having it. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it just exists as a part of their lives or as a part of their personalities that needs to be kind of shown. I mean, sex is a major motivator in a lot of uh, cases. So you should be seeing that a little bit. Uh, yes, we see romance and stuff on, on screen, but the, we're kind of missing that, that just... Mm-hmm. That aura of 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 sexuality and sex appeal that that could be something that's added to the MCU. Granted, I don't want too much sex in the MCU. It's for kids ultimately. Yep. Ultimately, these need to be kid adjacent, kid friendly. I mean, they're PG thirteen level. They have to be. But that's that's what it is. Like uh, like it shouldn't. We shouldn't be getting too cartoonishly, um, you know, childlike stuff. We can't Disneyfy this world too much. But let it just sit in that PG thirteen zone. You know where we allude to things, and and just let characters be characters that are that feel human and embody the entire spectrum of of uh, human experiences. So much agree there. As we get to our final scene, we get the post credit scene with uh, Dane Whitman going to now in the story of the Black Knight, who is his uncle. Dane's uncle is the right. Black Knight, and he's a bad dude. And in the comics, he actually leaves. A castle to Dane 
So I was reading that this might be in the castle where he's looking um, to to find this blade. Uh, He opens a box, and in the box, um, there is the same. You said you said he finds a blade. Blade. There we go. Yeah. In the in the box, he finds um, there's a symbol on it, the Raven symbol, the same one that's on the ring that Cersei gave to him. And he opens that box. There's a phrase carved in Latin. And that is translated as death is my reward Inside the box is the ebony blade And this blade seems to have some sort of energy When he touches it And as he is about to touch it We hear a voice speak out to him and ask Are you sure you're ready for that Mr. Whitman? And that voice is Blade Played by Mahershala Ali Let's just see him, man. Just give me a bullshit. shot of him. This is bullshit, dude. Just give me a I mean, shot I, of Blade. One shot with yeah. the glasses, with the black setup. Every, just give me one shot, man. I, I honestly wanted to boo in the movie theaters because I felt so manipulated, and I felt like that was such a waste of time to sit through credits for that. Uh, just give that to me in the new movie. Uh, or if, if they showed him just that one shot, literally a static shot to kind of mirror or parallel that shot from the first Iron Man. That uh, that I mentioned earlier, that 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 stinger at the end where Nick Fury is like, I want to tell you about the Avengers initiative. And, you know, the whole crowd goes nuts. You you love movie stingers at that point. You know, post credit sequences seem like the coolest thing in the world at that point. This time around, I wanted to kill the whole idea of post post uh, credit stingers. I, I just felt like betrayed by it, to be honest, because it, it was such a waste. There wasn't anything funny about it. The only good thing I'll say is. You know, at least we got Blade in the MCU. That's good, I guess. Knowing, knowing and, that he's coming and that it's Mahershala Ali, who is right. an awesome actor. Well, we and already sure knew that. We, but we this, knew that. You're right. This we is a cop it. out. Just give us a the shot. The only other thing I'll say is the Ebony Blade looks cool. The Blade that, looks awesome. The sword and the effect that happens when he puts his hand next to it. And it's kind of like like when you take um, iron ore and you put it next to a magnet. It kind of moves all the little like yeah. iron ore, like refined particles. Like It kind of looked like that in a weird liquid version of that. Uh, I thought that was a really unique and cool uh, just effect. And this this movie had some cool effects. I liked some of the, the deviants. I wasn't quite sold on them. Uh, I liked the Eternals um, CG that, like you kind of described, how they were kind of connected with their powers a little bit. And like they all they were all very consistent, that gold stringy uh, energy around them. That was well conceived and well executed. And I enjoyed that stuff. But man... There was just so much missing yeah. from, from this. And this post-credit sequence was it just left a bad the, taste. It's, it's the opposite of the like some of yeah. the movies that you walk out with and you go, okay, like now I'm kind of pumped. And it, it's weird. Like we said, it's mixed mixed feelings. Like I am excited for Blade. I am excited for Big Blade time. going to be. I mean, he's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. And I am really excited for the stories that are going to be told out of this movie coming forward. Like I would right. love to be able to to to, to have backstories with every one of these Eternals, the characters, like whether it be a, sh- a standalone movie or parts of a show or whatever it's going to be. But mm-hmm. this was underwhelming for me as a, mm-hmm. as a fan that, and you and I don't like to go into the stuff with, with high expectations for, for kind of reasons like this. But I think it was yeah. sort of hard with this movie to not because we had been hit over the head with it repeatedly how this one was going to be bigger this one was going to be a little bit different this was a movie that they thought they could win best picture with and they could win a bunch of these awards yeah. with and this is the genesis story of everything in the MCU and 
I do not think this movie was all bad at all. I think no. there are a lot of good things to take out mm-hmm. of it. The problem is it's just like either really good or like, oh my gosh, like very indifferent. There wasn't a lot of the where I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that was okay. It was like I didn't I either really like things or really did not like some of their approaches yeah. or some of the choices that they made. And so I will always, always give them the benefit of the doubt moving forward. Like I'm I'm mm-hmm. always gonna continue to watch what comes up and then put it together as the as a piece of the puzzle. I do genuinely yeah. think in five years we're gonna look back on this movie more positively than we do right now because we're gonna have Eternals 2, Love and Thunder. We'll have a bunch of other stuff to fill in a lot of the holes. But man, I wonder if they try like if they would have done this with the Avengers as the first movie in the MCU before starting and telling us the Iron Man story and before telling us about Captain America, this thing would have not hit. It would it, not. It be, would have been a huge bomb. It would huge not bomb. be what it is right now. It would because we 100%. would have had the same reaction then that we're having now, and now we're like a little more passionate about it because we just love all this MCU stuff. But right. it's really weird because it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You did it right mm-hmm. the first time. The way you introduced all these characters to us the first time through their individual stories and then coming together and then oh, now you can introduce Black Panther in a different movie because you're only introducing like one new character there. And now and that, mm-hmm. then that's great because then when we see him show up, like I don't I don't mind the way they brought um Eros in. Or and I don't even mind the idea of the way to bring in Blade, even though we've talked about how the whole Blade storyline doesn't seem like it fits in Eternals. Like Eros fits. That makes sense. We get introduced mm-hmm. to a character that's going to be part of their story moving forward. It almost feels like the the Black Knight Blade stuff is like a totally different story. So cool. Like really we get does. introduced to a new character, but I don't know how relevant it was to this. So right, I'm Why very very mixed in any in any sense. I guess it gave. Cersei like a tie to humanity and showed it like but why why did it have to be him uh the black knight of all like that just see it just screams like they're of a, a, a desperation of, of manipulation uh that they're not really respecting their audience enough here uh and that that sucks man you've got a great director in Chloe Zhao you've got really high concept stuff going on um, I wonder if this just the machine with with Marvel is getting a little bit too large and unwieldy to in, to keep the quality as consistent from project mm-hmm. to project. That's so true. I'm noticing just a little bit of a trend for every time my expectations go down a little bit. And I, I say stuff like, you know, we have to judge this as like a Marvel thing, not like a movie thing. Uh, uh, and it works a little bit better in, in that sense. Uh, but every time I'm kind of feeling like oh, this feels more like TV a little bit. A little bit more like they're squeezing, like like it's a towel, and they're trying to squeeze every last drip out of it, you know, uh, of of what they can mine from this IP or, and, and the IPs that they have. And now we're we're, you know, kind of getting to bottom of the barrel stuff, maybe a little bit. And but and that's being combined with that they're they've got their fingers in so many pots that you know how can Kevin Feige keep up a quality Everything. standard that he set. Yeah, all of that. So that's creeping into, uh, you know, my understanding of this uh, this whole MCU thing. And I think a lot of other fans are kind of um, 
getting there too. Now that's not to say I'm not a fan anymore. And I don't think you're at that place yet. No, like, not at all. Like you said, I'm still invested. I'm going to check out the next thing, but they can, they, it will diminish if, if it keeps going in this direction. Absolutely. You know, a year from now, we're not going to be as interested. Like, the, like it's, you're only as good as your last thing. And until and they, they last kind of four or five reset, end up being like, mm-hmm. eh, they're good. They're okay. You know, I, I do think right. where they hit. Okay. Was that, the a lot of the Disney Plus TV show stuff was really good. Like Wanda was very yeah. good. Uh, Loki was excellent, and mm-hmm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier maybe a little not quite as I didn't maybe kind didn't feel as important, but yeah. it, it wasn't bad. Uh, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I, I felt like moments. like their their TV shows they did. This just felt like something that would have been so much better suited to be a TV show, but they wanted it to be this big movie for them, this huge groundbreaking movie, which you know very mixed emotions in. I love the things they tried. Very mm-hmm. diverse international cast and crew. That's awesome. Right? Nobody wants to see just a white superhero all the time anymore. That just that's boring. The cast was great. The cast is fantastic. Um, which is almost bothers me. I wanted to see the, get to see the actors do more. They're so talented. Yeah. I wanted to see them to get to be able to flesh these characters out a little more, which we will. Um, you know, that the, the, like, the what what if this was their Game of Thrones? What if instead of you know, uh, you know these limited series, I know this like was this their, is an epic their one that just go on epic, and on. Yeah, and and with CG Gosh. at the level of I, of yeah. their like theatrical releases, you know the CG level that we got in Eternals, if we brought that to the small screen, and you let it breathe a little bit more, and you made it as a prestige TV show. I think it would absolutely crush, honestly. It might have been the, the move to do, but I think maybe they got a little bit worried because they kind of already tried that with um, – blanking on the name here, but uh, Inhumans. Inhumans mm-hmm. was going to be a big movie for them, right? And then they downscaled and were like, no, it's going to be a TV show, and they put it out on TV, and it was really not well-received, and it was a big flop. This movie felt a lot like they were trying to do Inhumans again. And maybe they they thought TV was just not the place to do it because they'd already tried that. I wonder. I'm just speculating here. Yeah. But yeah, I wonder if it just would have still been better suited to to really get it right on TV rather than to go this route with it with the movie. Yeah, you just would have had a lot more room to breathe. There, you, the the length in TV doesn't matter anymore. It's like you said, it's another episode. It's another season. Yeah. It's not like you're going to a four hour movie where it's just. Okay, what happens next week or on the next episode or in the next story of this next character? And um, yeah, list. You know, I I will want to watch this a couple more times even and to see how yeah. I feel coming out of it. But I did, I didn't hate it. I didn't. Right. Um, it wasn't like oh my gosh, I'm gonna walk out of the movie. This was like the worst thing I've ever seen. I just right. have a a super high floor now for for the mcu and i have a a very high expectations of what i want from them because we've seen what they can do we've seen what they do do when with really great Mm -hmm. stuff infinity war and event and end game and then how they they start things over in loki and like i said with wanda i did feel like i enjoyed black widow i enjoyed shang chi even this movie i wouldn't have any of the three of them as like my bottom probably one, two, or three, but I wouldn't have any of them in the top tier either. And and so right. that's they're still probably more towards the middle to the bottom. Um yeah. and, and this one I'd say probably below even a little bit more below the other the other two. In that I think like I had a lot more fun watching Black Widow and Shang-Chi. 
than I did watching this movie. Um, there yeah, was a lot more. Think- those those movies felt so much more just kind of like funny. They were trying to get you to laugh. Right. They had some scene, like a lot of like, wow, like actually laughing out loud scenes. Whereas this almost felt like they they went the opposite way too much. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we want to make this a real serious thing. So we don't want to have all this action and all this comedy in there, which people are going to associate with MCU movies. And And that's where it was missing a little bit of like life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, it was missing that comedy because, like you said, they were trying to go for something bigger and more grandiose and and uh, dealing with like an epic, like almost the, what the DC does, where there's like gods on Earth and and uh, um, almost like uh, classic storytelling. Uh, but th- this, it it didn't deliver on those levels enough. There wasn't enough awe-inspiring moments granted we we did kind of like the celestials and those gave us a, a little bit of a sense of that awe and scale and to my point earlier um maybe that was one of the reasons this needed to be a big screen thing because the celestials are so large you kind of need to capture that on the big screen uh so maybe that's why they decided to go that route but yeah it was missing that comedy and that fun and that through line that carries you through the movie of that energy it just didn't have a good forward momentum of energy uh, and it, it just felt disjointed, unearned at times. And then when it did deliver on comedy, it was with uh, Kingo and Karun, but there just wasn't enough of that. that that's not enough to carry that no, huge, this huge movie. All. They didn't go to them enough, uh, and there wasn't enough comedy and natural, funny human moments. Like think uh, about every major from the other characters. Marvel character, mm-hmm. almost all of them are rooted in comedy. Even even like Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. How many kind of goofy little interactions or weird or sort of things do you remember, you know, that are like, oh, okay, that's definitely like a comedic, like meant for comedy. But when you think about all of the Eternals, Kingo, so serious, they're so, yeah, I mean, you get a couple comedic things from Icarus, but he doesn't feel up like a, a happy go lucky, funny character. And then compare that with Thor, with Hulk, with Iron Man. With Captain Roger, Captain America, every one of them is like self-deprecating and like yeah. root, rooted in comedy. So it it well, it's like they're funny in the way that they're written because they do like everyone's everyone is funny. If you look at someone from for long enough, you're gonna laugh at something mm-hmm. that they do because it, yep. that's what we all have our idiosyncrasies and our quirks and things like that. And that's that's usually what they kind of mine for for comedy in these films, character wise. And a great example of that is like. Captain America right there. He's not a funny guy. He's not like a wit, a charming wit. He's not like Tony Stark where he could uh, no. uh, quip back at you or something. But he'll have moments that make you laugh like uh, in the movie where he's like, I understood that reference. Like he's not yeah. trying to be funny there. It's just funny <laughs> because like that's that's a funny thing. There's this character from the 40s who's in in time and he doesn't get any <laughs> jokes and finally he got one joke because it was about the Wizard, Wizard of Oz, a movie that came out in the 30s, you know? So it's it's just uh that's just natural Good writing from from the character kind of stuff, and um, where 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 comedy kind of gets weak, I think, is when they try to have characters force comedy. When you try Absolutely. to have everybody like Chandler Bing, mm-hmm. somebody like everybody's a comedian, like cracking jokes and whatnot, and that's just not how people are. It's funnier when when just uh, situations people do what they do, and that yeah, the situation and comedy arises out of it, like people being themselves in that situation, or a character being it's himself or herself in that situation. Uh, and there just wasn't enough of that here. Just wasn't yeah, there sh- if we would have developed like 
we we've we know all the characters enough now, like to where we could see Tony Stark and Captain Steve Rogers like in a car driving down the road together, and they could not <laughs> say anything, and they right. could like it would be funny. They could right. like look at each other, or something could come on the radio, and you we would already know what it was supposed to mean, and it would feel funny and and laugh. Like I feel like if we would have gotten a scene or two. Before I keep mentioning with like with Kingo and Icarus, it would have been mm-hmm. we could get a scene where like we see Kingo trying to like mimic Icarus, you know, or like well, you know what it is. It's it, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's it's like with Tony and and um, and Steve, we know so much about their characters, like their characters. We yes. know their idiosyncrasies. We got time yes. with them. We got to understand them as characters. With these guys, it's so broad that it's basically like. Oh, he's know makes the uh, finger shoot guy. He's the she's the speedster. She's exactly. the like they're almost they're almost boiled down to just what their powers are yes. on there and nothing else. And we get a little bit here and there. Yes, Kingo probably the most we have about him. Like it's very obvious. And that's that why we like, like him the most. And that's why we like him the most and attached to him the most because all his comedy is coming out of his character and the dynamic with him and this other character is following him around. Uh, whereas everybody else is kind of one note. Yes, yes. So many more notes to come. Uh, in the future This one drew a lot from the Kirby's uh, 1970 comics it, I mean it's going through 7,000 years Of human history telling an origin story Of an ancient race of aliens Who were sent to earth to oversee the development Of humankind This is a lot Cosmic gods known as celestials creating um, So they had a huge task To undertake And I honestly think that they didn't really connect all that well. I don't think they completely swung and missed, like I say. Um, but if I were just grading this movie on itself individually, like I'd give it a C. Yeah. And, like yeah. and a C to probably and like not a C plus, probably right to middle. a C minus. Like I wouldn't I don't yeah. I wouldn't probably get into the D F because I don't think it's completely miserable. I don't think it's a complete fail. I just think that you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and there's a a few things, a few big things they could have done a lot differently in this movie. Um, yeah. But moving forward, I'm excited, man. I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. I want to see Blade. I'm very excited about Eros. Like you said, I think that's a great casting job with Harry Styles putting him in here. I want to see more from Thena. I want to see these Eternal characters fleshed out more. And uh, mm-hmm. we're getting set, TK. We're only a few days away from uh, Hawkeye coming up, which I should know. be a lot of fun. It- about to be a like a deluge of uh, of Marvel content coming our way. I'm really excited, man. We start off with Hawkeye, which has turned out to be with the little promos that I've seen, like one of my more anticipated Marvel projects. Uh, and I slipped on I it. I did not see I was that like, coming. Eh. Totally. And flipped. then the the little bit of the trailers and stuff I've seen, and maybe just knowing that we might get some of st- the stuff from Black Widow kind of coming mm-hmm. over here too. I'm I'm super pumped for this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You and I are recording on Sunday. And uh, most people will probably hear this uh, this uh, on Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday evening. We're uh, this weekend, so the day before Thanksgiving, they're going to be the first two episodes of this series dropped. So uh, by next weekend, TK and I will uh, will help out and uh, recap those, and we'll deep dive uh, those those first two. And then we got you know we got a, an episode every week. We're only like a month away from Spider Man. Is that right? 
that's, month in- that's blowing my mind right now. I'm, I, I think I need to go off Twitter or something because, like, we all know <laughs> or we strongly suspect that we're going to get all three Spideys. But, like, I just don't want to even see one image of it. I want to pretend like I have no idea and just go into the theater and be so ecstatic. Oh, when it actually that moment when we see them all do the Spider-Man meme, yeah. the three of them point at – they have to have that moment, right, where they point at each yeah. other. Him, you, me, him, you, me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I, I'm going to be lucky enough, I think, to see it with my – uh, 10 year old nephew so that'll be really awesome. cool uh, I, uh i'm hoping uh, we can make that happen so yeah i'll be back east for that and uh cannot wait i mean that seems like uh a big movie event That's just by the idea of it to yeah. me end game was that the last time i felt like man this is like a culmination of something that's been a lot of time invested uh, as a fan for for us all and uh, i mean this is something that uh traverses decades here and i mean uh, if they're gonna do what we all think they're gonna do uh it has the potential to be one of the most out there crazy cool uh biggest movies of all time right like let's just put it that way uh so uh that's that's a lot of pressure i imagine on marvel and i'm i'm a little nervous me too given what we've been seeing we've been very critical of this recent stuff if they blow this that's this is a big one. Suck. <laughs> yeah. This is a big one. And uh, yeah, because this is a lot of different characters from a lot of different years that can be bringing. If if you hit this well, this mm-hmm. this opens a door for everything. Everything's on the yeah. table moving forward. Every yeah. single thing that we've ever seen in the world. Dude, we're getting a lot of Star Wars references, too. And they're both Disney. I mean. Who the hell knows? That's gonna happen one day. What, yeah. what we're I mean, what get. if there's a what if that crosses over Star Wars? I mean, yeah. I could see them doing that first before anything. Absolutely, and we are getting there. We are gonna have a lot of Marvel MCU content to bring you in the coming weeks, mm-hmm. right here on That's What G Said. Tim Kelly joins us every time we have a new movie, a new TV show to talk about. Dude, it is crazy. I, you know, I kind of, I have like a, a like a log. So every time we do one of our Marvel MCU stuff, I throw it on there. We've got every episode of WandaVision, which was eight. We've got every episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I think was six. We've got every episode of Loki um, following that, which I think was also six. And then we've got the movies that we've had since then with Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and now this one. So we got a ton of content out there and we're going to have more and more for all of you uh, MCU fans so if you you haven't listened to some of our recaps of those shows and movies you can go back and find them they are all uh, um recorded on that's what G said podcast and we can't thank Tim Kelly enough for coming and helping us out and giving us so many hours of his life as a new papa and uh, a man who's got a, a, a job and and a lot of work going on too and man always always very uh, very happy to have you and we're we always love touching base and um, getting to, to chat, chat these movies out. It's funny because I like yeah. it helps me shape my opinion sometimes when I talk it out with you a little bit too. You know, right, there are right. sometimes there are like these like these ideas that might be percolating in my head that I haven't quite like been able to f- yeah. put together into a thought or an idea. But you right. you're like a step ahead of me there. Um, so oh, yeah, it's you. it's such a blast um of chatting these things out with you and. We'll touch base again uh, in the next few days, talking some Hawkeye. Much appreciated, man. I love doing this. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and thank you for all the kind words. I feel the same way. Uh, we help each other to kind of figure this thing out and articulate, you know, things that are uh, brewing in our heads uh, and uh, get it out and work it out for uh, 
for the audience out there. So uh, it's been a great time doing it. Can't wait to do it some more. And before I jump, I just want to mention um, Disney Plus doing those IMAX uh, aspect ratios, the re-releasing all their uh, films so far for for the for the Marvel movies. Uh, so it might be worth checking out uh, nice. some some old ones there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll do some podcasts on that coming up. Absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, lots of Marvel and MCU content coming up here on That's What G Said. Make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram. Check out the music project Ice Cream Fire anywhere that you uh, you download your music. And TK, buddy, we'll uh, touch base again in a few days. Looking forward to the next install- installment with Hawkeye. Definitely looking forward to it. You have a good rest of your uh, your day, buddy. And thank you so much for helping us out. And Thanks. do not go anywhere, folks. We still have plenty more on this episode, and that's what G said. One of the deepest deep dives we have done so far on that's what G said. Tim Kelly helping out with Eternals, and folks, we're gonna have Hawkeye recaps coming up for you in just a few days. So the next episode of That's What G Said will come out likely late Wednesday night. Uh, or early, you know, wait late Wednesday night into Thursday. But that's not going to even have anything for Thursday on it because everything for Thanksgiving that you need is on here. We cover all the NFL games. We cover uh, Thursday racing from a couple tracks. That next episode will set you up for the weekend. So that'll have the next round of uh, all the Sunday NFL stuff. We'll have some Friday and Saturday racing on there too. I think we'll have a couple different interviews with people uh, talking about sports and, uh, and, and everything for the weekend. So next week, Early on, that's when we'll start talking some Hawkeye. Hopefully, we were able to lead you to some winners on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with the racing. Thank you to Eric for helping us out and splitting the NFL talk up into two. And thank you to Tim for spending so much time with us talking about Eternals. Hope you all have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll be back to talk to you in just a couple days.